and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Torrin Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History, History, and True History, History of Nisara. I am in North Carolina visiting my son, and so you're hearing from me from Boone, North Carolina, and I'm glad that we've got coverage here to be able to uh, do the opening today. today. So let's go into our heart center. And as we go into our heart center, we call forth the full emergence and integration with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our muddy I am presence with all of our multidimensional beings through to our God presence and goddess presence. And we welcome at this time the energies, the highest energies that we can receive as we connect our pillar of light directly to source and directly to the heart of Mother Gaia receiving the love and the nurturance in each direction, filled with a beautiful crystalline golden light. As we anchor that golden light, we anchor the golden age, and we give thanks for this opportunity to be this bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut. We invite all of humanity to join us in this ascension work. As we say the following prayer, please join me in saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. So we invite the I am presence of everyone to join us to anchor heaven on earth. And we call in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods, and we welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms in all of this work, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the bird kingdom, the animal kingdom, the data kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. And we welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and the seraphim, and all of the angelic healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all of Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, and all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. 
so we welcome as well all of our friends in the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those that we work so closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus. And we welcome all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking our Mother, Father, God, to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify this work in divine order and through divine will 999 billion times, 999 billion times or something greater. We call in for everyone, all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves, and with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level through every cell, chakra, meridian layer of our work field multidimensionally. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, and love and light and laughter. We call forth everyone and everything in our circle of support. From the very first name that created it, to every man, woman, and child, every family member and loved one, every friend and neighbor, every pet, every animal, every person, every situation, those people that we hold in our hearts, we're going to place in the um, situation in Southern California where Hurricane Hillary is making its way toward the coast of Southern California, peaking on Sunday and Monday, with possibly a year's worth of rain in some areas. And the meeting at, um, uh, gosh, I'm losing it here. So the, the meeting at the um, uh, presidential retreat center between um, President Biden and the heads of North Korea and Japan, and also next Saturday's march in Washington, D.C., the 60th anniversary commemorating the historic march on Washington organized by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and uh, it's a continuance, they said, not just a commemoration, a continuance, so we're going to be doing some work with that here today. We call forth all of the energy that people are using toward whatever they're doing this weekend, um, whether it's anything around the sacred dates of this month, like the 8-8 portal and uh, this week's new moon, and all the way to, um, again, any energy being um, put forth toward going back to school or sports events or anything else. We want to use that collective energy 
in place in our collective cup of consciousness to transform the planet, to bring everybody into a state of understanding their own divinity and of being their Christ nature and emanating love and light and goodwill and peace and harmony across the world. We ask Gaia to receive all that we receive as well through her chakras and meridians and layers of her auric field multidimensionally through every ley line and song line through every grid system, all the aspects of the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system and through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred side and place of power, every stargate, every city of light as well as every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, and molecule of fire. As we call forth all life to join us in raising their frequency and joining us fully and consciously on this journey as we ascend higher and higher each and every day with Mother Gaia as she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. So again, we give thanks for this opportunity to serve as we begin. And we ask again to eliminate our group service here. In the name of all that is sacred, we invoke the vast awareness of our greater self, the group consciousness blazing within each of our hearts, May our activity today be fully empowered by this enlightened inner presence. We call forth assistance from the subtle spiritual realms, along with our beloved Earth allies, the minerals, the plants, the animals, and the spiritual intelligence of the Earth itself. Please come and join with us now. We ask that our group be insulted in the brilliant sphere of universal light. We invite this light to enter the deepest regions of our bodies, hearts, and minds, activating the greatest levels of coherence within our collective field. We invoke and give thanks for the shifts in consciousness, which bring our thoughts, words, actions, and feelings into right divine order, raising us into the most virtuous expression of our true self. We offer sincere gratitude to our source of life, for bringing us together, for empowering our mission, and for illuminating our group presence. May the work we do together be a bright blessing upon the earth, supporting the highest good of all. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. From our collective heart flame, we now invoke the ultimate empowerment of the March on Washington to take place on August 26, 2023. May the galvanizing energy generated by this group activity be fully aligned with the spiritual laws that govern the universe. We call upon the deepest and highest self of all those involved in next Saturday's March on Washington May the power of divine will pour forth and its invincibility and inspiration upon these devoted souls 
that may serve as clear channels for positive transformation upon the earth. Let the spiritual eye of every person supporting the March on Washington be opened even wider, revealing the truth that lay behind the outer appearances of fear, control, and separation. Extend this inner expansion to reach deep into the hearts of all people connected to this movement, inspiring a vast outpouring of radical forgiveness and compassion. By and through the greater law within us all, inspire this movement with the light of unity consciousness. Bless this movement with the love of unity consciousness. <coughs> Charge this movement with the power of unity consciousness. A transforming energy blaze through this network of souls to help inspire the masses into empowered right action. May any media coverage for next Saturday's March on Washington deliver only the highest truth with total integrity. May justice prevail in every reflection of the March on Washington on August 26, 2023. Great Spirit, please continue to expand the benevolent radiation surrounding this movement, blazing it forth to bless all who are still holding on to any polarized emotions and divisive mental patterns, contributing to the appearance of inequality. May every person and help every person to see that we are one, one with the earth and one with each other. Let positive change come swiftly in accordance with the highest good of all. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we call forth the highest blessings for all of our government. In the name of love and liberty, we now invoke the total empowerment of a governmental body that supports the highest good of every living thing in this nation and its government on federal, state, and local levels, as well as each and every nation. May the collective presence of the celestial realms come forth now to support the best outcomes possible in this deeply transformational work. By and through universal law, purify the governing soul of this nation and every state and every city and that of every city across the planet of all corrupting influences, instantly requalifying every divisive thought, polarized emotion, and discordant deed through the revolutionary power of love's intelligence. Saturate the leaders, politicians, candidates, decision makers, and all voters across this nation and every nation, along with all of the people that they serve with the light of divine understanding. Motivate the government of the United States in each and every nation to take much greater action toward the cultivation of lasting peace and goodwill, both locally and internationally. Inspire the economic leaders, 
of this nation and every nation to work together in harmony to ensure the health and prosperity of all citizens, wildlife, and the environment in this and in every forthcoming generation. Empower the true spirit of democracy in the United States and in every nation across the planet. Great presence, please open and augment the pathways of light over every governmental building and office in each city, each capital, each nation, each state, each province, and send wave after wave of transforming love into the entire political consciousness of all, each and every nation, each and every aspect of government to support the highest levels of purification possible. Let divine governance emerge quickly to serve as a potent catalyst for positive societal and systemic change. May this intervention and its containing matrix be made imperishable, eternally sustained, all powerfully active and ever expanding until the evolutionary plan is fulfilled for America, all of the Americas, each and every nation, and each state, city, and province within each nation. With profound gratitude, it is done, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. By and through the light of, uni- of divine mind, we invoke the full empowerment of every person participating in the meeting between Japan, South Korea, and the U.S. May we all come into greater heart connection, entering into the deepest experiences of conscious union with one another. Great Spirit, please bathe all of the attendees and facilitators at this summit here this weekend in the light of truth, clarity, and wisdom. Clear and expand the inner channels for higher intelligence to flow in more easily, bringing with it the inspired solutions that we seek for these three nations and each and every nation. Please raise the energy of this gathering with the power of love, activating the highest levels of coherence in the group energy field. Let love prevail. Let all people love. We ask that any darkness and corruption surrounding any issues that are discussed be purified and redeemed through the light of grace. May the truth be revealed. May the portals of light over this meeting be opened and expanded now, sustaining a continuous wave of enlightenment that assists in empowering the spiritual, political, societal, scientific, and environmental develops necessary for the harmonious evolution of all life on Earth. Let this vision be realized through the practical means of inspired right action. By and through universal law, it is done. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And take a nice deep breath. 
So the intention for this next prayer is for everything across the planet, but it, but my first intention was for um, assistance with Hawaii. And of course, we have all of the any other wildfires. There's plenty of them in California and, and many many other states. I started looking up uh, all the different places, and it was too much to even mention. So we just call in the highest love and light to this planet for all of our issues. Anything that is blocking us from creating heaven on earth, as we ask everyone to come into resonance and come into alignment with their divine presence and take the action that is needed to create heaven on earth. Great divine presence, I invoke into dynamic action the many streams of universal light and all of the higher intelligence responsible for its direction. May we join together now as one luminous force field of transformation to empower this planetary service activity. Assisting angels, please fill my entire consciousness with a mighty flow of sacred fire. Send this cleansing fire deep into every atom of my being, initiating a meticulous purge of any discordant and imbalanced energies within my subtle body system. Reveal the wholeness of my greater self. Saturate the land, animals, plants, atmosphere, and all bodies of water in, through, and around this planet with constant waves of transforming light. Send this transmuting energy deep into every particle of life in each nation, bringing forth the profound alchemy of true healing. Restore the Earth's immune system in each and every nation, again, especially those that we are holding in our circle of support, including um, the wildfire regions of Hawaii. Restore the Earth's immune system to all of these areas and the entire planet to the highest levels, to the highest level. Well, you can hear me. I apologize. For the interruption. Yes, we can hear you now, sir. Okay. Well, we're restoring the Earth's immune system to the highest levels of divine strength and invincibility. Please circulate an immense penetration of the cosmic light throughout the mass consciousness of each and every nation across the planet. Send this absolving light deep into the bodies, minds, and souls of every person destined to evolve at this time, effecting through a holistic purification in each and every region and a purification throughout this entire planet. Raise the collective presence of each and every nation and the entire planet into unity consciousness Beloved Creator, please continue to drench 
this planet and each nation within this planet, each and every area, each and every person, in vast amounts of transforming universal light, keeping this planet free from all harmful influences that would seek to inhibit the fulfillment of the divine plan, bring harmony, empowerment, and positive shift to everyone and everything within this sphere of influence. May this invocation be qualified through the agency of universal law for the greater good of all. Thy will be done. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And so we're going to ask that this work be sealed, be maintained and sustained, expanding to perfection, and that easily and effortlessly may manifest all that we've invoked here today. So take a nice deep breath to come back into your room, back into your body, fully aligned, body, mind, and spirit. As we give thanks for this opportunity to serve. So I thank you all for your divine service today, as well as your patience with my communication issues. In addition to that, I invite you to join for further divine service every Sunday and Monday for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call. And so um, join us on Sundays and Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. And for the first 25 minutes, we have greetings. We have an update from Tower and Rama after that. And then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we have, it's time to begin our work in earnest and do our work of bringing heaven to the planet. So we start our meditation at that time with different invocations and dispensations and activations and visualizations. So if you're not a regular, I hope you become a regular and join us. The telephone number to dial is area code 480-660-2224. It's 480-660-2224. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. I hope you heard every word clearly, and I hope you'll join us on Sunday and Monday. And uh, I look forward to communing with you again at that time. So we want to take this time to thank Taran Rama for their continuous service and Rainbird for her service as I pass the talking stick to Rainbird, filled with amazing frequencies and such amazing golden light and the assistance of every, every aspect of life. Infinite blessings. Have a glorious week. And we'll see you on the Sunday and Monday call. I'm going to pass the talking stick to you, Rainbow. Thank you so much. 
okay. I got that talking stick, and where you are there in Boone, if you walk around that lake, you can find crystals. And if you walk up the creek, you can for sure find crystals. The weather's been good. You, they, they have surfaced, and I would bet on it that you find crystals. <laughs> so I hope you get a chance to do that. Thank you, sweetheart. Well, we'll call in that crystalline energy as well. Thank you. Yeah, Surrounding that talking stack, and, and much love to you, and much love to all of you. Uh, so I'm going to sign off. Okay. And so I'm here Thank to do the housekeeping. <laughs> there we go. Oh, sorry about that. Uh... Thank you. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, Don? I woke everybody up, Don. I think that's what has gone yeah, on. It's, it's those new lines. I, <laughs> I got to get them to fix that, and I will. Oh, yeah, okay. that, that's a reminder. Great, we'll that send good right. vibrations and some fairies and some angels to help. Here we go. Okay. All right. So we are listeners part of radio program, and it's each of us that make it happen. And so we are so grateful for you and all that you are contributing and in keeping us here on the radio. We're grateful for BBS Radio, and uh, we have. $277.75 that we need each week. And so far we have $142.18 to go towards that. All we need is $136 to complete that deal. So with what we're looking for and here's how we do it. We go into our heart space, see what is ours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And there on the home page, you'll see the schedule for the different programs. And for this program, it's on radio station two at the 3.30 hour, which is a central time. And you'll see that listing there with the icon. And as you click on that icon, that'll take you directly to our account with CBS Radio, where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. And you'll find the other two listings for our other two programs on Thursdays the night at the round table with the panel and on Friday, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Wala, both of them at the eight o'clock hour on radio station one, EBS Radio One. And uh just click on the icon there as it shows up and you'll be uh taken directly to our account with CBS and you can make that donation that way. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the action. We're grateful to meet each week, all three of those times, <laughs> is as a family. We've been doing this a long time, and it's a good way to have that conversation that we need to have that keep us inspired through the rest of the week. So lots of gratitude for all of you for participating and lots of gratitude for Tara and Ron for what they do and we're assisting them with for being able to do that by helping them out with their bills and so we need they need this week um a Geico bill that's due on Wednesday is $104.29 and also they need $200 in living expenses so roughly $305 is what we're looking for to support Tara and Rama this week. And, yeah, that should be there by Wednesday for that GACO bill. So that's the deadline. And uh, earlier is always better. <laughs> so here's here's how we make a contribution to 
Tara and Rama, you want to access Rama's PayPal account or the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. So you find that link for the PayPal account either on the uh, updates that come out or by going to rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, there's menu grid. Click on that. Near the bottom of the list that drops down, you will see a donate link. Click on that, and that takes you directly to our account with PayPal, the Rainbow Roundtable account with PayPal. And you can make that donation there. So a uh, lot of gratitude for that. If you want to access the friends and family, you need to um, put in the email <clears throat> for for that account. And that email is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And so as you're sending something, and either way is perfect, we're grateful for all your contributions. So, and as we are sending something, let's let Rama know. And this is his e- email for letting him know. It's Koran, K O R A N, 999 at Comcast.net. So, we also have a mailing address if you need that. So it is as follows Ram D. Berkowitz, R A M D. Berkowitz, B E R K O W I T Z, Post Office Box 280, 280, at Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567 is the zip code. And again, Post Office Box 280. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information. And we're so grateful that you're here and and making those donations and keeping it happening <laughs> each and every week and, and keeping Tara and Rama in food and gas and all the things that they need for their contribution to what we do here. And uh, so with that, I'm going to pass this talking stick. And it's Cheryl. Cheryl said it best. It has all the the frequencies that you can imagine, and all the rays. And it also has lots of fairies and feathers and magical creatures like <laughs> like unicorns and dragons. And that dragon energy fire is hot. We're still in Leo. We still got. Uh, that Excalibur sort of truth, and we've got Quetzalcoatl, and I see also Bigfoot or Sasquatch, and they're they're not riding the stick; they're already there. So, greetings, Tara and Rama. Everybody else is on board. Welcome. <laughs> Here comes that talking stick. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil. Uh, so there you go. You got the stick. Greetings. Greetings. And thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbird. And thank you, Rainbird. And thank you all for Yes, thank you everyone. Coming together with all of that which is in our field to uh Create good vibrations and uh, transformation and ascension. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> and we want to play something from our friend 
Aurora Ray to start off, but Rama, I want to say some more about what's happening here. Yeah, there was a big, big solar flash, a C5 flare. Not a, not a solar flash, a solar flare. Solar flare. We'll know it when the flash hits. Oh, yeah, there will be. You'll know. <laughs> and um, I got a text from Rosa Palestine, and there were two Palestinian brothers that were uh, gone over the rainbow by the IDF and placed the violet fire. It's quite a drama. Um, Rosa was quite emotional talking about it and saying, Israel, you know, it's not the people, it's the extreme right-wing lunatic fringe of the government that has taken over. Yeah, we have to know that the United States approves of everything that yeah. super elitist right-wing leadership does. And they're that's where we got to put our foot down. They're attached at the hip, and yeah. it's not pretty because it's a... A marriage made in hell, so to speak. And our Congress is completely compromised aside from a few that are not taking bribe money from Israel to spew the lies that Israel is the great savior in the Middle East. They, oh, it's too long a story. Yet Rosa just said, you know, uh, bring on the solar flash and blaze the violet fire. And um, in terms of the other news, it's uh, all I can say is we are watching unprecedented moments right now where our compromised Department of Justice, I don't even know if I can say that in a there are good people within all the agencies. It is about the fingers of Sauron or whatever, you know, Thanos or however you want to see the dark side, Vader. There are good people in all of the departments that are working in every branch of government and our Supreme Court. Yet, it is these fingers of the dark side that are being removed. And I got to say, it's got to do with this energy that's coming in from the Hunabku, the um, super galactic center, then galactic center, then Alcyone and Mother Sekhmet and Helios and Vesta and our son, and here we are. It takes eight minutes for the sun's light to hit the earth. And I mean, in that amount of time, amazing things can happen when you focus with the energies and go into the oneness. I've experienced it myself. And I have to just say, in place the violet fire, it, 
is an intense time to be here. It's, um, I'm going to play this. Tell everybody what it's called. This is a, a powerful cosmic healing and ascension event. The paradigm shift, shifting great solar flash from Aurora Ray. The Great Solar Flash. We are in the midst of a planetary scale shift that is beyond the normal bounds of human experience. It's a cosmic event that has traveled across many light years into our 3D universe, and it's about to change everything we think we know about reality. It is the Great Solar Flash. This is very powerful. It is an energetic event that will impact every aspect of our lives on Earth and in the universe. It will help make the transition from so-called materiality to higher dimensions faster and smoother than ever before. As a result, we can experience massive energy shifts within our bodies and more fully connect with each other. In addition, it's predicted that during this time, star seeds such as yourself will have more access to higher realms of consciousness such as angels, ascended masters, and ETs. In fact, this event has been in the making for a long time and is likely the most important energetic shift of our time. If you have been following any of my previous posts, you already know that I've been showing people how to prepare for this event for their entire lives. So. Let me tell you about what's happening. This message is for all those who will be awakening after the solar flash. There are many predictions about what will happen during and after this galactic alignment and solar flash event. This information is about what I feel will occur based on my own experiences and understanding. I am not predicting that this is how it will be for everybody, but this is how it will be for many. If you want to explore your life, find out what is happening inside of you that might not be helping you and feel connected to a greater sense of purpose and meaning. The solar flash will facilitate an elevated frequency that will enable you to break through the limitations of this universe to connect with what lies ahead effortlessly. The great solar flash is not just a physical event, but also an energetic one that has a profound impact on our lives on Earth and throughout the universe. When this happens, we can feel it physically as well as mentally. The physical effects include an increase in energy, a feeling of deep relaxation, and increased synchronicity. The mental effects are even more profound as we enter a state of heightened awareness and connection with our spirit guides and angels. We are given the opportunity to go beyond our current limitations and evolve into greater levels of consciousness. The solar flash has been happening for a long time, but it was not recognized as such until now. It is said to be connected with the rise of extraterrestrial civilizations and their contact with humans. The solar flash has also been connected with an increase in UFO activity and other extraterrestrial events, such as crop circles appearing on Earth and other planets in our solar system. It will help us to release all that is not serving us, including old karma and old patterns from the past, so that we can move forward into our next stage of growth and evolution. The event comes at a time when we are ready to make changes in our lives. 
once again allowing us to take full responsibility for our actions and their outcomes. The solar flash is expected to bring about many incredible changes for humanity. It will be an opportunity for us to ascend from this dimension into a higher vibrational frequency that can be accessed through meditation and or astral travel. It will also be an opportunity for us to heal ourselves from all forms of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual illness. The solar flash will bring us a whole plethora of positive changes. It will bring about the gift of ascension and show us how to transform our negative aspects into positive ones. It is definitely something that every human being should be looking forward to with excitement and optimism as it will change our world forever and transform it into a much better place. This is a powerful healing and ascension event that we have been preparing for many years. This particular event will be occurring very shortly. Even if the date of its occurrence does not hold any special significance for you, I still encourage you to make preparations for it. You never know when cosmic events may come along and change your life forever. This event will bring about massive positive changes for all of humanity and the earth, allowing us to enter a new epoch of peace, harmony, and prosperity, an exciting era that we've been preparing for throughout many lifetimes. The time is now to begin preparing for this event. We have the power to trigger the flash by changing our consciousness and activating our DNA, which will transform the planet into a fifth dimensional world. Write down any questions you might have and leave them be. Focus only on the now and do not worry about the future. Be appreciative of the present. Crave to receive everything that the universe has to offer. If we can focus on the positive and allow our vibration to rise every single day, we will receive unimaginable healing energy, release as much negativity as possible, and all of the miracles that are destined for our lives will occur before our very eyes throughout the year ahead. For those who are sincere in their intention, I cannot envision why this would not be a reality. Have faith and trust, and know that no matter what happens with this incredible solar flash event or anything else in your life during this year, that the universe is always working for good in love and light. So begins the greatest event to take place in our lifetime. But this flash is not just for those who believe in its existence. Rather, it is for everyone, whether they recognize it or not. The cosmic energy released during the solar activation will reach all people, even those who are still in denial of its existence. That is how powerful this is and why we must prepare ourselves now by doing whatever we can to increase our vibrational frequency and be ready to move into a higher state of being. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Okay, so let's start with our next piece, Rob. Okay. Tell everybody what it's about. Um, 
This is called Walking Between Worlds with Ethan Fox and Michaela Sheldon. Ah, things are jumping around. And, um, they're talking about masculine and feminine energy. I think I printed it out for you to read. Yes, I'm just in scrambled eggsville right here. You've got to read it from the page. Mm. There, it's right there. You can do that one. This is about raising our frequencies to balance masculine and feminine energies, uh, wisdom and insights through higher dimensional access. In this episode, Michaela and Ethan discuss how they walk between the third, fourth, and fifth dimensions in day-to-day life. Some of the topics include the split of timelines, the dual earth theory, the economic climate and alternative currencies, inflation, the great flood, and how it will manifest in the current world, Pluto and Capricorn and Aquarius and its various manifestations, and prepping to ride out the period of turbulence. Uh, okay, here we go. Here we go. This is one hour and 20 minutes, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Awaken Empowered podcast. I'm Michaela Sheldon. I'm here with Ethan Fox. And if you are seeing any ads on our videos, including this one, feel free to scoot on over to Rumble where you can watch us ad free. We are also up on Spotify and Apple podcasts. So you can, you can check us out there as well. And unless you've been living under a rock for a very long period of time, you probably know that we're going through a very chaotic earthly transition here on the planet, including a, a split of timelines and truly a revisiting of ancient history that that I think we're all here to work out. And lately, there's been a lot of questions in my inner circle community, and we've been exploring a lot of these topics on the, the channeled revelation shows that we get a lot of questions on as well. So we thought we'd tackle this topic in a podcast so that Ethan and I could explain um, exactly how we see this timeline shift in this period on earth, especially how we see it unfolding over the next couple of years and how we are personally preparing uh, to smoothly sail through that in a very highly conscious way. Hey, Dr. Drew and my wife Susan here. We want to show you something. You've probably seen this guy all over your feed claiming that cutting carbs isn't necessary for weight loss. One of the biggest fitness myths is when people say carbs make you fat. Carbs don't make you fat. I'm a big donut. So I think we need to start. We need to preface this topic really at the highest level. Uh, for those of the those of you who haven't watched the podcast or are privy to the channeling, um, and, and this has really been something that my guides have been harping on since before 2015, that right now we would be in the midst of a very chaotic 
timeline collision, meaning that we're revisiting some of the most prominent historic timelines that have taken humanity off track in terms of their divine blueprint, our ability to evolve and to actually move into higher and higher dimensions. Now, we didn't know how that was all going to play out, obviously, but over the last couple of years, we got a taste as to how some of that history is actually showing up in modern day times. And my guides talk a lot about reptilian influence, which is a huge topic in and of itself. And, and we have had some questions on this, but, you know, why would we come to Earth to experience something like this? Well, at the very beginning of Earth's history, I don't think we chose to actually have these experiences take shape. But not unlike anywhere throughout history and throughout the universe, there have been wars, there have been cataclysms. And so we're not only dealing with earthly history, but we're also dealing with the the spiral of time, the Akashic records, everything that has been created before becomes the foundation of what we will create in the future. So unfortunately, what this reptilian consciousness or influence has done is it's limited our ability to actually work within the purity of our genetic template and to live on a planet without interference as well. So many of those things, Ethan's done a brilliant job of going back and having the guides address in a very um, sequential way uh, as to what we're experiencing today. And I can say personally, from my perspective, and I've said this before, we're really seeing that reptilian influence pretty obviously at the ground level. Um, and I don't want to start out on a negative note, but I think that has to be addressed when we're looking at the same themes of genetic modification, um, artificial intelligence, malevolent technologies, that are still attempting to lower our consciousness and suppress our vibration. For example, many of you who tune into these podcasts understand the, the current tug of war that we have going on with the World Economic Forum, which in my mind has a lot to do with global consolidation of power uh, versus decentralization and the power coming back to the people which I know is also showing up in the astrological influences as well. Right. And you know, we've talked about this numerous times on previous shows about the cycles that are happening now and how it's a repeat of cycles that have happened in the past when similar events occurred. So, you know, as we entered Pluto and Aquarius, we're seeing, uh, you know, it's not obvious to maybe a lot of people. I mean, some people are probably more focused on one end than the other, meaning some people may be noticing more of the dystopian uh, control systems that are in place, like the World Economic Forum, while other people are seeing the the more positive, progressive, like consciousness expansion and things like that, or even some beneficial technological innovations that are happening in the world, which are positive aspects of, of Pluto and Aquarius. So, so we're going to see both. Um, as Pluto enters Aquarius, we're going to see both. And, uh, meaning we're going to see the control systems escalating in this decade until, I would say until the end of this decade, till about 2033, we're going to see those things escalating. And although a lot of people are not paying attention to these things, 
Um, I pay attention to what's happening on both sides. So I notice what's happening in the physical third dimensional world, which we're still, you know, most of us are still walking in that world. Um, even though we may not be living in that world, we still are affected by the things that are happening in that world to the extent that we're participating in mind mainstream society. Now, if, uh, if you're not participating in mainstream society very much, then those things may not affect you. Maybe you're living on a property and you have plenty of money. Yeah, but even money is if you're using conventional money, you're still being affected by what's happening in mainstream society. So you can't, as long as you're walking the earth right now where we're walking between a third to a fifth dimension transition, there are going to be times when you're walking in a third dimension or rather interfacing with third dimensional things such as money. And, uh, but you may live a very fifth dimensional existence otherwise. So, so there's going to be some of both. And so to some respect, we have to pay attention to both. And I think where a lot of the dystopian things that are happening in this decade and early part of next are really going to be on the third dimensional aspect, which is financial control systems and other things like that. But meanwhile, the other side is also going to be moving forward, which and pushing up against that, which is the uh, move toward a freer society, which Pluto and Aquarius is much more freedom oriented, Pluto and Capricorn, which is Saturn which we just left behind, but the influence still remains till the end of this decade, early next. So we're still seeing those old systems in place. And as in recent channel revelation shows, we talked about Saturn being attributed to Saturday or Saturn day or even satanic kind of things. So, so that sort of control system, the Saturn structures, governments and uh, institutions that are uh, controlling the world, we would, attribute to Pluto and Capricorn, which is now uh, fading away. But while it's fading away, those influences still remain and they'll continue to uh, escalate. Meanwhile, they're losing power and influence. And I think you can already see that in this year uh, as an example, as Pluto entered Aquarius, we're starting to see a lot of those control systems failing. But meanwhile, they're ramping them up at the same time. So we're seeing... Uh, even the next um, virus is coming out, but a lot more people don't buy into those things anymore. So, so the adoption isn't there to the same degree as was the case in the last decade as Pluto was in Capricorn. So what we'll see in this decade is the control systems are going to struggle to stay in power and they're going to lose control. Meanwhile, people will become move more toward more freedom and more independence from these uh, control systems. And as a result, the people in control are going to escalate their ability to control. Um, and so we're going to see that push and pull of both sides as Pluto enters Aquarius. And in, and in technology, too, Aquarius is a very technology-oriented influence. So we will see uh, huge in, innovations in technological advancement, but some of them are going to be part of the control system, like the uh, artificial intelligence systems that are uh, coming out today and even... Uh, a lot of the other um, more dystopian technologies uh, like um, the um, uh, the iris scanning technology that's going around now where people are scanning their eyeballs to uh, to get free money um, but uh, but at the same time we're going to see huge innovations on the positive side as well so both are going to coexist in this decade and we're going to see advancements and even AI may there may be parts of AI that become positive, that become beneficial 
For example, maybe we'll have AI technologies that will help to um, scan the human body and determine how to treat different illnesses in a way that the human mind can't do very efficiently. So there will be things like that that AI could be used for in a positive way. But meanwhile, there will also be the dystopian aspects of it as well. So both elements will coexist in this decade. And then when we get to 2033 and beyond that, we're going to see the scales tipping. And as we've channeled in many shows about how uh, the world in, in many respects has gone to one extreme, if you see it as a pendulum, pendulum swings back and forth, and at each extreme, it uh, you'll see things on the earth um, at one extreme level of whatever that is. And then once it reaches that point, it unavoidably has to go to the other extreme. And now we're the last few years was one extreme. And now the pendulum is swimming, swinging to the other extreme. And as it does, those things that were extreme the last few years and really the last decade to 20 years are going to now swing to the middle where they sort of neutralize between now and I would say early next decade. And then from there on, it'll swing to the opposite extreme where much of what has been done in the last 20 years is going to be undone. And, and, and it's going to look completely different, of course, because the world is moving in a different direction. But but the extreme uh, dystopian control systems will lead to extreme freedom and independence from these control systems. And I think that's what we see on the planet right now is the availability of both for us to choose which one we want to, which you know areas we want to focus our energy. And so right now you can choose which extreme you want to, you know, or which world you want to live in. To be free and flexible and creative was really essential to what I wanted to make. And I didn't find a platform that did that other than Wix. Hi, I'm Liv. I run Double Press, a print and design studio in Brighton, UK. Yeah, I think that's an, an excellent point is we have a, a split of timelines and I, I really want to talk about that for a minute because it can be very scary and there are a lot of people even channels who are bringing in information about the new earth and the split of timelines and, and, and to me we have two parallel timelines running here on planet earth for sake of a collective type of model we have a third dimensional timeline and we have a fifth dimensional timeline and that wonky place in between is the fourth dimension where we kind of keep going back and forth. We're bridging both worlds. We're trying to manage uh, both of these different frequencies in our personal lives. And I think that's the biggest challenge that we face right now is we can see what's possible, but the possibility of it hasn't come to full fruition. And then the third dimension is a very stagnant reality. And, and there's a reason for that, many reasons for that. So so first I'll say I don't think it's wrong to live in the third dimension. Uh and I think the people who are choosing to live there are choosing, you know, to their own preference and can we talked about it in the in the channeled revelations. You can be in a third dimensional reality and have very little density. You can be very happy there. But the problem is the third dimension has kind of been capped by this we'll say program that's been running that limits our free will. So so when you're operating in the third dimension, it's the ability to see a spectrum of choices or opportunities that 
really is not available. There are certain societal rules you have to follow. There are government structures that are the norm. There's a way that we live in a way that we do things and that cannot be broken. But some people simply can't live within the confines of that box anymore. So so that's what consciousness does. It, it sort of breaks the mold of the box that we've been living in. We start considering that there are better and new ways to do things. So so we're here to constantly evolve and improve. But the earth has been limited in its ability to do that. So many of us have awakened in consciousness to the degree that that fifth dimension actually became possible. But what happens when a new dimensional timeline is available is that we have to take everything that we knew before, all of those structures that we created and were upheld really through our vibration and change them. And and that is the breakdown of the third dimensional reality. So, so we think, well, things are breaking down. It's not fair. We've got this really malevolent history that we're dealing with. And, and all of that is, is true. At the same time, we have to keep in mind that we are the ones who are moving this shift forward. So if we hadn't grown or evolved to the point that we did, there would be no reason for the breakdown of a society. There'd be no reason for us to be questioning our education, educational models, our medical models, our financial institutions. Um, we wouldn't even have any spiritual quest truly whatsoever. So, so we're learning more how to work with energy as opposed to working within the confines of solely a material reality. And so ultimately this is good, even though we have to get from here to there. And that's the part that's, that's truly so scary. So I want to address the question and, and it comes up in so many of my courses and my different channel transmissions about two separate earths and um, by no means am I trying to dog anyone who um, is stating this a different way. It's just the way that my guides have, have brought it into the channeling. Uh, I personally do not believe that the earth is splitting into two separate planets, nor will we find ourselves in two completely different realities where people that have still chosen the third dimension are not going to be available to us. Now, to some degree, we already live in a reality where we are magnetizing the people that we are meant to be with. And those are both matching our vibration and some that we have sold contracts with to awaken. So, so we're, I think we're always going to find ourselves in the midst of some people who don't necessarily see the world the same way we do. But we're meant to interface and that glue is really the entire collective evolutionary contract that we've made with every other human soul uh, on the planet because we're all meant to be here together, pushing that envelope together. So I think it would be really hard from a rational standpoint to imagine the physical earth splitting into two separate realities because to me that is a cataclysm at its highest and best. And, and speaking of cataclysms, I, I want to also touch on that because we've been talking a lot in the channeled revelations about the great flood period, for example, 
Um, and this is brought into the book. If you're reading at the time, the guides bring the great flood period into the book as well. And I haven't asked the question uh, whether or not the guides think we're going to have another cataclysm like this, a, a great flood. And what the guides say and what, what they actually brought through in the book is that consciousness tends to take very massive events like that, like cataclysms of a mass scale and break them down into smaller, more digestible events. So um, if we look at the spiral of time, like a tornado <laughs> and the tornado is coming towards the a mountain, we're the mountain. Those of us who have, you know, advanced in consciousness, who are focused on the fifth dimension, we've kind of created this roadblock where that tornado is going to break apart and has to go around the mountain and there's little fragments coming apart. And those little fragments are the mirrored events that might be similar to the great flood, but not as strong in, in their intensity. And we're seeing that unfortunately in some areas of the country, like, like Beijing, for example, where you know, they are facing very detrimental weather events. But we have to keep in mind that this all goes back to the past and the malevolent history that we've experienced that brought us to where we are today. So, so looking at the world is not an easy thing to do these days, but, but I love how you said we have to keep both timelines in perspective. And if we do, I think we can find that balance to manage it in our personal lives very efficiently. You won't believe what Elon Musk did inside the walls of this building you see behind me. I'm here in San Francisco to report on Elon's new project, something I'm calling Project Omega, a project that I believe. Yeah, I think we, you know, as in the previous show, I talked about um, how we, even with the Schumann Resonance, as an example, we're trying to, now people who are 100% in the third D, third, third dimension, they don't have these problems, right? To them, the Schumann resonance is a scientific measurement that, and they don't understand fifth dimension to even bring that into the equation. So it's pretty straightforward and simple. But we are perceiving reality from the third dimension, flat perspective, and also from a higher perspective. And as a result, I think there's a lot of confusion about how those two work together. And that's why I think where all these confusions come from. And so we're, trying to bring third dimension ideas into, I'm sorry, fifth dimensional or higher perspective ideas into a third dimensional construct, and it doesn't always work. And that's where I think a lot of these confusions come from, you know. So in the same fashion, the the two Earths concept. So the two Earths concept is a purely third dimensional concept. I know people would disagree with that idea, but when you're looking at the earth as splitting into two physical earths where there are some of some human beings are going to live on one and some are living on another, that's a purely third dimensional concept. So we're taking a third dimensional physical earth idea and we're trying to raise it to a fifth dimensional, multi-dimensional perspective. And in the process, we're creating stories that don't, that can't work because they're, the laws don't apply the same way. Uh, but if, and so, if we imagine, if we look at things realistically for a moment and think, are we really going to see our family members and friends disappear, vanish in front of us off the earth, and then they're going to be somewhere else and we're going to be here? 
uh, or maybe they pass away from whatever illnesses and they're going to disappear and go live on another earth. From a practical perspective, we know that that can't happen, right? In the reality that we're living now. Um, and what happens to all of our third dimensional friends and family members? Are they going to see us disappear from in front of them and vanish one day? That is not, I think, practical. So we have to understand that the idea of two physical earths is a physical concept, a third dimensional concept. Whereas the actual way that it works is first is the high, like the guides uh, talked about in the recent channel revelation show where it's really, we're both coexisting in the same reality. We may be walking together down the street, right? Uh, and maybe we are fifth dimensional and the person next to us is third dimensional, but they don't really care about us. And we don't really care about them in the sense that we don't feel the urge to talk to them. They don't feel like the urge to talk to us. It's almost like we're walking together on the street, but neither of us lives in each other's worlds. We don't acknowledge each other's existence in any meaningful way. We're just walking down the street. So in that sense, they're living in the third dimension. We're living in a fifth dimension. We may be thinking about fifth dimensional concepts and, and the interaction of all these things together and, and 13 dimensions and all these things and watching shows like this. And they may be thinking about, um, practical things like, you know, physical, I'm sorry, not practical, but physical things like going to their job and doing whatever work they do, which is probably a very physical third dimensional job and going home to their family and, and, you know, tending to their garden and things like that. So in their minds, they may be having these conversations in our minds while we're walking. We may be thinking about these multidimensional concepts. Meanwhile, we're walking on the same sidewalk. So I think it's it's more like that, where our family members are not going to vanish from our reality. They are still going to be there. And occasionally, we're going to have to step into the third dimension to go visit with them, meaning we'll go to their houses, right? And it's just like um, the guys talked about recently, like if I brought a uh, a handyman into this room, the handyman would see it as flat. They wouldn't, uh, that person wouldn't perceive the multidimensional aspects of the artwork on the walls and the energy of the space. They would just see everything that's flat. And if we were to go to their house, uh, or whatever reality workplace, um, it would look very flat. It would have a lot of flat kind of ideas. They wouldn't have things like the flower of life on that wall because they're perceiving reality from a very third dimensional perspective. And, um, and yet we both coexist in the same reality. And maybe occasionally uh, I have to go visit that person's reality and walk in the third dimension with them, even though in my space I'm carrying a fifth dimensional vibration. But their reality may be very third dimensional. It's sort of like um, if you have to go to government office, right, to renew your license or something like that. That's a very third dimensional space. And the people there are mostly experiencing a very third dimensional reality. And the whole idea of licensing is a third dimensional concept. Yet most of us who drive cars have licenses, uh, even though some of us know better, we still participate in those third dimensional things. It doesn't mean that tomorrow the earth is going to split and the secretary of state is going to go away. 
Um, it, it means that those things will still exist and we will participate in them when we need to or when we have to. Uh, maybe Thanksgiving comes up and we have to go to our family events and it's a very third dimensional space, but we will visit those things when we need to and we'll interact with those people in a third dimensional way. The difference might be you'll go to this event and maybe you'll have nothing to say to anybody and they won't have much of anything to say to you except for trivial kind of things that are more third dimensional. Uh, whereas your mind is weighing out all these multidimensional ideas and you wish you could talk to everybody about it. But if you were to do it, probably nobody would understand what you're saying. So it, it, that is really how the tours are going to manifest. It, and it's not something that's someday happening. It already is happening. You know, I think a lot of people are waiting for the split to occur, but the split is occurring now. And we know it's occurring now because you're having these experiences, right? You're going to your family events and you're, you can't talk about anything. Um, or if you do, they don't understand you or think you're crazy. Um, and meanwhile, the conversations around the table can be very third dimensional in nature. And while you understand what they're saying, you may not really feel engaged or interested in participating in those things, or you may do it just to make conversation. And that's, the difference. That's what this split of Earth is going to look like. It's already there. It's just going to become more and more obvious, I think, with time, that divergence between those two groups of people. Um, you know, you experience it with your family. I do as well. Um, I don't really interact with a lot of people outside of these communities these days. And but when I occasionally do have to be around more third dimensionally oriented people, I pretty much don't talk about anything that's multidimensional in, in nature. I, I bring thing, things to a third dimensional level and mostly for me, that's small talk, basic things, right? Um, and uh, on rare, as you know, we've joked about this before in, in, in Michaela's parents, at least you can carry on a conversation with them about these topics. They may not know what she's talking about, but at least they'll entertain it and they have some concept of it. But if I tell my mother, uh, who's still alive about these things, she says absolutely nothing. And at first I thought it would, I couldn't quite figure it out, but I understood later on. It's just that these ideas are the life that I live, even the third dimensional aspects of the life that I live, like this physical room and the studio are so foreign to her reality that she doesn't even know what to say. It's almost as if the language I'm speaking is foreign. And so she has no understanding of what I just said. Uh, and so that's the, that's the split of timelines. That is the two words. It is, People who are on the third dimension, very much like my, my family, who, if I said anything to them of, of anything that I experience in my, in my life, even the physical aspects of it to them, it is so far out of third dimension that they cannot conceive of an idea to respond. And so to them, it's either weird or it's just inconceivable or incomprehensible. And this is what the third to, you know, third or fifth dimensional split is, is looking like already. And so I don't think we, anybody needs to worry about suddenly tomorrow our family members are going to vanish off the earth and we'll never see them again. It's more like they vanished in the sense that they don't live in the same reality. 
as we live. And so we can have the same conversations with them that maybe, you know, like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I could have a third dimensional conversation, even though I was exploring these ideas in the spiritual space, I was still mostly walking in the third dimension. And uh, whereas the farther I go, the farther I go in the opposite direction and it's harder and harder to, to, um, to communicate with, uh, with people like my family, for example, who I can have very basic conversations, third dimensional conversations with, but not these multidimensional concepts. Yeah. I think this is happening in varying degrees. I mean, obviously this has been a very painful thing for some people in families, especially over the last couple of years. And, and, that split of timelines is going right through relationships, you know, intimate relationships as well as we've talked about. But, but I want to play onto a couple of things that you said here. Um, you know, for example, we talk about third dimensional systems coming down and, and how is that going to happen? It's, it's not going to happen overnight, but I found myself running an errand for a family member last week and I stopped at a local drugstore, pharmacy, right? Convenience store kind of chain place that I would have frequented before all of the time, but I hadn't had any reason to go in there. And I was looking around at all of the the products and the, you know, things that the store carried. And I thought, wow, there is absolutely nothing in this store that I personally need to purchase. And I think that's how it's going to happen. So we're going to find this breakdown of these large chain stores and more conventional settings because People are awakening out of some of these things that, you know, we really are leading a lifestyle that they don't fit into anymore. And I think the same thing could actually happen with the secretary of state, because, I mean, those of us in these circles know that the requirements that we are asked to fulfill aren't truly requirements at all. So so the more people that don't necessarily follow that path the less will need those things and they may tend to fall apart. But, but the thing to keep considering is we are the ones who are creating that path. So a lot of um, channels, people, I mean, even ask me to prophesize about, you know, how is this going to happen and, and what's going to happen? Well, nobody knows because while we can look at the landscape currently and the guides can give us a lot of information vibrationally about what they think will happen. We are the ones through every choice that are navigating this timeline shift and we are determining how fast or how slow it's going to happen. And with that, I think we also have to consider that we do have a built-in mechanism for how everything happens uh, as a collective. For example, the solar flash is another you know, big topic of conversation where, you know, I've heard people talk about the fact that there's going to be this huge solar flash event and and it's going to change the earth in a day and we're going to wake up the next day and everything's going to be completely different. Very controversial, but I have channeled the complete opposite. And what the guides say is if you can go back and look at what's been happening with the solar over the last, I mean, even since 2012, What's going on is the solar is moderating itself to our readiness to actually shift into that new dimension. So, so we're not really designed to have to go through these 
very quick, automatic, even catastrophic events, those things are planned by others. Those things are typically signs of manipulation. We're actually structured to move through our soul's divine plan and our evolutionary path in a very comfortable and gradual way. And so what we're going to notice over the next several years with the energies and, you know, solar, plasma, you know, all of that stuff is they're going to continue to increase, which is good news because if we're meeting lower vibrational timelines with higher vibrational consciousness, we're going to be able to handle the challenges that we're inevitably going to face because we're already facing them. Um, we can see some of the things that are coming and it's important for us, I think, to physically prepare. You know, we have to use the the critical mind as well as our intuition and the guidance that we're getting to set into motion, you know, all of the things that we think will be necessary to yeah, smoothly sail, as we've mentioned, through the next several years. And I, I personally think between now and 2025, that's going to be one of the rockiest periods. And you might have a different perspective on that from astrology only because I noticed the patterns that my guides bring in to personal sessions. So uh, a lot of people come to me for one-on-one private sessions. And of course, everyone is here to do something, you know, really big in the world. And the guides have been alluding to the next several years being a really rapid and chaotic kind of transition, you know, more towards the fifth dimension. But in order to do that, remember, systems are going to break down. So a lot of the things we've relied on in the third dimension that have been very convenient for us uh, may either be more controlled, uh, harder to work with or not available at all. And so this is what Ethan and I have been, you know, looking forward to and preparing for in our personal lives. And and I think that's where a lot of the questions actually come in for us is, you know, what are we doing? Uh, How are we perceiving this time on planet Earth? And, you know, what choices are we making? The real benefit and the real value in being a lawyer is, and of course, Bill Gates, approval to darken the sun right and uh and i think with um it's very timely under the circumstances right and so i think whether they consciously know it or not these individuals who control the world are aware of these these factors happening in the world and as in recent channel revelation shows we've talked about how um you know these themes are playing out again through the different things that they're doing and uh you mentioned the the flood uh the great flood and how it's happening in more micro experience mm-hmm. on the planet today and that's encompassed in all of this i mean there's weather modification taking place right now all the world's governments have weather modification technology so much of the weather conditions we're seeing around the world today are artificial um and they're doing things like spraying chemicals in the air or even in recent months, they were, um, they started some sort of chemical fire in Canada that was blowing across Michigan and they were saying it's just wildfires, but there's enough evidence to show that it wasn't a wildfire. Plus, 
the testing equipment I have here was showing different kinds of chemicals. So it wasn't really uh, a wildfire as we would, you know, see a forest fire type of chemicals show up. So, so they're doing all these kinds of experiments to modify people's behavior and to under the guise of global warming or climate change, right? And that's the, the, the umbrella under which they're using to cause fear in people to usher in all of these control systems, which are very much like during the, the great flood, except they're happening in smaller bits, right? And for those of you who may follow what's happening in China, as Michaela mentioned, they have lots of uh, major flooding in many of their cities right now. And because the dams, uh, they've released the water in the dams due, due to apparently due to rainfall. Uh, and, uh, and as a result, many of the cities and villages there are underwater and the people are suffering immensely. So, so you're seeing little pockets of those kinds of things. Um, and ultimately, you know, if we go back to the great flood story, which was a lot of the population of the world was reduced, uh, because, uh, and we're going to get this, uh, get into this more in future shows, but, but a lot of the population of the world was reduced. And I think that same mindset still exists today in the minds of the world leaders and their, you know, the whole population reduction, uh, program that people like Bill Gates are involved in. Um, is, is still prevalent today. So it's the exact same thing that happened in ancient times during the Great Flood, which is happening today, except it's happening in pockets throughout the planet in less severe ways. We're not seeing a global flood, but we're seeing little micro, uh, impacts here and there, such as he's darkening the sun, which, you know, as we've seen, if, if you looked at the data, um, when, the, you know, their idea is to reduce the temperature, or at least that's what they're saying, uh, in, in doing, and also reduce the carbon dioxide. But if we look back historically through to thousands of years or tens or even millions of years ago, whenever CO2 levels were reduced, there was less human life. So human life exists in this range of CO2 levels. So obviously, if they succeed in reducing CO2, there's going to be few of us on the planet. So, and we're seeing that through vaccine proliferation, chemtrails, 5G, everything, right? So, so I think a lot of people are getting hung up on the great flood being about a flood as opposed to it was about population reduction, yeah. right? And the flood was just a way through which it was done where today we're not going to see a flood that emer- that submerges the entire planet, but we are seeing vaccines, we're seeing 5G, we're seeing the darkening of the sun, we're seeing, you know, CO2 reduction uh, programs that are uh, that are going to, so all these things together, I mean, people are more sick now as a result of all these things that have occurred in recent years. And so the end result is still the same, population reduction. There are fewer children getting married and, or, you know, uh, young adults getting married and having children of their own. Uh, you know, your kids, for example, are in that generation. Uh, and that generation, they don't want to have kids. Um, so we're seeing in China also, um, they don't want to have kids because the Chinese people are suffering so greatly right now. They don't want to bring kids into the world. And, and many of them don't have money. They've lost their homes. Um, and so we're seeing the same thing. So the great flood, I don't think is about the flood. The flood was just the means through which reduced population was achieved for the same reason as it was back then, which is the gods who ruled the world at that time couldn't control the people 
because the people were proliferating too much and getting too powerful and becoming too smart and, and they needed to reduce the population. Same agenda exists today in, in this, uh, in this situation, but it's not necessarily a global flood, right? It's a lot of little things. So, so that's what I, I, I get from all these, uh, all these things that we pay attention to. Yeah. And that can sound pretty scary. Um, to those who are watching, because, you know, what do you do about all of that? But again, we have to keep in mind that we're revisiting history with new characters, new, you know, stages, new, you know, techniques and technologies. It's just a revisiting of something extremely important for us to awaken to and create something different. So, so we have to address fear, number one, because if we're going about this from fear, we're going to end up in the same exact timeline that we've been on since that great flood and even before, because that's what that timeline experience is truly all about. It, it's about a collective being controlled and in so much fear that they are dominated and are restricted in their ability to live freely. So the only solution to that is that we get out of the fear and we live freely anyway. And I know that's not an easy thing for everyone to do at this point in time on the planet, but you know, I think you have to take everything, you know, little by little and and address it one thing at a time. But also what you're saying, it it leans into another question I get and um, something that the guides talk about a lot, which is a very, uh, great migration of people um, over the next several years. And, and I think this will be, for me, one of the highlights of going through this very chaotic period is that there's an intelligence to the process. So, so whenever there is a problem, the guides say it, it's born of the solution because it's somehow moving us in the right direction. So even though these things exist and even though they seem to be getting worse, they can actually be a navigation for us to move to something better at a time on the planet when, you know, we are the solution. We are the ones who are building that fifth dimension. So when the guys refer to this great migration, um, it, it comes from various standpoints. You know, we alluded a little bit to government consolidation. So so right now we're in this tug of war between this consolidated world government and, and decentralization, which is, I believe, where we're going to end up and where we want to be anyway. And so we can already see this playing out. Um, a number of years ago, the guides came in and told me, for example, here in the United States, that we would see each state actually rising up into its own mini country, meaning every state was going to break somewhat away from the union and start doing their own thing because of the very tight restrictions, right? And, and, and so states have been here in the United States completely different. I mean, we've even had Florida, for example, um, adopting a law about central bank digital currency and not allowing that to be a part of their financial system. So this is going to be more the norm as we walk through the next several years is we're going to see smaller um, states, communities coming up with their own set of rules. 
And some of those might be very third dimensional. There are people out there who might want a central bank digital currency. Um, and there will be places for those people to go. And there will be places where there will be more freedom. And so because of that, the guides say we're going to see this mass migration, which is actually leading to what they call cosmic family reunions, which is, you know, highly conscious people now magnetizing and reuniting with their tribes. And this could be for a myriad of reasons. It could be for, you know, to find organic food or more resources or better supplies or because of weather events. So even though these things are playing out, I think ultimately what they're doing is they're they're moving people around to find new family and find new community and build those those fifth dimensional timelines in their own geographic regions or new ones. However, the guide said this wouldn't pan out for another couple of years. So people are asking me all the time, you know, is it a good time to move? Where do you go? Where do the guides say is good to go? The guides say, we don't know yet <laughs> because we're all creating it. We're co-creating it together. So, so they can't prophesize and say, well, you know, Europe is going to be the place to go where all the freedom is going to be or, or Colorado we see as, you know, one of the best places to go. Um, they say, wait and see. Right now is a time for exploration, um, research, but not necessarily a time to place an anchor anywhere in, in, in ground. So, so what I've decided, and I know, you know, what, what we're doing is, is we're really just kind of staying put and observing, um, what's going on in the world and what's going on in various parts of the world that either we prefer or we think, well, that's certainly not going to be for us. But we have to keep in mind that could change in a moment's notice because we're going to see a lot of shuffling around of world leaders. It's going to be a lot of changes going on in, you know, the financial system and all of that. So, so hanging back and getting really comfortable where you are has been a recommendation of the guides and in setting yourself up for success. So, Ethan and I aren't necessarily preppers <laughs> and I don't even like that word because to me, unless you really love to do that and there are people out there that love to do that, it, it typically comes from a, a fearful place. But I think setting up your home to be very simple and efficient and, and to have the things on hand that you use and, and you need um, at a time when we might not have them readily available at our fingertips is, is a really good place to focus. And you know, we do that in many different areas. Not long ago, Rita Levy Montalcini celebrated her 103rd birthday. And then during the festivities, she made a speech. And in that speech, she said, my mental capacity is greater today than when I was. Yeah, I think, um, in terms of, you know, where to move, uh, it's going to be, uh, I follow some people on YouTube. I watch uh, innumerable different kinds of videos and my research and my own personal interests from financial markets and to archaeology and such. And uh, over the past few years, some of those YouTubers have traveled from place to place. You know, they've moved to another country because it was less dystopian than in the U.S. And then all of a sudden the place where they moved became very dystopian. They had to move from there to back to the U.S. And uh, I think that's the that's the problem between now, I would say, 
at least until the very end of this decade. It's not, unless you love traveling and that's just something you do for fun, um, it's not going to be easy to determine where is a good place to live based on your own values, your vibration, because it may be great where you are now, and then by next year it may not be so great. Um, so, so I think the best thing to do is to find some place you like living where you feel comfortable and stay there. And if you don't feel comfortable there, then move somewhere you do feel comfortable. And it's not really, um, in terms of the external, you know, three-dimensional location of where you live, it's not going to be easy to determine which areas are the are going to resonate with you just yet because all those things will be up in the air for a little while. So, you know, what we do really more is to cultivate our inner reality and which means creating an environment where you feel happy and content and fulfilled doesn't really matter what's going on out there. You know, let let people out there do what they do and let them live their lives however they want doesn't have to impact you. And I think the idea about prepping, what we don't like about the idea about prepping is what you mentioned is because the conventionally the idea of prepping is a fear-based idea. It is, uh, it is the fear that everything in the world is going to go south. And as a result, south meaning negative. Um, and as a result, we're going to be stuck in an uncomfortable place, either not have enough food or you know, recent years, toilet paper, whatever. Um, we're going to see these kinds of things in different parts of the world. And we have no control over those things. But I don't think prepping, because if I look back over my life, even when I was 20 years old, people were talking about the end of the world is coming. Yes. You know, and... And I, I had a friend back then who um, uh, I was in uh, in business with, and and he uh, had bought um, like a few years worth of uh, military rations, you know, that you you can keep in a box for years. And he kept those for a few years because because he knew for sure the world was coming to an end uh, very soon, and he would need them. But a few years later, well, they were all expiring, so he just ate them. Um, and, and that's what I, what I think has been happening for the last 30 years, at least in my observation, people have been preparing for the end of the world and yet they end up eating their MREs because, well, they're expiring anyway. I think that's the thing is if, if you are a prepper because you love doing it, then I don't see any problem. Prep all you want. Uh, but if you're a prepper because you're afraid that the world's going to come to an end, uh, and you're going to be in trouble, then I think that's not a good basis for doing that i mean for us i always say you know have six months worth of supplies of whatever you normally use not because the world's going to come to an end and there's going to be a shortage but more because things are going to be a little bit in flux for a while and so just to create a buffer between you and global insanity i think it's just smart to have a little extra of what you normally use so Maybe there's a shortage of toilet paper or eggs or something for a few months. Well, if you have a little extra of, of whatever you need, then you can let the world do what it needs to do and it has no impact on you and your experience. I think it should be treated more like that, more like a, an opportunity to just sort of create a buffer and a comfortable space to be in, not to prepare because you're afraid that you're going to starve to death. Uh, because I think fear is the underlying issue here. 
because, you know, we talk about these subjects and, and I touch on a lot of topics that scare a lot of people. But for me, it's not a fear-based thing. For me, it's really, you know, it's something interesting and fascinating and whatever. And I think fear is the biggest issue here is if we allow ourselves to go into fear, we make choices that are not healthy choices. And, you know, we may hoard toilet paper because we're afraid that it's going to run out. And then all of a sudden the toilet paper shortage is over and we've got two years worth of toilet paper stocked up. Right. And I think that's the thing that we have to understand is there are going to be a lot of artificial shortages created that are being created partly because certain companies want to make money and partly just to scare the people and keep us in control. The more we're in fear, the more we're we're controlled. And, uh, but I think if you use things on a regular basis, it's not a bad idea to have a six month cushion just so that you can ride out the fluctuations in the market. Right. I look at it from a practical sort of market perspective, Mm -hmm. because even if you look, if you look at any market, whether it's a commodity market or a stock market or whatever, there are fluctuations in the market. Sometimes it's high, next day it crashes, and then sometimes it's high, and next year it crashes. But if you are prepared for those ups and downs, then you have a smoother ride. Uh, it's not really you're afraid it's going to crash, but you're set up in such a way that it can do whatever it wants, the world can be insane or whatever, and it has very little impact on your life. And that's kind of how we, you know, how we set up our lives is just to prepare the essentials so that we can keep doing our work and we can keep living our lives and the world out there can do whatever it does. Uh, and, you know, and with regard to even supplements, as we talked about before, we've talked about some things, you know, in the last few years, um, N-acetylcysteine, for example. Now, there was a, a ban on N-acetylcysteine during the whole um, virus situation, and now it's not banned anymore. But, you know, we had enough in stock that we it didn't affect us at all. So we just continued on our, our lives. Another thing that we kept was methylene blue, which has uh, also um, been used for treating um, different kinds of illnesses and viruses and things like that. And even in hospitals, it's used. And that also is um, has been used. Uh, I was just listening to a book about how they um, used it on, I think, around 2,000 people over the last few years. And none of them tested positive. Not that I'm saying is that, that the test is actually testing anything, but but the reality is that none of those people showed any symptoms uh, or any test results that that showed them as being positive for the virus that was going around. And so these tools are available to us. And I think those are things we can just keep in stock uh, so that the world out there can be insane. And we can ride through it just like we did last few years. We didn't get sick. I mean, I didn't even have a sniffle over the last few years. And I don't think you got sick either, right? And I don't know about Barb as much, but I assume she's been fine as well. And and this is what prepping is about, is just having those things so that you can be comfortable and maintain your life and be happy and fulfilled and not in a state of fear stocking up because, you know, because you're you might starve to death or die of a virus as long as this page doesn't say expired which eventually will happen you can get two solar generators for the price of one the first a truly yeah i think the biggest issue well several big issues with food
first of all, is like we have to pay extra, extra attention now because there are new things coming into the food supply that we've never had to look for before. And we've gotten pretty savvy as conscious people as to what to weed out. But unfortunately, we have to be really on our toes, I think, even with organic products and things these days, because there's so many buyouts of these companies, you know, by large corporations that don't have the best intentions. And then Ethan and I have talked a lot about food in terms of availability, but, you know, he and I believe that the the biggest issue is going to be cost. And, and we can see that with, you know, inflation and all that's happening. So, so it makes sense to buy ahead and in quantity, uh, shelf ready things that you actually use in the house. And, you know, he and I do that all of the time. Um, but the other thing that we have to consider is just, we keep going back to fear, but I, I want to bring this into the food situation because it's really hard right now to know what sources to trust. And, and there are a lot of them out there. Um, and I, you know, you certainly do your research in various areas and I do my own and we cross over in, in some of that. But if there's one thing that I've learned over the last couple of years, <laughs> unfortunately, it's that I don't 100% trust the news of anybody because unfortunately, well, first of all, nobody really knows. We're all making a prediction based on what we see. And I do think there have been people planted even the, in the alternative media sources to create fear amongst those of us who do see what's going on. So, so we really have to touch in, you know, to how the information is being presented, but also get it from multiple sources and then step back and very calmly and rationally make our own determination, which I know is really hard in a situation like this because, you know, everyone wants to know what everyone else is doing and what's the best path to take. And, and I don't know if there is any one best path to take because, you know, we're all unique individuals with unique needs. And when we're facing a situation with so many inconsistencies and instabilities as we walk into the future, we really have to to tune into our priorities and we have to know within our guts and within our hearts what is our truth. So for me, if it's prophesizing in a very fearful way, uh, or if there are a lot of theatrics involved, um, I, you know, I tend to step back and, and put a lot of caution in the way of trusting that source. And I just take what resonates with me. As a matter of fact, if I feel like there are too many news sources predicting doom, I'll just step away for a while. You know, you're much better at tuning into that stuff than than I am. But but I know that that will affect my vibration. And when my vibration is affected or my emotional body is affected, when I'm way out into the future, it's not the right time for me to make rational decisions about food shortages or the financial system, uh, you know, planning, really planning ahead for anything. So so that's a time when when I shut it down. I think we all need to be thinking about, you know, that because we're going to see a lot more uncovered over the next several years. And, you know, we even talked in our, I think it was our last podcast, maybe the one before that about spiritual teachers that, you know, we followed that came out, you know, talking about depopulation and, you know, on the side of the vaccine, we would have never considered that those people would have done that. But, but we see now very clearly that a lot of these people with big followings, um, they have other interests 
unfortunately in mind. So, so we have to be taking care of ourselves and then also taking care of each other. And, you know, the whole idea of community comes into this. And we talked a little bit, I know, in past podcasts about going to the source. So I think we're being really challenged right now as to the idea of what our true source is in many different ways. So um, going to the source, whether it's the farmer or the the manufacturer uh, beyond the big chains, right in the middlemen, I think that's what we want moving into the fifth dimension. And it's helping us to create those really stable networks that can get us through in very challenging times. Because if there's any corruption, we know it's going to be at the level of, you know, the top echelon companies, right? The big companies that'll buy into all of that and play along. So, so we're going for making relationships with people that we can trust and building those relationships into a community or a network so that we can serve each other. No offense, but if you still think that investing in real estate is the best way to make passive income, I'm sorry, but you've got it wrong. You see, every month, county governments send me a check. I can say that I'm I'm very confident that there's not going to be a global food shortage mm-hmm. in the sense that you're not going to be able to get anything to eat, right? It's not going to happen. That doesn't mean that in isolated areas that may not happen, uh, that there may be pockets in the, around the world where that'll happen, but it won't happen in any global way. So, for example, in the United States where we are, I don't expect a food shortage all across the United States where there's not going to be anything available. But there will be pockets and there will be specific products. So like in the last few years, eggs were had a shortage, right? And so it was very hard to get eggs, but it wasn't impossible to get eggs. The only problem was it, they were getting ridiculously expensive. And I think that's more likely the case of what's going to happen. Uh, so if you have money, and the money that you have is outside of the system, meaning not in actual dollars, like maybe cryptocurrency, maybe some in dollars, then I think you can ride this out just fine. You just may end up paying a lot more for the food that you buy now. I mean, already most of you are noticing, especially if you're in Western countries and you're buying food at grocery stores, you're noticing that the food you're buying is twice or three times as much as it was just a few years ago. And the quantities and the packaging uh, in some cases are much less. So that's where I see the food issue uh, going to be is going to be is in reduction of quantity and quality and also extremely high prices. And we've only started seeing the beginning of that in terms of the price so if you have money, and especially money outside of the system that, that you can move into and out of the system when necessary to pay for things, then you'll be fine. For everyone else, uh, we have to find, you have to find a way that works for you so that you can ride this out. And that may be growing your own food or, um, it may be making friends with a farmer or volunteering your time there for food or whatever. Um, we all, you know, there's no reason for anyone to suffer. It's just we may have to make adjustments and, as I always say, make inconvenient choices to put ourselves in situations during this time to where we can skate right through it with no problems and even come out of it with a lot of great experiences and and, uh, joy. So the problem is that we tend to get sort of situated in a particular way of doing things and don't want to let go. And the fear comes with 
the letting go, when in fact, if we let go and moved in a new direction that may be inconvenient, it may take us into thriving in that area. And, and so I think with food, I'm not worried about that, um, in terms of shortages. But as you've seen in any kind of inflationary situation in the world over the history of, you know, we've had money on the planet, uh, or some form of money. Uh, so last 10 or 10,000 years or so, when inflation occurs, food becomes more expensive. It doesn't usually go away entirely. Um, so, you know, I think now in the U.S., the U.S. economy is an important factor there. And even if you're not living in the U.S. right now, it's going to impact you because the U.S. is still the the largest consumer um, economy in the world. And at the moment, the U.S. dollar is still the world's reserve currency. And so long as it is, what happens in the U.S. is going to impact the global financial system and everybody's economy and inflation everywhere. So so if the U.S. Federal Reserve raises interest rates, it's going to affect the global uh, financial situation and inflation will occur everywhere. It'll occur everywhere else faster than in the U.S. Um, so if inflation happens here, it's going to happen worse in most other countries. Um, so, you know, for those who may not understand the macroeconomic picture, this is an area of interest of mine. One thing to just look ahead to, and I see this in the cycles as well, uh, is um, I believe there's a Saturn-Neptune uh, influence coming up over the next few years, uh, or maybe it's starting next year, I can't recall, sometime in the next few years. And, well, that's, you know, Saturn-Neptune oftentimes can coincide with depression period, depressionary, like emotional depression, feelings of hopelessness, sadness, that sort of thing. Um, and... Well, in the in the U.S. financial system right now, our government here is spending a ridiculous amount of money every year. And every year they're spending more. Uh, and, well, they're not getting that money from taxes because they're spending so much now that even with the amount they're bringing in in taxes, they are not bringing in enough to offset their spending. And, of course, it's that spending that they're doing that they're using to, to create all these dystopian things that we're all dealing with in the world today. Like Bill Gates wouldn't be able to darken the sun if our government wasn't financing these things. And uh, you know, the vaccine companies wouldn't succeed if our government wasn't buying the vaccines. So all the spending is going to all of these dystopian things that are causing suffering on the planet. But what's happening is their spending continues to increase every year. And because the, the Federal Reserve Bank here in the U.S. is continuing to raise interest rates, the cost of because they're not making the money in taxes. So the difference is being made up in borrowing more money. So the government keeps borrowing more money every year at a higher and higher interest rate. And within the next year to two years, they're going to hit a wall with that, meaning the interest payments will be so high that there will be no way for them to keep up with it. So sometime in the next two years, we're going to see some sort of financial governmental disaster occur that results in the government not being able to spend as much as they could before without severe consequences. Now, that may result in them printing more currency or issuing more currency on the Federal Reserve level, or it may uh they may absorb the Federal Reserve into the U.S. Treasury. 
so they can continue printing money. Uh, hard to say, but regardless, the consequences will be extreme inflation and a financial depression that will come on the other side of that. So this is what we're heading into. Now, that sounds very gloom and doom and scary, but the positive side of it is they won't be able to spend as much money on all of this ridiculousness. And so this decade, they're going to keep pushing and spending more money so they can continue bringing out these dystopian things. But when they run out of money, the consequence at some point will be they will no longer be able to finance all these programs. And when they can no longer finance them, they're going to start falling apart. We're starting to see the early stages of that already. So on the negative side, that kind of a governmental financial collapse is going to affect all of us. Uh, so we have to do our best to insulate ourselves from those external occurrences by having some of our money outside of the system, um, not in dollars, uh, and uh, and preparing to ride out any turbulence in, in the global system. But the positive side of this, this is just the fire that we have to walk through so that we can come to the other side because it's actually a necessary thing if the government, if everything was left as it is and the economy didn't collapse, then the government would keep spending more money and keep rolling out more control mechanisms and darkening the sun and all these things. I think by the early next decade, we're going to see, you know, last 20 years, as I've said, I've, I was sun gazing 20 years ago or actually prior to 2000 and the skies were clear and blue all the time. Nowadays, it's, it's rare to see that, right? And more and more. And now it's gotten to a point where they're admitting that they're spraying chemicals, where over the last 20 years, we were conspiracy theorists. Yes, we were the crazy right? ones. Sorry. We were crazy for yeah. saying they're spraying chemicals. Yeah. But now the government is coming out and saying, oh, well, we're going to spray chemicals and to darken the sun. And everybody think that's, thinks that's normal. <laughs> right. And, but we were nuts, uh, until now. And, um, but what I think is going to happen is this, financial catastrophe that's coming on the governmental level is going to result in them no longer having the funds to do these kind of things. So in the next decade, we may start to see chemtrails go away. Oh, Finally, after 20 years, right? So, oh. so we may see those kinds of uh, dystopian things, control systems. And even, um, you know, we were just talking the other day about the um, world coin uh, currency, which is a, uh, they created this little eyeball scanning thing. And there are some 2 million people who already had their iris scanned so they can get a dollar a week in universal basic income. So things like that, very dystopian, very control system oriented, social credit uh, are going to come out. But the positive is, and this is where we need to look at these dystopian things and see the positive. The positive is, that company's projection, and of course, they're World Economic Forum or company, right? They're associated with them. Uh, and it's the founder of this system is the same guy who founded um, ChatGPT or the um, uh, OpenAI system, which is everybody, well, not everybody, a lot of people are using. And um, But the, the, the positive is the company's projection was that they were going to have 100 million people's irises scanned by now, and they've only managed to get 2 million. And this is where I think the world is heading in the right direction, because even though they're rolling these things out, it's not getting the adoption they want. Uh, and and ultimately, that's showing that 
consciousness is starting to expand. People are starting to see the truth and they're making better choices as a result. Uh, and I think a lot of these programs will just lose favor and will go broke. And as they go broke, they'll stop putting them out. Uh, and, and they'll start changing their approach because otherwise no, they're not going to be able to succeed anyway. Um, so that's where I think we have to sort of keep our minds at riding out the storm ahead. It's a necessary storm because uh, as a result, it's going to get rid of all of this difficult stuff that we're dealing with on the planet. But meanwhile, we're going to have to observe it happening out there outside of our, you know, uh, outside of our doors and windows and, and be able to navigate through that time. I chose Wix for my business because of its massive scope for functionality and freedom of creation. And, and I think we also have to keep in mind um, that with all this dystopian stuff, whether it's social credit, smart cities, a, a CBDC, surveillance, all of this stuff, um, there is an illusion of no choice. And that's what they did with the vaccine. So if we go back to, you know, the pandemic period where if you were not vaccinated, you couldn't enter a store or you had to get your temperature scanned or you couldn't get on a plane. Um, you had to wear a mask at the doctor's office. There was the illusion that you had to follow all of these rigid requirements in order to live your life. And that is a very third dimensional reflection of the timeline. But what I found and you found, and I know many others found is that there are many options beyond that. So, so I was not interested in having my temperature scanned and wearing a mask. I certainly was not going to get the vaccine. So I had to shift my life in many different directions, change the stores that I went to change the way that I shopped uh, find new doctors or practitioners to go to um, that were on the same side in terms of my beliefs and free will choice. And I believe that when we get to this next level, which we inevitably will, the same thing will be the case. It's each step is pushing us to realize how much freedom we actually have and sometimes that freedom is in saying no. You know, we didn't travel during that time. We chose not to get on a plane because unless we were going to charter our own, which is quite expensive, there's no real way around that. But but I think in order for us to realize our freedom, sometimes the choice is either yes or no, and there's no in between. And And by saying no and not contributing to these, you know, very restrictive experiences. We are furthering that opportunity to jump timelines into the fifth dimension. It, it, it truly is that simple, even though it's an annoyance. And I don't think we would be challenged or facing these challenges if we were not the people who could handle it or who were resourceful enough uh, to to find new things, new paths, new avenues to get the things that we need or to do the things that we do. 
And, and, you know, for us, that was setting up our homes in very efficient ways. You know, for me, it was bringing in equipment and things that I needed to ensure my house. So I didn't have to run into any of that stuff. But, but those will be things that we will do again. And, and as we do it, we're going to find ourselves in a completely different reality because, you know, on top of even inflation, the idea of inflation, we have to consider this carbon tax, right? On top of that. And so, so if we're trying to make it in the conventional world without some foot into the alternative world, I think it's going to be really hard. And that's where we have to, you know, manage both sides. And, and you, you mentioned very briefly about alternative currencies, you know, and, and having some of those. And you and I have been invested for quite a while in, you know, cryptocurrencies. And we talked about that, you know, in the past shows. You know, we get the question a lot of times about that. You know, is it malevolent? You know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. I guess at the moment we don't know, but we also know that the dollar is probably the most malevolent of them all. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's a question between one or the other. In, you know, in my mind, it's just having an alternative, and that's what I believe it's all about. Is you know, we're bringing in some really good alternatives to what was before. And whether or not those alternatives are the absolute best for us and what we truly want at the end of the day, they're a, a stepping stone on that path. So so I think that's the ease we can put into the equation is, yeah, there could be a lot of really scary things that we'll have to deal with, challenging things, things that get in our way. But we really have to simplify take them day by day and, and one thing at a time, be willing to stretch the bounds of the norm to find the things that we need. Yeah, I think we have to be careful about not being too dogmatic about our ideas, especially during this time, because we're going to have to be flexible to try new things. And um, with regard to cryptocurrency, I know a lot of people think that Bitcoin is evil or it was started by the cabal. And maybe those things are true. We don't know who started Bitcoin, really. I mean, the founder is mysterious. It could very well have been DARPA, just like DARPA started the Internet. It could be. We don't know. Uh, maybe someday we will know. But uh, and there are some suspicions on who it might have been or what group of people it might have been. But we don't really know for sure yet. But and so we can get caught up in the caught in the in the woods with those ideas and and not and get stuck in the dogma of that belief and not look at the practicality of the situation because the dollar is probably the most evil currency on the planet and, and there's more you know in a lot of the mainstream media they talk about how bitcoin is evil and it's being used for money laundering and it's highly inefficient and it's using more electricity than than entire countries all of that is false um in fact Bitcoin uses very little energy and a lot of it is becoming more and more sustainable energies like solar and things like that. So it's, it, it really isn't, uh, for the amount of value that it produces, the amount of energy used is minimal compared to other systems like Visa MasterCard, for example, use much more energy if you consider the infrastructure that it takes to run that financial system. Um, and in terms of money laundering, um, Bitcoin is a fraction of a percent of the money laundering that happens in the world. All the rest of it, the majority of the rest of it is the U.S. dollar. So, again, these are all dogmas that we buy into in our media. At the end of the day, you have to look at practicality because 
if you're saying Bitcoin is evil, therefore I shouldn't use it, well, you should be saying the same about the dollar. So unless you're living completely off the grid in the woods and off the land and uh, and you require no means of interface with the third dimensional financial system where you don't need any currency, then you're going to have to use some kind of currency. And, and in that landscape of all the currencies available, uh, Bitcoin may be the least evil in the sense that at least what we do know about it is it's not controlled directly anyway by any central banks or governments. Now, it doesn't mean that governments can't buy a lot of it and manipulate the markets. Certainly they can do that. And since governments have the ability to print infinite amounts of currency, in theory, they could print as much U.S. dollar or whatever currency they want and buy Bitcoin with it. So there, that is certainly a possibility. But there is no Federal Reserve Bank of Bitcoin that can print more Bitcoin tomorrow. So in the very least, from a purely technical perspective, we can say that Bitcoin, I'm not talking about all cryptocurrencies, but Bitcoin is an example is a more fair and free currency than any other currency that exists on the planet today. So because there is no issuer, uh, there is no control system behind it. Uh, and uh, it's, it'd be very hard, if not impossible to manipulate in any meaningful way to where it would become unfair to people on the planet. So, you know, for all practical purposes, if we're going to live in this third to fifth dimensional reality where we need some sort of currency to function and buy things and such, we're going to need something. And in that world, Bitcoin is the most fair and uh, and uh, benevolent currency today. Is it completely benevolent? No, because I, I think the people who hold the most Bitcoin in the planet are the most malevolent people in many cases. For example, the U.S. government holds uh, a lot of Bitcoin, actually, all of which they confiscated from other people. But nonetheless, they are holding it uh, and selling it off periodically. So the government may be malevolent, but it doesn't make the currency malevolent. And they can print more of it if they want to. So we have to look at it from a practical standpoint. And, and the other thing to consider is if a central bank's digital currency with a social credit system comes into being to where you can't buy the things you need unless the government says you can or unless you behave a certain way, then having a currency outside of that system may be beneficial. Now, it's possible that all the on and off ramps may be closed, meaning there may come a time where maybe you won't be able to use your Bitcoin to buy things at a, at a typical store, but it won't make the cryptocurrency go away. So it'll still be sitting there and maybe you can exchange it with a farmer to buy some eggs or something, but you may not be able to go to your local grocery store and use it to buy groceries. Um, but it would be wise, I think, to have some currency outside of the system that if the system locks down or your own bank account locks down, for example, because you watch our show, for example, and we're not saying things that are approved, um, then you have currency outside of the system. Now, if you are somebody who follows all of the mainstream um, 
things and you follow the rules uh, and you live in that very controlled, rigid, third dimensional reality, then it may not matter because maybe you'll follow all the rules and, and, and as a result, you'll be able to um, skate through even though your life will be very controlled by the system. But if you're like us, uh, we're not really like that. Um, we uh, would rather be inconvenienced than to live a limited life. So we choose to live a more free and abundant life. And that's what we talk about here. And if you want to live that way in the world that we're in today, you may have to have take these steps to to do some things that may be less convenient that will provide you with more freedom in, in the world today. Now, many people uh, on the comments over the over the past several months uh, in our videos have been saying there is no CBDC. But actually, the central bank digital currency, the payment rails have just been put in place in the past month. And so the CBDC is already here in the U.S. and many countries have them completely in place. Now, the payment rails are there, but they haven't rolled it out in the U.S. as something that uh, that, that um, uh, we would be using it. Um, but it is being used between banks at the moment. So the next step will be to bring that out in a in a way for the retail customer, which would be us, um, uh, whereas the institutions are using it now in the U.S. So it is here, and it is intended to be rolled out to the rest of us. Question is, how many people adopt it? And that's the thing that you were talking about earlier, yes, right? Exactly. Same thing with the vaccine. I think ultimately, although the statistics that the government is saying – are suggesting that so many people use the vaccine, I'm willing to bet they made those up. Oh, for sure. And because the adoption level wasn't as high as they wanted it to be. And as a result, um, it went away. Now, they're going to keep trying, but I think what's going to happen is each new vaccine and virus they roll out is going to get less and less adoption. And as a result, they'll just stop trying because they'll they'll fail and they'll just be wasting money. Uh, and I think the same will happen with the CBDC. It is coming and it will be social credit based, but I think probably hardly anybody will use it. Just like the iris scanning technology that they're, that uh, two million people signed up for. It, yeah, maybe they'll get a few mil- million people to use it, but I don't think it's going to work. Uh, so I think that's where we have to choose. We may be living in a dystopian world with a lot of dystopian things, but doesn't mean we have to live inside of there. We can let it be out there and maybe maybe we'll have to have a central bank digital currency account just so we can pay for certain things that may be required to pay for using it. But doesn't mean we have to live in that place. Just like maybe I have to go to the Secretary of State to get a license renewed every once in a while because I choose to participate in that third dimensional structure. Um, but that doesn't mean I have to live in that third dimensional world. And I think in the same way, we have to treat everything in, in our in our lives right now. We may have to interface with that third dimension. We may have to go to the family events. But that doesn't mean that we live in that third dimensional world. You know, I may have to speak with my mother or visit her. And in that reality, I can't really talk about how I see reality because she won't understand but that doesn't mean I can't go there and do what I need to do in that reality. And that's how I think we need to navigate this time is we may have to participate in some of those things um, just because we're walking between two worlds. 
but it doesn't mean we have to be of that reality, right? And that's where using these other opportunities, like, you know, for me, uh, I'm not suggesting anybody else should do this, but over the last few years, I switched to a uh, privacy-based uh, smartphone because uh, I didn't want to be tracked. Now, is it convenient? No. Is it uh, does it have all the frills that regular smartphones have? No, but it's enough for me. I also switched from Windows to Linux, which is uh, a bit of a clumsy transition and not easy for most people to make. But I did it because I wanted more privacy and I didn't want to be tracked and, and, and so on. And so these are some things. The opportunities are all there, right? And a Aquarian Pluto is going to bring more opportunities for independence and freedom. But it's up to us to choose those things because, meanwhile, the Pluto and Capricorn influence is still here. And and those things are also going to be there to choose from. And we can either be free and and um, independent and live in a more sovereign way, or we can be more enslaved. And I think that's an opportunity and a choice that we all will have this decade. Yeah, I think there's so many other things we could add to this equation. Like I put solar on my house and, you know, preparation of grid shutdowns and things like that. But but, you know, these very things are what are moving us forcefully sometimes into the fifth dimension. And I think the most important thing to keep in mind is that we all signed up for it. <laughs> we all agreed to be here during this incredible and fantastic transitional period on planet Earth to be the ambassadors of the new Earth. And we wouldn't have done that if we didn't have confidence in ourselves. I think that's a good place to wrap up this episode. Thanks for joining us today. And you can always catch us on multiple platforms, YouTube, Rumble, Spotify, Apple. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Channeled Revelations. <laughs> well, that covered a lot of things that we've all been thinking about. <clears throat> yeah. And we'll be continuing to think about and creating alternatives about. And- we're going to do one more here. <clears throat> I got to get there. Yes, I'll read. It's called hmm. Pre-Diluvian Harmonic Pyramids, a Global Model. Was there a pre-Diluvian geometric standard for constructing pyramids around the globe? A mathematical analysis of the three pyramids of the Giza Plateau reveals a pattern consistent with Egyptian mystery school teachings, Pythagorean ideals, and the musical harmonic interval. Robert Edward Grant demonstrates how this same pattern extends beyond the Giza Plateau to include the bent and red pyramids, Dashur, D-A-H-S-H-U-R, and the medium and Abu Rawash pyramids. <clears throat> Grant also shows how this integer interval harmonic pattern reaches even further to include other pre-Diluvian pyramids located outside of Egypt, including Mexico, Teotihuacan, and the Yucatan. Farsh no, what's that? Faroe Islands, F-A-R-O-E Islands, 
and Xi'an, China, citing strong evidence for a global geometric standard for pyramid construction. And so here we go. Let's do this. It's an hour and 13 minutes. Mm. We'll just squeeze by here. Gaia presents Gaia Sphere Event Center Ancient Civilizations Conference Robert Edward Grant <laughs> Hello everyone You guys ready to have some fun today? We've got an amazing, amazing agenda for the entire day, but I'm super excited to unveil some entirely new work uh, and new discoveries that have come out of our recent trips to Egypt and everything. And on this day in particular, because today is August what? 12th. So that's the end of Lionsgate, right? So think about that for a moment. Secondly, on this date was actually also the... Um, Philadelphia project. It's oh. a peak in the biorhythms of the Earth Day mm-hmm. as well. So this is a very, very auspicious moment in time this year, and you're here for a reason. Every one of you that are here have been hand-selected by yourself and also by this beautiful universe to come here to partake and raise vibration and change the world. Mm-hmm. You guys ready? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So you all probably know that I tend to like mathematics. I kind of have a thing for math. Um, and one of the things that I first got into, actually, when I was really kind of going through my own spiritual awakening, and I found out that I wasn't unique in this, is I started really getting and diving into the mathematics of the pyramids. How many of you have actually done some of that work? So quite a few hands, right? <laughs> So I started by drawing in a notebook and everything, and I was trying to understand this enigma of, in particular, the Great Pyramid, but beyond the Great Pyramid, all the three pyramids of the Giza Plateau. And I wanted to understand what was this message, because it just wasn't resonating for me, the sort of dynastic story. And it wasn't that I wasn't trying to believe those stories. I I was, but it just wasn't matching for me. Do you guys feel the same way on that? So what I started to look at is – maybe there's some reason why the particular slope angles were chosen for the pyramids. Now, the slope angle of the Great Pyramid is 51.85 degrees. The slope angle for the next pyramid, Khafre, is 53.13 degrees. And the third pyramid, Menkare, is 51.34 degrees. Now, why are they all different? Anyone know? You're about to learn why today. And it is a beautiful, beautiful representation of why we are here on earth at this time. It's a soul memory that's going to come to you today. So you're going to just take some of this in. You're going to go through some of the geometry and the significance of the geometry that associates with this. And in particular, it's a musical story. It's a story of music. So you guys ready? Okay. So we need to have sound on this, guys. 
Metatron's cube. Three-dimensional patterns in creation. It must, therefore, hold the key to the greatest architectural accomplishment known to man, the Pyramids of Giza. Polymath and artist Robert Grant has discovered that key using only non-dimensional compass and straight-edge methods. The measurements you'll see in this series have resulted as a consequence of pure geometric constructions that were then corroborated with exacting accuracy in GeoGebras software. Musician and cryptographic analyst Alan Green has solved Renaissance codes that confirm that these hermetic secrets were deliberately hidden within the works of Shakespeare to preserve their purity through the Dark Age for future discovery when the world would be ready to fully comprehend that time is now. So, first of all, I believe that there was an architectural plan for all three pyramids that described why those slope angles were what they were. And it wasn't just some story of a father, a son, a grandson who created new pyramids for their burial locations. And I believe that this common architectural plan was part of a centralized plan for the entire Giza Plateau and maybe even a lot more than the Giza Plateau as we'll see here in this presentation today. So I started to look for the connections between, in particular, the Flower of Life and Metatron's Cube, right? Because even the ancient Egyptian story of who built the pyramid was actually supposed to be done by a man that's often referred to as Hemiunu or Herm Aeon. Aeon was one of the names of this particular person who was supposed to have been the architect of the Great Pyramid. Now, it's interesting because we believe those pyramids were built over a long period of time, right? At least 20 plus years to maybe even 100 years if you're looking at all of the different pyramids, possibly even more. How could you do it? You'd have to move each stone, something like one stone every block would have to be moved, like one per every one or two minutes. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. The amount of speed that have been undertaken to do that is kind of impossibly hard to wrap your brain around. So I started to embark upon this question of, is there a connection between Metatron's cube and the Great Pyramid and all three pyramids? The basic building blocks of creation can all be perfectly formed within Metatron's cube. It's also clear to see that every Metatron's cube connects to every other Metatron's cube directly through its three central axes in an infinitely repeating grid pattern. So, can this interconnectivity be used to decipher a previously unforeseen grid connecting the three pyramids? By connecting with this particular mirror grouping down here, these small green points have now linked to every circle center in the entire construction. The fact that they also coincide with three circles tangent to each other is a clue that led Grant to connect them 
and investigate these two cross points they make along the basic grid rectangle. At the baseline of Metatron's cube, we draw a circle whose radius is the distance from the base center to the two X points. We simply join the diameter baseline points to the very center of the construction and discover a perfect cross-section of the Great Pyramid, or G1, popularly named after Pharaoh Khufu. We now duplicate this large blue circle. So, what is this actually telling us? Without any measurement, because you don't need any measurements to make either the Flower of Life. How many of you made a Flower of Life before? You don't need to measure anything. You just set your compass at any given length and start drawing circles, right? And then from the intersections of those circles, you can draw all these different geometric forms, all the platonic solids, for example. From this exact same pattern, by adding one line of intersection where those green lines were, there's an intersection point that was up at the top, and there's another intersection point that is here. I'll show you. So this line right here is part of Metatron's cube. This line is part of Metatron's cube, just connecting this intersection point to this intersection point and where it crosses over this line right here. You see that? You set your compass to that distance and then you've got the exact base width of the Great Pyramid and the height goes straight to the center of Metatron's cube. And then you have the exact slope angle of 51.8539 degrees. And it's perfect. So this does something else very significant because what it shows is that it also even squares the circle, which is supposed to be an impossible problem. It squares the circle, which I'll show you in a little bit. But then after discovering this, I thought, well, maybe it does something similar for Caffrey Pyramid as well. And let's see what we can find. Twice. Mark their Vesica Piscus points and draw a horizontal line tangent to all three circles. So let's draw two diagonals to find the center of that square. We draw two of those to find the center of the half square and inscribe a circle whose diameter is half of the square's side length. Repeat that circle at the top of the square and mark where it crosses the center vertical with a small red dot. Draw a horizontal line here to reveal the hidden 3-4-5 triangle. Draw another 3-4-5 triangle here and mark where they cross the horizontal. Finally, connect from the small red dot through those cross points down to the baseline. Since the cross-section of the Khafre Pyramid is two 3-4-5 triangles back-to-back, we now have a perfect representation of the central pyramid at Giza, G2, popularly named after the pharaoh Khafre, and it's in precise size relationship to the Great Pyramid, G1. All that remains is to draw... So, do you guys get that? So again, no measurements required. You just take this half base of the Great Pyramid, right? And you've got a square from the half base. From that square, you make an X across the square. 
And then you find at the midpoint of that square, because the X marks the midpoint, X marks the spot. Then you draw another X to find the midpoint of that half square. Okay, and then from there, you basically take the circle, draw it here, then have another circle that's the exact same size as that circle go up to here where this red dot is. And then from that, because you've got also this line coming down, these vertical lines coming down, and any square that would be centered along this baseline right here with this as its center point must have its corners along this line and this line right here. So where it intersects this midpoint of the half square, you then put an intersection point, you take this small red dot here, extend it down, and you've got the perfect slope angle of Caffrey Pyramid. Again, no measurement, and we've now derived it from Metatron's cube. Just with simple intersections from Metatron's cube. Circle whose diameter is the height of the triangle we just discovered. Note how the Khafre circle intersects precisely the corners of the Khufu half base square. Now, this is an important point. So all you do is you take a circle, right, that goes from the base of Khafre to the top of Khafre, so from the center point of Khafre, and its diameter matches the height of Khafre pyramid. You'll notice then that it perfectly intersects the half base square of the Great Pyramid, so that its corners of the square of Khufu, the Great Pyramid, intersects the circle of Khafre in this very perfect way, and you'll see why this is significant in a moment as well. Such accuracy clearly confirms that the original Giza designers intended to connect these two giant monuments through pure geometric perfection. But one critical question remains. Was the third pyramid, Menkore, also part of some grand design? To find out, let's draw two more circles with diameter equal to Khufu's half base. The half diagonals of the Khufu square triangles produce two points where they intersect those circles. Connecting those points to the two upper corners gives us a new center point. Now, draw a circle whose diameter is the distance from that point to the center of the base and mark where that circle intersects the half diagonals. Yet again, it's the half diagonals that reveal the mystery. Note how three significant points have intersected them, mirror imaged on each side. It turns out there are actually four significant intersections. A perfect square reveals itself here, whose corners precisely intersect the circle at those half diagonals. So the same thing. The Menkari pyramid is the only pyramid shape that does this naturally, where it's half base square versus the circle to the top of the Menkari pyramid will intersect at these exact positions, just as this square did with the Khafre circle, right? Just as we saw in the construction of Khafre, based on the Khufu square. All we have to do now 
is draw two circles whose diameters equal the base of the new green square and where they intersect the baseline. Connect to the upper point of the circle. Here she is. The perfect side slope angles reveal G3, popularly named after Pharaoh Mincori. And again, in precise size relationship to the other two pyramids. So if you catch this, not only are these slope angles correct, these are the exact precise size, you know, ratio of the Great Pyramid versus Khafre versus Minkari. So if you were standing on the Giza Plateau looking at it, it would look like these exact sizes if all the ground was level, right? You guys follow this? And none of it using any measurement. Now, why is measurement important? Why no measurement? Why were the Greeks so crazy and the Egyptians, they learned it from the Egyptians, why were they so adamant about having no measurements? Anyone know? Hmm? How you tap into consciousness? Well, who created the universe? The universal one, right? The universal one. We could say it's consciousness. You might say it's a God figure. But did he have to use a ruler to measure things? No. <laughs> right? So Leonardo da Vinci says that, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Not using the ruler is a critical aspect to be able to expand your awareness, expand your consciousness. And if you haven't quite gotten there yet, you haven't gotten it there simple enough. So this entire method can be done simply using compass and straight edge with no markings on your ruler. That's a beautiful design. What do you guys think of this? Absolutely a beautiful design, but what does it mean? And Metatron's cube, who was Metatron? <laughs> Metatron is just one of the names of Thoth, one of the many names of Thoth, that we can go through time, right? It's the angelic name. Another name that is associated with this is Enoch. Another name is Melchizedek. Another name is Saint Germain. Another name, there are many. There's so many. I could keep going on and on and on. But there's something deep in this story because we've heard of Metatron's keys. We've heard of the keys of Peter. We've heard of the keys of Melchizedek. What if they're musical keys? Does that resonate for you guys? Yeah. So here they all are. G1, G2, and G3, undeniably designed not as three separate building projects by a continuing line of dynastic pharaohs, but one interconnected architectural masterpiece. Three in one, elegantly conceived from the geometric flower of life itself, Metatron's cube, and all derived through the simplest non-dimensional means possible, the tools of the ancients, compass and straight edge. The height, so think about this for a moment. Does this mean then that maybe our view of history needs to be revised? <laughs> so the implications on this are very significant because what this says is there was a central plan for Giza. 
Now, how could you get the next architects 30, 40 years from now to say, okay, we're going to make this geometric perfection. It's going to be perfect. And you're going to see how perfect it is. It's way more than what you've just seen. And you need to build the next pyramid in 50 years, right, to these exact proportions in order to comply with this. How hard would that be? People have egos. They'd be like, no, we want to change. Try to do this with your wife, right, or your husband when you're doing a renovation on your house. Good luck with that. It's not that simple. How this could cross hundreds of years is an impossibility in my mind. It says that there is a central plan. Now, while I'm not going to present that part of it today, there's also a central plan looking down on the Giza Plateau that's not only related to Orion's belt, but it's directly related to Orion. And that plan, if you look at the proportions precisely of the width, so if you just take from the Giza Plateau from the top, the upper right corner of the Great Pyramid, right, which is the farthest north, and it's pointed directly due north, Take the upper right corner or the northeast corner of the Great Pyramid and extend it all the way down to match up with the baseline, right, the southern baseline of Menkari Pyramid. And then you use the corner of Menkari Pyramid to then take that rectangle all the way back up and do the same thing across. So you're making a giant rectangle of the Giza Plateau. The proportions are exactly 432 to 528. 432 to 528. Now, we've all heard about this relationship of 432 and music and 528 also. How does it all connect? Well, I just did a post on this yesterday where I had basically uh, posted on my social media on Instagram that 528 in precise tempered tuning and 432 in precise tempered tuning actually are the two snakes that connect into one 24-note scale. It's a quarter-tone scale. 24 notes, and it's perfected, right? And there's a musician named Tony Mazzotti who published something on it yesterday, which I reposted, and if you want to learn more about that, go check that out. But why did they do this? What's the musical relationship that might be derived from these exact proportions? How many of you are musicians in here? It's quite a few, so you're going to understand this really easily. To the base, one half the base of Menkari Pyramid, the smallest pyramid, is five over four. The height of the Caffrey. So you guys see that? Minkari is five over four. For the musicians in here, you might recognize that five over four in Pythagorean just tuning is something called a major third in music. It's that musical tone that we love to hear so often. It goes, da, da. We always want to finish it with a fifth. Da, da, da. Right? Just like that. Da, da. And when people hear that, they say, oh, that sounds like love. So when you're making a film and you want to create the backdrop of romance, you always play music with a lot of major thirds. And if you want to create the other opposite side of that and create a feeling of heartbreak, you play a minor sixth, which is the inverse of it. Well, guess what? There is a way to understand this. All you have to do is take the height of the pyramid versus one half of its base and that gives you the musical interval. And then if you take the full base and divide it by the height of the pyramid, which are isosceles triangles, right? People ask me all the time, what's the purpose of isosceles triangle? It's all music. It gives you the differentiation of music. 
Music is just the geometry that we experience with our ears. Geometry is the music we experience with our eyes. It's quite simple. And now we can derive what these musical notes might be when we apply it against 432 hertz. Here is 4 over 3, which is a perfect fourth. And they should, so Caffre is 4 over 3, which is a perfect fourth in music. It'd be on a piano keyboard from C to F, for example. You just take four notes of the white keys, C, D, E, F, that's four, that's why it's called a fourth. And then if you want to find its inverse, it will always add to nine. So that means its inverse has to be a fifth, right? Its opposite has to be a fifth. So the base width of the pyramid, the full base width divided by the height becomes the inverse. The actual, you know, X version before it's inverted is just simply the height divided by one half the base width. So you see how now the pyramids are actually music? of the Great Pyramid is the diminished fifth. The Great Pyramid is actually the imperfect or the unfinished man, unfinished mankind. All of the musical intervals, there are 13 musical intervals. Every one of them is represented perfectly in the proportional dimensions of all three pyramids. So when we look at the three pyramids on the Giza Plateau, we're looking at the architectural form representing all musical intervals. So it's the full spectrum of sound. We're literally looking at a rainbow spectrum of light. All musical intervals are perfectly represented. So these are the musical intervals, and every one of them are represented on the Giza Plateau with three pyramids. You think it's time to change history? Holy macaroni. The whole thing is the musical representation. Now, guess what? I was just asked by a fellow by the name of Donald Hoffman. And Donald is the world's expert in cognitive science on mathematical mapping of human consciousness. So he came to my office. We met for dinner one night, and he's a professor at UCI. And I did a podcast with him recently. And he said, I've got some questions for you. He read my book, and he liked my book, Philomath. And he said, I got some questions for you. I said, sure. He says, okay, one of the things I want to understand is what do you think the mathematical equation for emotion would be? I'm like, that's not an easy question, right? I mean, like, (laughs) I haven't had my coffee yet type thing. Um, The mathematical equation for emotion? Not a fair question, right? It seems like a Pandora's box, right? It's like, what? What? I mean, I can't even understand my own emotions. How am I supposed to understand a math equation? Is there a math equation for emotion? (laughs) I thought, okay. I said, give me a minute. Let me think about this one. I was flying to Salzburg for a business trip. And Salzburg is the birthplace of Mozart, right? Beautiful place. I love going there. And there's music everywhere. It's such a musical, incredible place. And I started thinking on the airplane on the way over there, I was thinking about this question of how could you derive a musical mathematical equation that might be tied to this musical relationship? And I started thinking, well, can I change my emotion by listening to different music? Right? And I just said that music is the geometry we experience with our ears. Right? 
So it's just mathematics. You know, the, the center of our brain is what processes geometry. That's why people that go through spiritual awakenings love geometry. They start to get into geometry. They're like, I hated this in high school or in junior high. But now all of a sudden I'm getting this awakened new love for math. And the truth is anything you can hate, you can also love. So there's this big awakening happening right now around geometry in particular. So I started thinking about this and I thought, well, if music can entrain certain emotional states, might the answer to that mathematical equation be inside music itself? Mm -hmm. So I started looking to see if anyone had done any research on intervals of music. And intervals of music, let's wait to the end. Intervals of music are actually able to entrain certain emotional states. So I started finding out that there's been research done at universities on this where they play certain music. That's why when you're watching a film about romance, they'll play the major third. There's science behind this. This is why when they have Darth Vader enter the room, they play dun, 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 dun. They're all diminished fifths and augmented fourths. All these kind of very minor chord sounding, you know, it sounds a little bit dissident, right? And you can entrain emotion. In fact, they did research on dogs, and they found that dogs knew when Darth Vader was entering the room. They thought it was because they're watching the TV. No, they're listening to the music that is dissonant for them, right? It's that sound. It creates an entrainment of fear. I can use music to put you all in a state of fear. That's what horror movies do. Right. So then I started looking at the research and found that there was a direct relationship because if musical interval entrains emotion, then what's really happening is musical interval mathematics are entraining emotion. Does that make sense? Because each of those intervals that are built into the pyramids are actually all of the musical intervals that entrain us to certain emotional states. Whoa. That's kind of nuts, right? So wait a minute. That means that if I'm looking at the pyramid, the pyramid from its height over one half its base is giving me one interval. But if I look at it from an entirely different perspective and I look at it from the base, full base width, divided by its height, it's giving me the opposite emotion. And the only difference between these musical intervals is time. Because the notes of a major third go from C to E, da, da, right? And then its inverse is a minor six. It changes polarity, goes from major to minor. Think of major as positive, minor as negative charge. Male, female, exactly. And it doesn't matter which one's positive or negative. It's just opposite. And then... You know by its inverse as well that it's simply going the opposite direction. So it goes in front of – instead of C to E, it becomes E to C, but it's high C now. Same notes though, same notes. In one direction, C to E, sounds like romantic love. And the other direction, E to C, sounds like heartbreak. Does that mean that in the experience of love – is the seed of heartbreak? Does it give some reference to this plane of the duat, of duality that we live in? 
It's a deep philosophical aspect. So when we look at the pyramid complex, we're looking at the veritable rainbow spectrum of sound and light, all represented, and all of our emotional states that entrain according to those ratios are built into this complex. Now, do you think they were built over a hundred years, or is this under one central plan? One. What do you guys think? One. It's all one. So, this is. I don't have the time to present it today. Last time I came here to present, I spent like fifteen hours on the stage. So, if you're interested, you can go and watch uh, Divine Encryption. On, if you're a Gaia Plus uh, member, but uh, Events Plus. But basically, what we also found is that Metatron's cube is the basis and foundation of the entire Giza Plateau from the aerial view as well. Now, there's also something very important here. How many of you know who Walter Russell was? Walter Russell, all of his work was based on 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, right? But who else? had a lot of work associated with this. Pythagoras. It's called the Tetractus. The Tetractus. Now, if you take the musical intervals of 6 over 5, 5 over 4, 4 over 3, 3 over 2, and 2 over pi, 1 pi, and multiply all those numbers together, guess what you get? The golden angle, 137.50987. Which multiply that by pi and you have a circumference of 432. 137 is just the diameter of a circle of 432. 137 is such an important number. It separates light from darkness, right? Think of it as almost making the yin yang circle and you spin it and that straight line of diameter becomes the sine cosine wave that creates yin yang. This is one of the things under the on the basin stone under the um, chevrons of the Great Pyramid. You've got this writing right here. We don't know what it says. This was first documented by Robert Schock. And it's actually uh, something called uh, embossing, right? So basically it sticks up. It's not carved in, right? So there's debossing and there's embossing. This would be embossing. You'll see that there's a V shape here, and it's believed that this is some sort of Paleo-Hebraic writing. So it's the only real writing that everyone sort of recognizes on the pyramid and says, okay, yes, other than the stuff that's in the relieving chambers that's like left there with ochre paint. It's like this red ochre paint. So you've got V shape here. This looks like a theta symbol in, you know, Greek. Then you've got Three lines going across. It looks like a Chinese character for, for three, the number three. And then you've got two lines coming down here with a circle around it. Now, interestingly, what nobody noticed before is that there's a minus sign right here. Now, we know that V has a very ancient history. It was used by the Romans as well. So maybe this is related to five. Five minus one. And so the way you flip polarity is you simply take positive charge, which would be an even number, an odd number, so even, 
is going to have a pull that goes this direction. Odd will have a pull that goes this direction. Right? So odd, odd, even. Five minus one, three, two. Similar to how we write the, the number four in, in Roman numerals today, right? It's like an I and then next to it, you've got the V. We've just done it the opposite with a minus sign next to it. Does this say 432? I don't know. We, how can we know? But it does seem awfully uncanny that that is the tetractus and the pyramid complex is built entirely on this tetractus structure. Now, we also find 432 showing up everywhere, literally everywhere. The base length of the Great Pyramid, when you compare the perimeter of the pyramid against the, the entire Earth, right? There's been a lot of work done by Randall Carson, who's presenting later today, basically showing that the pyramid's a scale model that is 43,200 times smaller than Earth. So are they giving us a system or unit of measure? Right? Because if I use that same base width of 432, guess what the point to the center of the pyramid would be in a height perspective? The golden angle, 137.50987. And it's perfect. So I think that they're giving us a unit measure associated with the Earth itself. Because how else could you do it if you had no reference plane to Enoch give it against? was a man who became godlike and he built a city. It's and the story the city of, Enoch. of Enoch became so holy that it transcended this dimension, as it's described in this book. There are certain signatures, and throughout Scripture, we see references to people getting keys, right? We've all heard about the keys of Peter, the keys of Melchizedek, the keys of Enoch. So even the Alpha Omega symbol bears a striking resemblance to Taurus, which if we turn this on its side, changing its polarity, right, this would be a lowercase letter A. And what does bull mean? How do we say the word bull in Hebrew? Aleph. It's alpha. Alpha means bull. You combine it with the female symbol, which looks very similar to an ankh, right? You combine them together and you have Mercury, both, Metatron. So Thoth said, build a die, the Great Pyramid. In it, I builded my knowledge of magic science. How many of you read the Emerald Tablets of Thoth? Something about that yeah. just deeply resonates, doesn't it? So he says he built it. Now, on my last trip, okay, here we are. And every time we've gone on trips, we have discovered Major discoveries. The first one that I did, and the next speaker is a close friend of mine, Mohammed Ibrahim. And he's been with me on every one of these discoveries. And it's been quite a, a treasure to be with him. But the first time was when we discovered, I was you know, looking at the sarcophagus and I had a memory that there was an alpha omega pressed into the rose granite. And I remembered exactly where it was. And then I looked exactly at the spot that I remembered it. And it was exactly right there. Now, this symbol of Alpha Omega shows up in lots of places. It's also shown up on the Arcturian mothership 
the Athena. It's the logo on the Athena, Alpha Chi Omega. Now, on this trip, we went into Caffrey Pyramid, and we go to look at the walls because there's hidden clues all over the walls that people have missed. And that's what we've trained our eye to do. Our team, when we go, we are there to do research. We are there to find stuff. Hidden clues about what's supposed to be coming for us in the future and what happened in the past. Inside Caffrey. So this is Caffrey Pyramid. And the first thing I noticed was it seemed like there was something like right here, up in the upper right-hand corner that looked kind of like a cave painting type of a thing. Couldn't quite figure it out. But started noticing other things that seemed to be covered by plaster as well. So you could see what looks like other lines coming down like off of here. And those lines extended all the way over across the top of the wall. Can you see all these other lines? Here, 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 here. You guys see that? Oh, right here. Muhammad, you see this? What is that? It looks like it has a beak. You turn off the volume a bit. But it has an eye and an ear and a head and two horns and legs right here. It looks like a cave painting. Just go back one. So we started noticing other stuff. I don't think it's going to let me go back. It's okay. Here's the main, I think it's a zebra with an eye right here. And I can see the stripe. You see the stripe? There's stripes on it. You see that too? Here's the tail. So this was also on the wall up at the top. So we're like, why are there so many animals? It seems like there might be some sort of animals or something up there, right? And you could see the mouth here and a nose, and it looks like a lion kind of attacking a zebra. And here's the nose of the zebra. Looks like that. Can you guys see that? What is this? We don't know. But it doesn't look dynastic. Then we went into Mankari Pyramid. Another tree of life here with the staff of Caduceus right here. The staff of Caduceus is the staff of Hermes. And it's got a snake wrapped around it with teeth. That's the Tau. Tau cross. With a coiled snake all the way around this, you can see it really clearly right here, especially. Okay, here's the eye, here's the head of a snake. Do you see the snake back going all the way? These are light etches in the walls, they're etched. It's not painted, it's etched. How they did it, we don't know, but we're seeing these all over the place. And they have this other characteristic, you'll see another good example of it, where it almost looks translucent. You can see inside this, you can almost see the bone structure and everything like it's an x-ray. Can you guys see that? There's like a bone structure x-ray. How they did that, we have no clue. 
But you'll see other examples of this in a moment. You can almost see the digestive tract of it too, right here. Going down into the snake. You see this? You see that? Just like that. You have to train your eye to be able to see this. It's not easy, but there's something there. And these lines shouldn't be on these walls like this. Does this look like graffiti to you guys? We don't know what it is. I'm just presenting it to you because this is what we've seen. Right? And maybe it gives us some clues. You might figure some things out as well. But these are ancient symbologies. And you can see as well the staff of Caduceus. Okay. On this wall is a tree of life underneath this, but above the tree of life, and this is the east wall of Menkari chamber, king's chamber, you see a, it looks like a T. You guys see this? It's actually a sword. It's a sword coming down like this. Here's the hilt of the sword. Here are the wings on that sword, right? And then goes up to the top of the room, which has a canopy, right? Art shape for the ceiling. And there's a snake that is going around, wrapped around that. So this room is full of serpents and this very prominent symbology of Staff of Hermes. But it's also something described. We realize when we're in there, we're looking at a Garden of Eden scene. It looks like Tree of Life, almost identical as it's described in the Bible, where there's a tree of, several Tree of Life that are canopied over a river, and that that river, right, is basically cutting straight through the Garden of Eden. And when Adam was cast out of the garden, God placed cherubim and a flaming sword to protect the way on the east side of Eden over the tree of life so that mankind would not eat the fruit of the tree of life after he's already eaten the tree of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and live forever in his sin and become like God, because it wasn't ready yet to come back through that state. But there's a deep analogy in this for us. What is this? And this story is not a story of the Bible. This is part of the human story. Right? It's much older than what we have in the writings of the Bible. We don't know how old it is. You guys see that? Staff of Hermes on the freaking Menkari Pyramid King's Chamber wall? Seriously? Is that surprising you guys? We got some people going, no. No. It freaked me out, I got to tell you. I was like, what the heck? You've got to be kidding me. And underneath it is a tree of life. And you can see the tree trunk right here also etched in and all the leaves of the tree around it. And there's another tree behind it. That's what it looks like. You guys see that? How many of you can see it? Pretty much everyone. Do you think that's significant? Does it look like graffiti to you? 
Not graffiti. Anyone think it is graffiti? Nobody. Wow. Staff of Hermes. And this is right after we discovered the musical keys of the Giza Plateau that's all based on Metatron's cube. Metatron, Hermes, Thoth, all the same. Enoch, all the same person. The profile of man. So side view of a man. Here's the head. Here's an eye socket that's been covered by plaster because it probably was damaged. But here's a nose. Here's a mouth, lips, very well-formed lips and teeth, and a chin. It goes like this. And the man comes all the way down. And you could even see the vertebrae of his back, just like that x-ray. Here's the tailbone going up, vertebrae coming up, literally like an x-ray on the wall. Uh Have you guys seen this before? So you guys are the first to see this. To the floor and it's like a bald man and here's his ear here's the nose and the nostril you can see very clear and teeth can you see that you can even see he has a molar see this looks like a dental x-ray doesn't it he's got a molar right here you see that molar isn't that crazy what the heck how many of you can see this you think it's graffiti? Okay. Just have to check. Here's the vertebrae. How would you etch that into the wall? And there's another man right next to him looking at him. It almost looks like almost Simeon style, right? Yeah, looking yeah. towards this. And he's facing like north looking up. Wolf. There's that molar. You see that? And then there's a white bird. This is the king's chamber right here. North wall. A white bird with a plume of feathers behind its head. Here's its back of its neck. And then it has a wing that comes across here all the way down. The phoenix. You guys see that? My assistant, Eden, discovered this. It's right above the bull and the cow on the north wall, the apis and the Hathor that we discovered in 2020, and it represents ascension. So you've got a phoenix and a Bennu, and a Bennu is the phoenix, right? But this is like a darker bird. It's like a black bird up here. It's exactly the shape, and it's very prominent. It's about 10 feet wide. It's large. Are you shocked that no one's seen this before? The first thing that we notice on this wall is an alien head. Here's an eye with a very clear iris and even a pupil. Another eye right here, a mouth, a nose, and the head and the chin is very thin. So I can only describe it as an alien head. You guys see the alien head? That's on the west wall, right behind the sarcophagus. Literally a large eye, alien head, 
on the back wall. And I was there with the Egyptologist and I said, you see that? And, and he went out and told Muhammad, he's like, I'm not supposed to see it, but I see it. <laughs> what do I do with this? An alien head on the back wall of the the most studied room on earth. Yeah. The most studied building on earth. And now we're finding all this new stuff on the walls. Do you know Dolores Cannon actually said that this would happen? She died in 2014, but she said during one of the past life regressions she was conducting, they said that they had hidden things in the walls of the pyramids and that at the right time, the right people would find those things and use that information for our day. Margaret. Above it, to the right, is an eye of Ra. Here's the eye. I'm tracing the eye. It covers three blocks. One block here, this block, and this block. And it starts right here and goes all the way down here, tracing it back around. And then here's the eye part. And then here is a iris for this eye that looks like a world. So you can see it. In the exact same spot of Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper is where the Eye of Ra is in the pediment. The Last Supper is a map of the King's Chamber. All of the things that are there, the two birds we just saw, they're in hidden in the wall on the right side. On the Last Supper, the, the cow and the bull are hidden in the wall on the right side when you're looking at the Last Supper painting. Da Vinci was there working for Sultan Kate Bay, who was a Mamluk Sultan, and he recorded this whole story encrypted in a letter that he wrote that ended up in Codex Atlanticus in reference 1336 and 1337. Nobody thought that it was real. They thought it was some sort of fictional account. When he went to visit Mount Taurus, it wasn't Mount Taurus in the mountain range. It was an encryption. It wasn't Mount Taurus in Turkey. It was Mount Taurus. The, he was writing a letter to the lieutenant of the sultan, Lieutenant Devadar of the Sultan of Cairo. Right? And why would he? He was working for him. He said he was doing this project for them. So he's serving, surveying this mountain. He wasn't surveying the mountain. Mount Taurus is the other name of the Great Pyramid. Bull Mountain is the name of the Great Pyramid, the Apis Bull and the Chevrons. It's the house of Osiris. Apis is Osiris, telling the story of Osiris's life, death, and resurrection, and living in the Duat through many lifetimes of incarnations. And that's the murals that we believe are all over the walls. But right here. Now, this is the Alpha Omega that I discovered on the rim of the sarcophagus in 2018. Shape right here. And so we measured it to see if it had any significance. And we found that it's 5.605 inches long or wide, which is exactly the square root of pi times 10. The room in meters, now you're saying, but you can't mix measurements, right? The room in meters is exactly pi times 10 meters in its perimeter, right? Well, we know that all three measurement systems were used, imperial, ancient, and the decibel system were used in building and construction of the Great Pyramid. And if you're interested to learn more about that, 
go to Alan Green's work. Just just Google on YouTube, Alan Green CPAC 2016 presentation. It's outstanding. And there, I believe he unequivocally proves that the meter, the foot, and the cubit were all used in the construction. And another unit of measure, which is related to the differential of the Great Pyramid versus the Earth, 43,200. So I call this the long cubit, right? And it's something that, it's a unit of measure that I've seen shown up. It's 1.75 feet, and it's shown up everywhere in all the ancient sites, which I'll get more to in just a moment. The A sits exactly at the 33rd inch from the side. And the omega sits at the 30th inch. But the omega is at the 30, so 33rd percent of the length of the 89.62 inches. So there's a symmetry between the two, 33 and 33 exactly. 33 represents resurrection and ascension. In Freemasonry, the two-headed bird, right, which is representing the phoenix and the thunderbird merging together into the Janus figure, that is also the 33rd degree, right? Breaking out of the 33rd degree, you go into higher order ascension, 5D. There's also another omega right here, which is alpha to the power of omega times omega. So it's saying something about the masculine to the power of the feminine multiplied by the feminine. Can you guys see that? So someone just recently did a brass or like a, a pencil rubbing on it, and I grabbed this photo. Uh, it was from uh, from one of my friend's uh, sites, Larry Paul. And you could see that it doesn't look like any of the graffiti in there. And by the way, alpha is the symbol for the apis bull. Omega is the symbol for Hathor, the shape of her hair. If you go to Dendera, you'll see the Hathor symbol and that omega shape of her hair literally everywhere. And also believed to be the logo on the ship, the Athenian, you know, Athena mothership of the Arcturians. And guess what? We've now found Alpha Chi Omegas on no less than 37 sarcophagi in Egypt. 37. Every one of the sarcophagi in Serapium have Alpha Chi Omega on their backside or in a place that looks like it's hidden, but it's very large. In the same style etching, we found it at the Assyrian in very large uh, embossed, you know, scaling. So the Omega is about this large, right at the main place where you're looking at that wall. There's a giant tree of life on that wall as well. There's tree of life all over the Assyrian. We found it at Karnak. We found it. We found it in the Valley of the Kings even on sarcophagi that we know to be dynastic that looked as though they were repurposed from an older time and had Alpha Chi Omega on them. So there's a circle around it. This looked like a compass to me. See this? Five degree markings on this as well. The cow. Here's the bull right along here. In the- now look at this. This is the bull. Right? Here's the face of the bull. Here are the eyes. And here's straight lines. There shouldn't be no straight lines on here. Right over its heart is this diamond shape. You guys see this? This matches also another line coming down like this. 
matches the proportions of Orion. The apis bull, Orion. And around the bull is a cow, a larger cow, a Hathor. It's about eight feet wide. It's very large. On the north wall, which is the wall with the chevrons, facing the wall with the chevrons, which represents, again, the apis bull. Cow. Looks similar, doesn't it? Holy man. Rama? I'm not sure of my... Okay, so this is the side view. This is what the etching looks like. You see this straight line coming down here? It's going to be over here. Same thing, right? And the etching is this etch that's all over the walls. It's probably been scrubbed many times as well over the years. We don't know why. But this is the face of the Hathor as well. How many of you have been to the Great Pyramid? How many of you have seen this? Quite a few. Okay. The Apis bull and the Hathor is the metaphor. The story where the Apis bull has to sacrifice himself, his ego, to merge back into his mother. And in fact, we can see the shape of DNA. This is right above the Apis bull. Right here. Here is the double helix coming down like this, and the other double helix coming this, and they are attached by nucleotide pairs right here. Clear representation of double-strand DNA. You guys see this? Nucleotide pairs. Maybe it's time to rethink the Our understanding. DNA, it's on the walls, matched in. And who did it? The Galactics did it. He ain't saying that, but I'm So, the story that. of Osiris. Da Vinci cut his man into 14 parts. At the knee, at the groin, at the chest, at the throat, on these lines on the wrists. Guess what? These are the exact same positions the Egyptians used to describe the cutting of Osiris into 14 parts. This is an encryption. He even says it in his backward mirrored text up here. One fourteenth. That's the tell. It's the cipher. This is about mankind's ascension from moving from Homo erectus to Homo sapien, to Homo luminous, sanctus luminous, sacred light. This is what he was, I believe, directing us towards when it was time for us to double our octave. That's why he placed a 126 in the upper right-hand corner as a page number on the Vitruvian Man. It wasn't part of a book. The 126 solves the conundrum, both in music and in geometry, of how to double an octave. You have to revert to 1.26 and replace the 5 over 4 with 1.26 instead of 1.25. That one shift corrects all music and creates the perfect scales in 432 hertz tuning. 
Mm-hmm. It changes the temperament from just temperament and equal temperament into precise temperament. And now people all over the world, I, I published that precise temperament tuning, and people all over the world are now integrating it. There are philharmonic orchestras that are integrating it because it sounds so different and it sounds amazing. Just tempered tuning is nice because it has the mathematical perfection of base nine mathematics, but it sounds terrible when you listen to it. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, this can't be right. But what everyone's doing when they turn their synthesizer to 432, they think they're fixing it. They're not. You have to change the temperament. The temperament is the critical aspect of this. This is a map that I found from 1457. This map was actually made by this fellow by the name of Frau Morrow. It was pre-Columbian. Now, I'm interested. I'm like, oh, this is the known world in 1457. Let's see what it says about Egypt, right? So I close up on Egypt, Egypto. So it's looking from Europe down, right? Looking from Europe down, and you see these pyramids. But how many pyramids are there? There's five. Five pyramids. What the heck? Something is missing. Okay. So let's zoom in on this. Now notice also the name of the Nile River. It's not Nile. What's that say? Gion. That's the name of the river that came out of the Garden of Eden that means gush, gushing water. Okay, it's the Gihon River is the Bible name of the river coming out of, exactly. So if we look at the pyramids, we've got the Great Pyramid squares a circle. Gives you a perfect square in a circle. Khafre Pyramid gives us what's called the perfect circle. The only circle whose diameter, whose, whose area is equal to its circumference. And Menkari Pyramid is the only pyramid that gives us a square from one half of its base that is the perfect square, the square that's area is equal to the perimeter. So we had five over four, four over three. We're missing three over two, and we've got two over one. Where's three over two? And also, where is the perfect triangle? We've got the perfect square whose perimeter equals area and the perfect circle, but we're missing the perfect triangle. Where is it? Well, guess what? We found it. There's two new pyramids on Abu Rawash. So start with a radius of two. That's the only circle whose circumference is equal to its area. And then place a square around that circle, which will have each side of four. And that is the only square that exists that will have an equal area to its perimeter. Now we're going to add circles of the same size above and below for a total of three circles. And then we'll add two also at the base. And these will be overlapping the bottom circle. So what this does is it creates a pyramid of 5, 12, 13. And then has the same exact area as its perimeter. To those base and it's the exact same pyramid that's on your dollar bill. That's going to create a triangle. With the eye on it. And just like the square and the Hidden circle, by Freemasons. 
and Rosicrucians. And this pyramid exists in a place called Abu Rawash, and it's partially destroyed, but the number of blocks match the exact dollar bill around the first four concourses of it. Right. So, and it also is encrypted inside Vitruvian Man. Look at this. That proportion looks familiar? Use the base of the triangle to create a square. That square and circle proportion looks very familiar, doesn't it? It matches that of the Vitruvian man. But also, but beyond this, what about so, three over two? So what we found was there's an integer grid that connects all of the pyramids around the world. Based on integers, they create musical notes. Each one of them has its own musical note. Those musical notes, I believe, will do something to those pyramids. Right? Are you guys excited? We only just discovered what those musical notes are. And it's not just the pyramids of Giza that match this exact integer grid. But all the pyramids in Mexico match the exact same integer grid. Just like this. I believe it's one of the pyramids that is potentially missing, along with this is the dollar bill pyramid. Of the, the base of it, it has the right stone. angle for Abu it as Rawash well. Abu is two and a half miles away from the Great Pyramid, but sits 90 meters higher than the Giza Plateau. There's another example in Scotland built by Queen Victoria herself, and there's one also There's the dollar Rome. bill. This enigmatic pyramid. The Truvian man fits perfectly in it, and so does Mona Lisa. Just behind what is supposed to be the Jed Efray pyramid that has been long destroyed. So now we have several pyramids on here. Khufu, Unas, potentially Jed Efray, Khafre, Minkare, and the Philosopher's Stone. Are there other pyramids that might match this? Well, let's go to Deshur, south, towards the south, from the Giza Plateau. Both pyramids there have a unique so angle Deshur, of 43.3. The Red Pyramid, the Bent Pyramid, degrees, they all work on the same integer grid that's made simply from two flowers of life rotated within each other. And we can make that perfectly with the same grid pattern. It's every pyramid. That's pre-Diluvian, pre-flood. Relationship for the Deshore Pyramid, which is known as the Bent Pyramid. So, can we actually find this pyramid in this grid pattern? So, the Bent Pyramid is found in the exact same grid pattern. It's not a mistake. Uh, The angle was too steep, so they made a different angle for the top. I don't think so. Bent Pyramid is also perfectly matching this. And it's not only that, but also the other enigmatic pyramid. The Maydoom Pyramid that has all of its casing stones but is somehow believed to be uh, unfinished. The Maydoom Pyramid, based on its base, one-half base, which is 236 feet and its height of 216 feet, will give us this 47.48 degree angle. Now let's look at the pyramids in Mexico. The Pyramid of the Sun is giving us this unique 7 over 4 relationship and it also matches perfectly inside this grid pattern. And what about the Pyramid of the Moon? 10 to 17 relationship, and it also matches perfectly within this grid pattern. So, so wait a minute. Chichen Itza, we have so Khufu, Khafre, Menkare, all the Giza Plateau pyramids, the Deshur pyramids, and now the Mexico pyramids, Maydun, and the Abu Awash pyramids, all matching the same grid pattern? Pyramids of Egypt and Teotihuacan, Mexico There's pyramids Cholula appear well. to match the integer grid. How many other pyramids around the world will match this grid pattern.
Now, I had one other slide I asked Valerie to put up, and I'll put this up if we could, please. And basically, all you do is you take precise temperament tuning, 432 hertz, and then multiply the height over one-half the base by 432 hertz, and it gives you the note of the pyramid. I see a few people with their face in their hands. I'm going back in December. We're going to sing those notes. Thank you very, very much. This has been a labor of love. If you'd like to learn more about this, watch Codex. Um, also, I want to introduce my good friend and colleague, um, Muhammad Ibrahim. So Muhammad has been an amazing stalwart and advocate for Egypt around the world. And he's been not only uh, an amazing person from an archaeological perspective, he's an expert in hieroglyphics in particular, but he's also he's also confirmed some of the hieroglyphs that have been in the Gosford Cliffs in Australia, etc. Uh, he's been brought on many different consulting projects, and he puts up with me all the time, which is always like pushing the boundary of what you know the Egyptians will allow uh, the Egyptian government. But luckily, I've made a very maintained a good relationship with them. But uh, I'd like to introduce Muhammad Ibrahim, and it doesn't look like they're going to pull up the slide with the notes, but you'll have to wait for that because we do have all the notes for each of the pyramids around the world and also all their inverse. And I believe we have to actually do the interval of it. So you're singing the full interval. So some will sing the lower note, and then some will sing the higher note, which will basically give us the major and minor chord intervals. And every note is represented. Thank you very much. Tornado or Toledo, whichever your pick. I think, um, Rami, you're going to send that to Penny, right? I'm not sure if I did, but I think I did. Well, you resend it. Yeah, I did. Okay. So we're going to take a break right now. And uh, as you go and get uh, signed up on Penny's email list, then you'll get to... You might want to re-listen to this, but wow. All I can say is thank you, everybody. Takes all our ears put together. <laughs> so um, we'll take a break now, and we'll see you in about 10 or so minutes. For uh, Richard, uh, look at the stars and... Kepacha and and um, no, what's her name? The other astrologer, Tanya Gabrielle. Yes, and music. Yes, music. Namaste for now, everybody. After talking stick to you, Richard. Hello, can you hear me now? Yes, we yes. can. Yes, we yes, can. Yes, you can. All right, then. Let's jump right into this uh, solar system navigation picture for Wednesday morning at 5.30 approximately Eastern. We had the new moon. 
24 Leo. Square Uranus at 23 Taurus. Add a little Jupiter influence to that. It says nothing but trouble. (laughs) All right. Venus is at 19 Leo. So it's kind of a three-way energy mix in the Leo zone. Now, from that Uranus point with Jupiter, we got uh, trying to Pluto, 29 Capricorn, and trying to Mars at 23 Virgo, so you got a grand trine. And, of course, Mercury is right there with Mars. Mercury's at 20 on Wednesday, and Mars was at 23. Now, to make the kite, we need that good old Neptune at 28 Pisces. And that forms a sextile with Uranus and a sextile with Pluto, so you get the the two triangles making a kite, and the opposition is Neptune opposite Mercury conjunct Mars. All right, that's Wednesday's chart. All right, we get rid of that one. And now we have tonight's chart. Let's see. The moon has moved from... 24 Leo to 9 Libra. Everything else is basically the same except Venus is backed up now to 17 Leo. Mars is at 26 and Mercury is at 22 in Virgo. So there, that opposition to Neptune is an approaching opposition because Mars and Mercury haven't hit 28 yet. So, but it's operative. You know? Mother Earth is right in the middle between all of this energy flux. Chiron's at 20 Aries. All right. Jupiter is up to 16 Taurus, so it's getting closer to Uranus. And Saturn is getting ready. Yeah, you could call it close enough. Saturn opposite the sun. Sun's at 26 tonight. 27 tonight. Sun's at 27 tonight. Saturn's at 5, Saturn's going retrograde, Sun's going forward, so that's what we got going on tonight. And by the time we get to next Saturday, we're going to have an exact opposition between Saturn and the Sun, okay? Venus will be back to 14 Leo, which is going to make it exactly square to Jupiter. That's not fun. No, there's there's 
like you've, yeah, this is just tough all around the the Pluto, Uranus, Mars. Mars is going to be exactly, pretty much exactly trying Pluto the day before Friday. All right, next Friday that that Mars Mars trying Pluto, even though it's a trine. On the positive side, that'll be revelation from the dark into the light. Okay, Pluto rules the hidden and the dark. Okay, we got that going on there. And pretty much everything else is the same. So, uh, let's see here. As we go through the week, the sensitive points are the last five degrees of Pisces and Virgo and 24 Taurus the last degrees of Leo Venus and Leo square Jupiter and Taurus and that's what we got going through the week now the moon the moon's in uh what is that seven leo right now and it's going to move to eight capricorn next by next saturday night and that's it that's all the astrology that's fit to talk about <laughs> now we know kaipach is going to probably start with his new moon analysis so i think we should just jump right into that. Okay. Here we go. Kaipatsu with the weekly Pele report for August 16th, 2023. Um, I'm going to start with this tree. Look at this tree. It fell down, but it will not die. <laughs> you got to love it, man. This is, uh, I, I'm going to be uh, heading out, heading out over there uh, for the report. I am back at uh, Herodura Playa here um, on the Pacific. In, in Costa Rica. But what I want to show you is this tree over here, which is absolutely amazing, but uh, the roots kind of start right there. And I'm going to go on with the aspects while I uh, show you this tree, uh, because, you know, today's a big day. Uh, we've got Mars trine Uranus. Absolutely. Mercury in conjunct Chiron. Uh, I'm feeling a little, you know, uh, snappy. I'll, I'll be talking about that. Uh, Mercury and Mars both going through Virgo. Okay, and Mars is actually uh, coming up to an opposition with Neptune that is exact next Tuesday. And, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Well, I'll get into it. <laughs> Meanwhile, the moon is in Leo, right? And we've got the new moon. It's happening. And it's not just another new moon. First of all, it's in the sign of Leo. And secondly, 
It's square to Uranus. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Uranus over there in Taurus. Now, look at this tree if you want to see something different, right? The tree falls down, and what does it do? It sticks its branches into the ground and then keeps on growing. Is life tenacious or what? Let's go out here. Look at look at the very end. Okay, there's there's fresh branches coming out of that tree right out to the very end of it. <laughs> We're going to talk about tenacity a little bit uh, here today. But what else is going on? What I really want to talk about is the yod that's happening. Okay, the fickle finger of fate. Uh, by Sunday... The sun is exactly in conjunct Neptune, and Monday exactly in conjunct Pluto. This makes a yod, a sun-Pluto-Neptune yod is going to be happening for us. Uh, and I would give it, you know, with a couple of degrees orb, I'd say all weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, sun-Pluto-Neptune yod. So I want to be talking about that. And... Moon moves, you know, on through Virgo, Thursday to Saturday, uh, opposes Saturn, opposes Neptune, all that happy stuff, uh, goes into Libra on Saturday and stays there through the weekend until Monday when she goes into Scorpio. Next week is big, but I'm going to get to that later. Sun goes into Virgo, Mercury stations retrograde, all kinds of happy stuff next Wednesday. But hey, I'll leave you something to look forward to. Right now, I'm going to look at the camera. Arg! Hello there, mateys! Hola! <laughs> Nothing like a good dip in the ocean to straighten your stuff out and help you to forget what you were going to say. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. I th I'm going to carry forward a little bit of what I uh, talked about in uh, this month's Lunar Planner and encourage you, of course, to sign up for my newsletter and you will get the Lunar Planner delivered uh, to your uh, inbox or join the New Paradigm School of Astrology and get the daily breakdown, not just the weekly and the monthly, but this month, looking at the Lunar Planner, and looking ahead a little bit, not only does Mercury go retrograde, okay, next uh, next uh, Wednesday, but we've also got a situation where on the 28th, Uranus stations to go retrograde. On September 4th, Jupiter stations to go retrograde. So, and with Mercury retrograde, Jupiter and Uranus, guess what? You know, uh, you know Venus does turn direct, so we will have two planets. Venus and Mars will be the only two planets in direct motion. Everything else, okay, amazing, right? Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Chiron, Moon's nodes, all retrograde. Wow. What does this mean? I mean, you know, for me, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Reflect, renegotiate, rethink, remeditate, you know, retreat. Ow! <laughs> Speaking of retreats, 
I will be on a retreat in Spain, retreat in the Bahamas, retreat to the Florida. Uh, I'm going to be retreating in Bali uh, in November. But, you know, check out the link below for my retreats. I'll be working with gongs, working with Tantra, working with dolphins. But, you know, this is like such a good time. I want to just encourage you to step back. Step out. Rethink your life, your purpose, your future, your plans. Uh, you know, get out of the routine. Get out of the conventional. Get out of the mainstream. It's a Uranian time of revolution and rebellion against the norm, against the rut, against the patterns and the conditioning and the repeating of over and over again, lifetime after lifetime. No, this is a time of liberation. This is a time of breaking free. And that brings me into the Yad. <laughs> because the resolution point of the Yad is the opposition to the planet that is the focal planet of the Yad. Which brings us to Aquarius. So here's a, here's a little astrology you know, lesson here. We've got just think of it, Pluto in Capricorn, Neptune in Pisces, 150 degrees away from the sun down here in Leo, okay? And the midpoint, obviously, of Pluto and Neptune, which are sextile, right? 30 degrees in from each is opposite the sun. That's the resolution point. It's Aquarius, around 28 degrees of Aquarius. The sun is down here at 28 degrees Leo. So what does that mean? The fickle finger of fate, the finger of destiny, the finger of God, the Yad symbolizes, it's kind of an initiation. It has to do with a crisis. It has to do with a major adjustment. It has to do with mastering. If you can master the sun Pluto quincunx, and you can master the Sun-Neptune quincunx, there is a slingshot effect, a release of energy, a release of power that will take you to new heights, new frequencies, new awareness. And that new height frequency awareness has to do with Aquarius, you see? So what does, you know, what has to be overcome? What has to be mastered? Well, just think of it, you know, first of all, the sun as the focal planet. And this is interesting because, you know, Pluto and Neptune are in this sextile, like for almost everybody born. They've been going about the same speed for a long time, okay, since I was born. I've got uh, Pluto sextile Neptune, okay, <laughs> we all have Pluto sextile Neptune. And what happens is every year... The personal planets, you know, Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, you know, you know, come through, op, you know, into this opposition and make a yod with Pluto and Neptune. So, you know, a couple weeks from now, when Venus goes direct, she's going to be the focal planet of a yod having to do, okay? A couple weeks ago, okay, Mercury and Mars marched through, right, and created this quincunx aspect with Pluto and Neptune creating a yod. The moon does it every month, right? 
So, you know, just after this new moon, okay, you know, uh, you know the, the moon comes into, you know, in conjunct uh, Pluto. Yeah, it, uh, basically that happens, well, basically about the same day as the new moon, which is, uh, you know, Wednesday, right? So we have this new moon happening. I'm going to read, and this also ties in with the Sabian symbol. So this is very, this is really something. We have this Yod with the resolution in Aquarius. We have the Sabian symbol that I'm going to read to you later. And what does it have to do with? First of all, I would say the, the inconjunct aspect, the quincunx between the Sun and Pluto, 150 degrees, is an adjustment that has to do, okay, with mastering our ego, mastering our power, mastering ourself. Plutonian power in, a, in an inconjunct to the sun is like a pressure cooker where there's just this kind of like, I'm uneasy, like I've got to break through, I've got to make a change, I've got to do something, I'm feeling squeezed, I'm feeling pressured, I'm feeling, you know, suffocating, stagnating, and, you know, and it's just like this, uh, and, and, and so there can be this blow up. Or this can be a, a, a burnout or a breakout or a, you know, a, a health crisis. The, the Queen Kunks is associated as a health crisis. It's a Virgo Scorpio aspect frequency. Yeah. So, you know, this, you know, is just kind of like a buildup of this energy of, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, like shh, overly focused, overly intense. You know, and you know, and overwhelming other people, right? Capricorn, Pluto in Capricorn, Sun in Leo, overbearing too much, right? And the inconjunct to the Sun, Neptune in Pisces is escape, avoid, deny. I'm out of here. It's too much. Uh, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, I, 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 I'm just a speck of sand, you know, on the beach here, and I'm helpless and hopeless, and ah! So you're, we're walking this tightrope, right, between Pluto, you know, OCD control, overbear, dominate, and Neptune, run away, run away, run away! <laughs> so it's like, we, you know, we can't overly assert and be aggressive, and we can't be cowards and, you know, like run away, disappear and get high, numb out, whatever. So there's this fine line that we have to really, it's like this mastering, okay, of ourself. And here we come to the sun as the focal planet. The sun as the focal planet can be in the downside. The negative is egotistical. Yeah. Self-centered. I mean my, I'm special, I'm so cool, I'm amazing, I'm in Leo, I'm the star of the show, blah, blah, blah. Hey, everybody, look at me. But the upside is the kingly, yeah, the rain, who reigns on high. Yeah, the, the generous, okay, you know, one that really inspires true leadership. Stepping into the role of, okay, 
Let the spirit of life come through me. That's what the mantra is for today. Rather than it being about me, let me be a channel of something higher, something greater, something divine. And then I'm not, I'm not feeling the pressure, right? I'm not, and I'm not overwhelmed and I'm not goal oriented. I don't have an agenda. I'm not, you know, trying to hard, right, to get something or achieve something or be seen or be heard or influence or just, I am just, I'm just being me, a channel of life, an agent of life. This is the high expression of the creative Leo energy. Yeah. So I'm not caught up in the drama. I'm not caught up in results. I'm not caught up in appearances. And that brings me to the freaking Sabian symbol. Ah! Check it out. I love this one, man. Ow! It's the 24th degree of Leo, right? Because the, the new moon is at 23 degrees, 17 minutes. So that's the 24th degree of Leo. Yeah totally concentrated upon inner spiritual attainment, a man is sitting in a state of complete neglect of bodily appearance and cleanliness. <laughs> An interior focalization, right? Retrograde, retrograde, retrograde is interior focalization. Retreat into yourself, babe. An interior focalization of energy and consciousness at the expense of all forms of outward activity and care. Like, to hell with you. <laughs> I, I, I don't care what I look like, whether I smell, I'm clean or I'm dirty. I am so focused. What is that? Uranus, Aquarius, Third eye, single eye, enlightenment, liberation, focus, right? This traditional image of the Hindu holy man in the typical Western mind may well hide the fact that without proper training, and what do we have? We've got Mercury and Mars in Virgo, training. Apprenticeship, focus, thinking, analyzing, using all of our willpower, all of our mental power, Virgo. I mean, this is a real period. This is a good week for breakthroughs if you can master it. I mean, if you can handle it. I mean, you know, every initiation uh, requires a certain testing. Yes, you know, is the, you know, is the initiate up to snuff, deserving of the download, right? Are, are you, can you handle the influx of energy or will you, you know, is your container too weak? In which case spirit is going to go right over you, baby. <laughs> anyway. We can overlook, right, with, that without proper training, 
and intense concentration. What we usually consider spiritual attainment, self-realization, and the God experience is not possible. The intoxicated chickens, you remember the Sun-Venus conjunction last week, right? I mean, here it is again. The intoxicated chickens of the Leo 21 degree symbol must learn self-discipline if they want to fly. There can be no halfway measures if the goal of true yoga is to be reached. So this symbol suggests a certain kind of technique or at least an adequate means to reach an envisioned goal. The means is total concentration. So that total concentration, you know, it kind of requires meditation. It kind of requires stepping away, in a way blocking out. Sometimes I, you know, tell people with lots of yods or something, you know, in readings or whatever, you need a set of earmuffs or earplugs to kind of like shut out all the voices, all the people, all the business, all the media, all the news, all the bad, da 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 And to really like sit like that yogi in total stillness, total concentration, balancing that Plutonian and Capricorn energy with that Neptunian, okay, you know, Piscean energy. And then you are like a slingshot. That yacht is like a slingshot and it takes the sun. Your solar purpose, right? Your true identity, Sat Nam. And it shoots it. <laughs> yeah, baby. Into God realization. I mean, you got this. You can do this. This is, you know, this is like what, what, this is what we came in for is to experience, you know, this, this, this God, goddess, spirit realization in and with and through the physical body. <laughs> matey. So, the mantra for this week, very simple, straightforward. When I try too hard to impress other people, I get uptight and anxious. But, when I allow the spirit of life to use me, I'm no longer so nervous. You know what I'm saying? You get the ego out of the way. Let's remember, the ego lives in separation. The ego in separation is the root of all fear the fear of death being that root, the fear of rejection, the fear of loss, the fear of blah, blah, blah. It all comes from this ego sense of separation. And when we step out of that ego, 
We experience that higher expression of Leo, the higher expression of the sun, and we become channels of the spirit of life. And what is released when we do that is supersonic, super Wonder Woman, Superman, whatever energy. Just think of it. I don't know if you've ever been in acting, okay, but like if you're going on the stage, there's stage fright, right? There's that moment when you got to go out on there and stand in front of an audience and you don't want to forget your lines and you you get all paranoid and it's all, you know, it's, you know this buildup of energy, right? Well, that buildup of energy, when you just let go and let God, right? You just like, ah, what the hell? And you step out on that stage, you take all that nervous energy and it turns into power. It turns into power. This is the same thing. Think of your snow skiing and you're on the top of the mountain and you're looking down Right? And you're like freaking out, especially if it's like a black diamond run or something, you know? <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, and then you, and then you just like, boom. And you take off. And all that fear actually turns into, right? And you feel, you feel life coursing through your veins. You feel spirit moving through your body, through your consciousness, and you are one with life and all that is as you are racing down that freaking mountain or surfing, right? You know, I mean, just think of, you know, all these places where we confront our fears. And when we make that breakthrough. We liberate ourselves from ego. We trust life. We trust that we are one with life. We trust that we are one with spirit, that spirit is in us and with us and moving through us. Then we become immortal for that moment. <laughs> you know, we become invincible. We, you know, we, 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 we beat death. Because it's an illusion. Our soul just goes through death and birth and death and birth and death and birth. And the soul is like, eh, big deal. <laughs> it's another life. It's another life. Come on. Go for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So this is a week where you can be like that rock in a slingshot. You can be catapulted to the enlightenment of Aquarius, extraterrestrial intelligence, the future, liberation, open third eye, witness observer, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call Aquarius. You have an opportunity of going there, baby, this weekend. But but it does take, like I said, you know, you gotta you got to not run, you got to not hide, you got to not be too full of yourself or too egotistical or you're not too big, not too small, 
you know, not too afraid, not too ballsy. I, I, it's 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 a tightrope walk. Ow! One more time for you know this mantra, and that is. When I try too hard, that's T-O-O, like too, like too much, right? When I try too hard to impress other people, I get uptight and nervous. But when I allow the spirit of life to use me, I'm no longer so nervous. May you allow the spirit of life to use you, to flow through you, to create a reality that is mind-blowing for you. Yeah, this week. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Hey there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, that was one of his better uh, analytical 30 minutes there. Yeah. Yeah. I I was particularly uh, noticed the... uh, Pluto-Neptune sextile, so I had to look it up on my own chart. My Pluto's at 22 Leo, and my Neptune is at 21 Libra. So there you go. The midpoint of that is 20 Virgo, right, 21 Virgo. And opposite of that is uh, 21 Neptune, and Neptune is over there in uh, 27 Pisces. Anyway, let's go right ahead. I've said all I need to say tonight about the astrological energy conditions. Let's go ahead, and after that, I've got book reviews to catch up on with you guys. Okay. okay, you're going to come on the stock conference call then. Uh, I don't think I can do three book reviews in ten minutes, mm. or however long right. we got. So you're coming so, yes. on the conference yes, call I'm gonna, for an hour. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna come on the conference call afterwards, and I've got three books to talk to you about. Okay. 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 All right, let's do this. Here we go.
astrometrologist. Welcome to Star Codes, the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers, the astrology and numerology to help elevate us so that we can be in alignment with the frequency of each celestial event. And in this case, it's a very special Mercury retrograde. And I know you must be wondering what's so special about Mercury retrograde. Well, this time, Mercury will be retrograde for 11 days. So the partial retrograde will be during a Venus retrograde. And that's very exciting. It's going to awaken the divine feminine in a big way. And it starts on August 23rd, which is the Royal Star of the Line number. And if you've been watching or listening to the podcast, you know that this number 23 has been activated across the board since July 23 when the sun entered Leo and it just continued and continued. And now the final event activating the Royal Star of the Line number is this Mercury retrograde. And as it happens, the sun enters Virgo at the same moment on August 23rd that Mercury stations retrograde. So we already have two events on that day. And When you look at the fact that Venus will be already in its own retrograde, which began July 22nd, there will be 11 straight days where Mercury and Venus will both be retrograding. These are two personal planets. And that really means that between August 23rd and September 3rd, when Venus stations direct again for those 11 days, Take a time out if you can. You know, it's still summer in the Northern Hemisphere. So if you're able to just take a break through that Labor Day weekend in the U.S. and just in general to, you know, lay low, uh, take a time out, don't do too much, that's really going to be helpful. You know, with the sun in Virgo, the attention is on health and healing in general. So it's a good time to just get a health, break right and that would mean a break from technology from being on the phone all the time or the laptop whatever the case may be just really look at the fact that mercury retrograde says okay yes i love information but when i'm in retrograde i need to reflect and i cannot reflect when i'm constantly inundated with info and data So this is an especially potent Mercury retrograde. Mercury rules Virgo. Mercury is very comfortable there. And when in retrograde, in general, we focus on integrating information. And so we do this through reflection, through revision, through relaxation. And with Venus being retrograde at the same time, we will be most relaxed when we feel surrounded by beauty, when we feel a sense of pleasure, the five senses, the connection to anything that invokes beauty for you. So Mercury is the messenger. Mercury governs communication, generosity, curiosity. So it's a generous uh, dose of curiosity. Info, And how you get your message across, how you speak, how your body language is, how you think, of course, energy waves, broadcasting. And Mercury keeps technology and transportation running smoothly. 
Now, all these topics and more will intensify as you pay attention and reflect on your inner growth and transmute anything that is stressing you out and also guard against working too hard, as I was saying. If your to-do list is too long, you need to lighten up your schedule. You need to rest and recharge and focus on self-care, Virgo, nurturing, relaxation, and Mother Earth. Let's look at the date first, August 23, 2023, invoking the Royal Star, the Lion number. The sun enters Virgo the same day, August 23. The Royal Star, the Lion number is incredibly powerful in terms of instilling confidence, instilling courage. So this whole period of Mercury in its retrograde until September 14th is designed for you to be more courageous in how you express yourself in what you actually want to share through your voice, your writing, any communication that you have and what you think about. Are your thoughts filled with confidence and courage and proactive and positive, right? This is really the question. This is the final activation, as I said, of the number 23. So it is an incredible sequence of events that led up to this climax. And even though Venus will be in Leo until early October and continue that lion energy, there's a climactic moment now with both of these planets retrograde. And let's now look at another clue about what to focus on. And that is the 21 degree in Virgo number 21 is the number of our 21st century and it represents the truth shall set you free the truth shall set you free so you know the truth can show up in many different ways sometimes we love hearing the truth and sometimes we don't want to hear the truth but it will make itself more readily available at this time so be open and don't shut it down be very conscious that healing is generated because of the Virgo, the sign of Virgo where Mercury is retrograding in its own sign. So you have amazing opportunities now when you hear something that really moves you or hits you to step back and see clearly and integrate. And then from that integration, communicate with a lot of integrity. So the integration results in integrity Those words are intimately connected. So when you are integrated and whole, you are in integrity when you show up in life. So this is a really wonderful time to dive more deeply, to do research, to do editing on anything that will bring your life into balance, especially on a daily basis, right? You just want to make little adjustments here and there or big adjustments. Virgo is a detail-oriented sign. It does govern your daily life. And you may feel compelled to attend to everyday responsibilities in a different way or to focus on those responsibilities that you may have put on the back burner and now realize are very, very important for your life to be in harmony. So you may rethink how you're caring for your health how you're being of service to others, how you're relating to nature, 
whether you are being meticulous enough and also can see the big picture. So the microcosm and the macrocosm are covered by Virgo. And probably the biggest item on the list of Virgo to-dos is self-acceptance. So looking in the mirror, saying hello to you, literally looking into your eyes, telling yourself that you love yourself, I love you, and telling yourself that you will work to improve your life, and looking in the mirror and saying that it really can put you in a place of grounding energy. Virgo is an earth sign, and we're going to get to the earth trying in a moment, but Virgo and Capricorn and Taurus, the three earth signs, are very activated, and so there's a real opportunity here to get grounded, and thereby not get taken for a ride, get influenced in a way that maybe is not for your highest good because you can actually feel and see through that which is good for you and that which is not. So it's caring for your well-being on all levels. Now, the joint Venus retrograde points the way on how to do this and As I was saying, it is truly true beauty. Joyful creativity is key here. Doing something that brings you pleasure and therefore the joy in the creative process and listening closely. You know, Mercury is about communication and messages. So messages from spirit, messages from your guides, messages that are truly divinely inspired are very much on the docket right now. So the transmissions, the downloads, all are super heightened at a time that we're in now. The spiritual renewal, the moment of spiritual renewal is upon us. We are in that time. And that is when the downloads that we have are more heightened. And this goes for everyone. So even those who maybe want to be in denial or those who say, I don't want to know or I'm frightened, the good forces work with them as well. They work in a way to spark courage, right? So the good forces, they want to activate that which is natural in all of us. And if Virgo is anything, it is a sign of nature, of the natural. So your intuitive ability to navigate reality, which is the natural world, that is real, right, is really heightened now. Virgo stands for your true natural gifts and talents. And one thing, there is a shadow side to every sign. And with Virgo, that would be either being overly analytical, right? Or you're doing too much of the detail-oriented. But really, it is the tendency to worry. Now, let's look at the opposition from Mercury retrograde to Neptune. Neptune is still in its own sign of Pisces, has been for many years, and they are in opposition. So remember that Saturn entered Neptune in March after 29 years or so, and will be there for another two years. And Saturn is all about taking responsibility. And in this case, Saturn in Pisces I think I said Saturn entered Neptune, but if I did, Saturn entered Pisces in March. Saturn in Pisces means taking responsibility for your spiritual nature. And that has become very important now. 
to take responsibility for the fact that you are a soul that is incarnated in a physical body. You are not the body itself. You have a spiritual nature called the soul. So you want to look at how you express yourself, Mercury. What are your intentions? What are your goals? How much are you able to produce and achieve with grace and ease? The Neptune opposite Saturn is very, very uh, wonderful for an upgrade (laughs) in all those areas. Because the shadow side of Pisces, where Neptune is, and this opposition can bring this out too, is confusion and addiction and even insanity, delusion, denial, right? Something that is hidden, a lack of understanding really that you as an individual are a creator of your reality. So you create your own reality is the key with Saturn always. And so we have two more years of Saturn in Pisces. And so this opposition will also activate those themes and those topics so that we can better adjust over the next two years. So your life really flourishes when you take responsibility and accept the responsibility to dare to believe that you are in charge, that you are a creator. That is when life gets real. And and it gets real in a way that feels good. So Mercury is also conjunct Mars in Virgo. And that means that your mind is infused with energy and you're supremely focused and your thoughts carry a tremendous passion and momentum. They're rapid. They can race ahead even with the retrograde. So be aware of that. Uh, Definitely think through your ideas. Take time before acting on them and you can make wonderful breakthroughs that way. So Venus retrograde, Mercury retrograde, they're ensuring that you embrace your natural ability to create. You are a creator. Venus is the creative planet. Venus is retrograding in the sign of creativity, Leo, of all things. So the creative sense in you is really being called to action. So you want to live your life to the fullest, the very, very best that you can. And... Just know that when you put out your frequency through what you say, what you do, what you think, what you create, you demonstrate, you inspire others. The more beauty you create, the better, because beauty opens up the senses. Beauty makes you more psychic. Beauty connects you with the majesty of nature, of existence, of life itself. So follow that inner guidance Trust yourself and create the very, very best. And to help you with that, I have a free online class that is really geared towards your spiritual awakening. It's called How to Master Your Stars, and you can watch it for free at spiritualmasteryclass.com. And what we cover is the secret to spiritual mastery, the true meaning of your rising sign in your birth chart, the important difference between individuality and uniqueness, very important to delineate the difference now, your natal sun and natal moon's profound impact on living 
an abundant, happy, spiritual, fulfilled life, and also how to instantly connect with your soul, with your guides, with spirit, and many other secret tools. It's all revealed at spiritualmasteryclass.com. Again, it's free. Enjoy it. Have a beautiful week, a wonderful Mercury retrograde, and I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love. Take back to you, Richard. Hello. Hello, Hello. Richard. Back to you, the talking stick. Okay, the first thing I need is the conference call number because I can't find it. Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353863. Pow. I remembered that part. 353863. Yep. Pound. All yes. right. We'll go over there in a minute, right? Yes. All right. So, uh, just so these book titles get on this recording. Let me go through them here. The first one is from the Penguin Metaphysical Library. And uh, after after I read that uh, Telepathy in the Etheric Body by uh, the Master, I was looking at my section on my bookshelf for the next thing, and this is what I came up with. The title is The Yoga of the Bhagavat B-H-A-G-A-V-A-T Gita G-I-T-A Different, little different spelling, but you know the book. You know the story. This one is The Yoga of the Gita. And the author is S-R-I, Krishna, P-R-E-M. You spell the Krishna just C-R-S-N-A? K-R-I-S-H-N-A. Oh, K-R-I. Okay, sometimes they don't put the I in. Sorry. Yeah, K-R-I-S-H-N-A. Sri is an honorary. So, P-R-E-M. Okay. Uh, Penguin Books, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, and, uh, let's see, first published, London, 1938, revised, second edition, 1948, Penguin Books edition, 1973, and copyright, by Sri Krishna Prem in 1958. 
right. So after reading through that, it was obvious that I should go back and read my copy of of, uh, of the Bible. This this second one is a mentor book, and it's called the Song of God. B H A G A B A D hyphen Gita G I T A. This one is translated by Swami. Prabhavananda, P-R-A-B-H-A-V-A-N-A-N-D-A, and Christopher Isherwood, with an introduction by Aldous Huxley. Ooh. All right. And uh, this is a mentor book from the New American Library, Times Mirror, New York, Scarborough, Ontario, and London also. This one is copyright 1944, 1951, and 1972 by the Vedanta Society of Southern California. So then I went and read that one because it was related to the previous one. Okay, can you just say the name again? Because I was writing everything else and I forgot the name of that second book. Can you say the it? Song of, the Song of God. Okay. Bhagavad with a D at the end, hyphen Gita. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, Thank you. Okay. And then, in the same category, I pulled up my little skinny abbreviated Penguin Classics, the Upanishads. That's a great, and I and I opened this up and it, and I gave this one to my dad in 1981. And I got it back later on, you know. Okay, this Upanishads, uh, translated from the Sanskrit with an introduction by Juan Mascaro. M-A-S. C-A-R-O. Okay, thank you. Juan Mascaro. And this one... First published 1961, copyright by Juan in 1965. So, those are the three books. If you'd like, I will meet you on the conference call, and I'll give you some some of the details and the table of contents, and maybe. Uh, some other stuff, like a preface or something like that. I'll read you a little bit from each of these. Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah, we got to do the con the contents of the yoga of the Bhagavad Gita. 
Yeah. When I yeah, well, see, when I opened this, I realized I have never, I had never yet written it in detail because it had none of my red underlining like I like to do. So we'll do that as soon as we can all get organized on the conference call. Okay, everybody. So we're going to take a little break from our BBS radio right now, and we're going to go to the conference call. I'm going to repeat the. Can you repeat the number one more time for everybody? 720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. All right, everybody. We'll see you there, and we'll be right back here at the top of the next hour. Right back here at BBS Radio, Best Radio. Yeah, on the map here. All right. Okay. See you. See you, see you. Everybody, namaste. All right. Thank you, Rama. That's very amazing, the music that we get today. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, we're going to take another curve here. Uh, this is called Channeling Theo. And the title of this piece is Waves of Rapid Change. You could say that again. Acclaimed medium Sheila Gillette returns to open minds. I remember when we played her before. Oh, Theo. Yeah. He turns to open minds to channel the angelic collective known as Theo, shedding light on the profound shifts unfolding in our global landscape. Amidst the challenges of rapid metamorphosis, Theo's messages resonate with hope and empowerment, emphasizing that these changes are ultimately destined for the betterment of humanity. The dialogue navigates through the uncertainties and growing pains that accompany such monumental shifts. Gillette, asking as a vessel for, acting as a vessel for Theo's wisdom, imparts profound insights on embracing evolution and overcoming the fear of change that often holds us back. Theo's celestial guidance offers a profound perspective on how we can align ourselves with the grand cosmic dance. Discover how to embrace and thrive amidst these transformative times, ushering in a brighter future for ourselves and our planet. And so this will be 42 minutes and let's get started. Here we go. Enjoy, everyone. Theo's been talking five decades about all these changes, and now we're in the midst of the old ways won't be fed in the brain, and the new default system is coming into place as we speak. If you could see ourselves as we see, there would be no discontent. (laughs) There's been much thought about generational trauma 
It's all generational trauma, but you're breaking that mold. So what you're speaking about is critical thinking. Yes. And there isn't any right now. You won the lottery. You got a body. Is that because of salted caramel ice cream? Why is it? We've heard for years now that we're emerging into an evolved new human, human 2.0. But in this story, we also hear that our emotions are going to be changing in this evolutionary shift. What will that be like? Are we seeing a peek into the future through the increasing numbers of children on the spectrum, for example? We're going to speak with Theo and Sheila Gillette about all of this and more. So good to see you back, just beautiful and shiny. You look like a beautiful snowy peak of a mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Regina, it's always fun to be with you. (laughs) So, Sheila, I know that a lot of concern that people have had in speaking with Theo lately has been about economy and all of that. We've talked about this in other shows, Mm -hmm. I think even like 12 years ago. Yeah, we did. But um, we can just... Touch on it for a second, just to get that out of the way. And then we're going to go into this other story. Great. So tell me what Theo's having to say with all these people coming to you with financial concerns and freaking out, actually. Well, you know, Theo's been talking about this for five decades, these Mm -hmm. changes that were coming. And this is the chaos we're seeing right now. And all of the structured environments that will be changing globally political structures, financial structures. We're a global financial species here. Mm-hmm. One, our our finances here in the U.S. affect everything on the planet and others in other parts of the world affect us. So there's a new financial structure that is being created. So there is that flow and the highest good of the human species. Because right now we see it and say, oh, my God, it's all digital. We're not going to have cash anymore. We're all going to blend in together and the same old players are going to take over and manipulate us. Now, that's the fear of most people that just heard that. Oh, of course. Of course. But it's the complete opposite because what Theo talks about is the people are going to be involved in these structures. It's not the powers of the past. This evolution of consciousness that's happening now, it's that structure's dissolving. And it's interesting because we're talking about, and I remember asking Theo about this about a dozen years ago, and they said, your banking systems are going to collapse. These things are going to be done differently in the future. Mm-hmm. Now the time has arrived. And so what we're seeing, though, is we see the government taking over and the people say, I yikes, you know, Federal Reserve, government, all of that. How's that helping anything? And so, but what people don't understand that they've always been in charge. The government's always been in charge with regulations mm-hmm. and in banking and many other industries. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of a fallacy that they're going to get us. Right. That doesn't serve anybody. Theo says these are necessary changes that we all have a voice. We need to use our voice and, and, our our large voice is our ability to vote. And here, it is. here in, in the United States, we have that gift, if you would, yes. to have our voice heard. Where in other parts of the world, people don't have that luxury. They don't have that ability. So it's true. We, when we have our voices heard, whether we're speaking out or we're voting in a certain way. Whatever we do has the ability to make the change. 
And also we have a choice of where we're putting our money, whatever money we have. We can go to a little local savings and loan that serves our community in small towns, or we can put it in something else entirely. I mean, mm-hmm. our money, the one thing that does talk in this world, in the Western world, is our money. So mm-hmm. where we choose to place it is actually going to have a large effect in the future, Absolutely. including if we pull it out and bury it or put it in the box spring or whatever, the mattress, you know, all <laughs> like, in things, the olden yeah, days. like in the old days, all these things, our choice will yeah. end up mattering and it will drive the future. I, I well, agree. we see that in, in marketing and products when people get upset with a particular product or a particular vendor, they don't go there anymore. Right. They don't buy that product. Yeah, the, anymore. the tanks. It makes a huge difference. We have the persuasion still. Another thing I remember them telling me about a dozen years ago was this, that that their political systems would be going through some pretty radical change starting with the 2016 election. That's what they said, that we would start seeing the big changes. Now, we might not like that it created such, since then, such division and instability, but they said, again, this is necessary for the system to grow into a new system, ultimately. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I Theo's been talking five decades about all these yeah. changes, and now we're in the midst of them. Yes. We're in that chaos. But out of the chaos will come order. Yes. And we'll be participating in that. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, we all are going to be adapting, not only now, but in future incarnations. Oh, so yeah. everything that we're laying down now is what we will inherit for those who are going to continue mm-hmm. incarnating on earth, which is most of us. Right now, mm-hmm. a lot of people say, oh, I hate this place. I can't wait to jump off. I hear mm-hmm. this all the time. I want to jump off. Life is too hard. Yeah, we're in chaos. It is, but we chose to be here. Oh, I know. People think, well, I don't want to do this again. But the thing is, is when you realize you've chosen it, yeah. you can change your perception about that. And, and Theo's been teaching us, for years now, new ways to be able to change our mindset. As they say, broaden the aperture of mm-hmm. your perceptivity out of being victimized to that causal, the creative, that being the person that's creating the new rather than being at the effect of it. That's the most powerful thing any of us can do down to the very yeah. micro levels of our own life it is not uh, take on the mantle of us, them, victim, beings more powerful, pyramids with, you know, billionaires and shadowy figures at the top and so mm-hmm. forth. Focus on that is not helpful, I find. Uh, yes, I mean, even Theo said, you do have things working against you. This is true. They've told me that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, every channeler I know in my own beings has said, yes, you do. There are things that need to be overcome here, and there are those who would like you not to advance that way, but they don't ever focus on it. We can see that daily, that there are those that do not want this mm-hmm. new world to mm-hmm. be birthed, mm-hmm. that we're all part of uh, midwifing in, mm-hmm. but it, it's a control thing. Yeah, It's a desire of holding the mass down, so we can control everything, including all the money and all the mm-hmm. land and all. And that's an old paradigm. Mm-hmm. And, and there will work. Yeah, you're, the, the Theo group is very clear. Mm-mm, their days are numbered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're always empowering. 
but it's with love, yes. not fear. Yes. And that is same with the other channels that I know. There are two or three of you that I interview and I'm friends with. And they all approach it the same way. Focus on sovereignty, self-empowerment, and love. You don't need to mm-hmm. focus on who's doing what. Just create beyond that. Yeah, because Theo says, if we can change our mindset, change our minds, lay new neural pathways in our brain out of the default system of fear, fright, right, into possibility thinking, and instead of what if something horrible is going to happen to what if something wonderful will happen? Yes. Just flipping it. That's interesting. Um, uh, Cynthia Sue Larson, that's her, her kind of famous line is when she starts the day is how good can it get? <laughs> yeah. I, I wake up in the morning and, and say, what magic's happening today? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a similar. Yeah. Of- yeah. And you both have very crystalline, clean, clear, high energy. So proofs in the pudding, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so should we go to Theo and, and get in the conversation about emotions and all of this and what's coming up for humanity? You bet. Okay, here we go. It is the beginning, is it not? It is. Thank you. Thank you, Theo, for joining us today. As always, um, I have lots of questions to ask you, and a lot of it requires nuanced thinking on our parts. And what I wanted to speak about is the evolving human being and the evolving emotional structure that will be happening along with this and many flavors of it. So I would like to start with a question regarding all of the beings that are incarnating that are being labeled as on the spectrum or autistic because the way they display emotions, I think is being very misunderstood. It is being misunderstood because these beings are highly calibrated in their nervous systems and highly sensitive. So the the thought that they do not have emotions is incorrect. They're highly emotional. They're highly calibrated, as we said, and the nervous system is very refined, and also the intelligence. So to be in the fifth dimensionary consciousness shift that is now, they will be the ones to carry this world into this evolving state into this greater expanded experience on the planet, which is learning about emotions and how to be in this body, navigating and learning emotions. That's the purpose of Earth anyway, but on a higher state of consciousness. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's go into the future human which you can see. And yes, our choices will matter how fast and how clumsily we get there, but we'll be there. So if you could talk about what happens when you have more highly calibrated nervous system and set of feelings and emotions, and also later I'd like you to break down the difference between feelings and emotions. What does that serve? What does it look like in the new fifth dimensional reality? So in this high, higher calibrated state, physically, this is what the fifth dimensionary experience is, is a higher calibration 
of energy that brings about the emotions coming to the surface and sound and activities and movement are very off-putting to those who are highly calibrated now, which is misunderstood, as you know. But in this evolved state, the body is changing as well. To be, it's a metamorphosis. To be able to accept this higher calibrated being soul, your soul is eternal. It's larger than your physical body. You breathe into this physical existence and then the vibrational frequencies of the soul enter every cell of the body and all the organs and the functionality, you see. So as this higher frequency can be in this physical denseness in a physical body, then of course the body must adjust to the functionality of that energy within it. So what does, uh, the question I would have now is, what does that expression of feeling and having such a highly tuned nervous system allow us access to? What potential will that give us as the new human? Greater creativity. Mm -hmm. Greater functionality of the brain. Greater access to the brain's capacity. It's an upgrade, as you might say, like when you use your computer and have a new operating system that gives it more capacity. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there will be a greater capacity for higher intelligence. And what about the attunement and refinement of the emotional body? What will that allow us to have access to or what does its potential look like? Well, as this continues, it is the shift in the brain and new neural pathways are created and you're moving out of the reptilian aspect of the fright, flight, fear, default system in the brain into this broader creative expansive energetic in the physical body and in the brain function as well. So in this, the old ways won't be fed in the brain. And so that disconnects and the new default system is coming into place as we speak. Where in the brain, if we're losing the reptilian aspect or connection with the brain, what parts of the brain are we looking at the pineal or what will be more uh, fed and illuminated? It began in the pineal and mm-hmm. the frontal lobe will be much more active. Oh, that makes sense for our intellect. Yes. Yes. Interesting. However, it's in the entirety of the brain yes. that will be affected by these shifts and changes. This is really exciting. It is. And as Embodied beings now are looking for how to change their lives. It's emotional changes, changes of a belief about the self that are simply untrue about the lack of self-worth, being lovable, the not-enoughnesses. There is this process that they can do to rewrite the script out of beliefs that were created either externally or internally. Hoisted upon us. Yes, Mm -hmm. or in the moment, Mm -hmm. the belief is created or adopted. Yes, yes. And those can be changed. The events 
won't change their history. And as you release these old beliefs that have limited you, you as humans, as those are released and you become aware of the solid state of unconditional love that you are in your purest essence, then there's no resistance in the physical body to circulation and flow energetically. And when there's resistance, it's aging. When there is none and good circulation in all areas of the body, then longevity, no, the non-aging, if you would, not anti-aging, but non-aging, non-aging can yeah. occur because there's not resistance. And so all of those endocrine functions are going to be shifting. All the glandular secretions and fun- functions, kind of like in my body, which is dicey in this day and age because we do have a lot of weird stuff going on. But emotions can kill me. I overindulge yes. in emotion. I end up in the ER. It's yes, a difference of life and death. You, your body functions differently. Right. But that's what we're talking about. But that's what we're moving towards. physical body is changing as well. And as these beliefs are changed, it changes the DNA as the mind is changed. And that's what you're talking about. That's fascinating. So when we get into um, not just the pituitary, hypothalamus, all of the pineal, all of this is going to be changing for a more creative flow that's going with, that is allowed because of the smoothness of where our emotions will ultimately go? Yes. Yes. Can you imagine a world of integrated human beings that are acting out of love? Oh, it just brings tears to my eyes because we can all feel that we want that and what it would feel like, but so many feel it's so impossible with all of the obstacles in their way right now. The greatest obstacle is the lack of self-love. Yeah. Go ahead and speak about that, because most humans suffer from that to one degree. All humans do. Yeah. And that has been a belief system that has been passed along for thousands of years. It is now changing. What started it and why? It was, was in the part third, of the program? It was part of the third dimensional experience. And that third dimension has been this divisiveness. There's not enough for me. I'm going to take mine and you don't have any. This type of survivalist yes. experience. And there's enough for everybody. Yes. And imagine a world where you could be collaborative and not competitive. You would compete in sports and these things, which is having fun, but you are better together than you are apart, and you are a collaborative species, truly, and that will be what is recognized. Oh, that's beautiful. But right now, the way competition is used is we have these reality shows that leave someone in tatters and crying while, you know, someone's climbing on top of them to win, and I, I can't watch that sort of thing. I don't even like to see it in the animal kingdom. Those types of shows, you call them shows, entertainment, is the old paradigm. Absolutely. Like doubling down on the old paradigm. Yes. And belittling. Yes. It's horrible. And so we say unto all of you, what would love do? In any interaction you make, 
any intention you have, first ask yourself, what would love do? That is simple. And if everyone did that, they would act from love. Absolutely. This brings another question I just kind of touched on a moment ago. In the animal kingdom, you know, to live off of one another's bodies has been the way many, many species have survived. Many species are going extinct as well. So can you talk about what's happening parallel to the humans in the animal world? Will there still be the need to kill one another to survive? Is that a constant? And have some of these disappearing species simply blinked out because they're in a different density now? Mm-hmm. They're in a different density. Mm-hmm. But you're speaking of the human condition. Mm-hmm. And when you're collaborating and creating a better world for all, that's a different mindset than what has been occurring over these centuries, that these kinds of thought patterns have been passed along. And that's what you'll see change. As beings change their belief systems out of being victimized to the creative, to the beings that we see you to be. If you could see ourselves as we see you, there would be no discontent. (laughs) So back to the animal kingdoms. Well, are they also going through their own transformative process collectively, spiritually as humans are? Because if the earth is transitioning to higher frequencies, then we all need to or we can't be here. It's all species on your planet. So what I've wondered is this, because the frequencies seemed there has been this period of time that's long been known where earth would be making her um, transformation and ascension into a less dense field that certain species that live in that third dimension must stay in that third dimension. And when I say blink out, I mean they still exist, but perhaps in another body that is still holding those third dimensional frequency patterns. All will be changed to this higher frequency. So all Unless, animals will. So yep. the ones that have disappeared is simply they've died out due to Environmental issues, not it has been. It has been environmental. Yes. But as you're recognizing, there are some species that are coming down. Yes. And there are some new ones we're discovering. Yes. Yes. So, yes, there is an era for all things, including us. Yes. There has been over time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But imagine what humans are doing now in the shift of consciousness is they're changing the patterns that have been passed along Mm -hmm. generationally, Mm -hmm. societally, within the structures of incarnating over and over again. So there's been much thought about generational trauma. It's all generational trauma, Mm -hmm. if you would ask us, because there's been much trauma in the human species over Mm -hmm. thousands of years. But you're breaking that mold. Yes. You're changing that dynamic now. Yes. It's very exciting. And then you have creatures, human beings, perhaps maybe from somewhere else incarnating as human too, um, such as a man named Elon Musk, who is both adored and vilified. He's one of those people, you love him or you hate him. And he appears as someone who's on the spectrum. 
and he appears to be somewhat mechanical um, on a, through many people perceive him as mechanical when they're watching interviews with him and so forth. Can you talk about this entity and others like him? Because there are many more coming. There are many more coming. There are many more that are on the uh, already here. So tell us about this one and others like him. He has a heightened frequency and intelligence, and we've been speaking about that as this evolutionary process. And what he's trying to do and what you're sensing in him is how to speak as others could understand what he's talking about. What would he sound like if we could, what would it sound like if he would just understand him? Yeah, he would, he's like bursting to express what it means to you know, whatever it is he's trying to bring to the planet, so many different things at one time. He's so enthused about, he puts his time and all his money into it. But I feel that holding, trying to hold it together because there's no way to express it really. There isn't. He doesn't have a language that you could understand what he feels, senses, and knows. And many scientists have that difficulty, as you know. There are scientific minds They couldn't explain anything to you because they have their own language. He has his own language, but very few can understand that language yet. And the one thing that also gets tossed aside often in the, in the programming that we've all had that, you know, it's a conspiracy theory and he's, he's all for AI. He's specifically warning against some of the AI potentials he created actually. Um, and I don't see him as evil. I see him as an entity who's come to serve and offer as much technology toward the new way as possible. That's my personal viewpoint on him. But the other thing he adds in in the story is, but what is all of this without love? Because people see him as a dispassionate person. And I say, well, he's got nine kids. I mean, can't be that dispassionate. <laughs> well, he wants a better place for those children. Yes, he does. Well. Yeah. So you wouldn't be having children if he wanted a world that was going to destruct. So understand this. He is the future. That's what I, I believe too. Of higher intelligence. Yeah. And that's the, as we began our speak, of talking about the human brain and its capacity and what's happening in this transformational time is that there will be a greater capacity to the functionality of the brain. So as more ordinary people like ourselves incarnate into the future, what we're laying down right now, what beings like Elon and others like him are laying down, is our inheritance. That is what we're going to be opening into in our new vehicles in the future, correct? It's not just for the few. That's correct. Again, imagining a future where the collaboration of the human species with all other species, with love, what that could be. I'm, I mean, I find it amazing. So now we get down to the human part of where we are right now. And that is that humans are very attached to emotion and drama. They're very attached to being a victim. And very attached to being a victim. And that's their story. And what we encourage is relinquishing that thought and seeing the gifts and blessings of the challenges of life. For the challenge is only the curriculum of life. And you've come here to learn. So what can you be, learn? What can, 
what can you get from all your challenge? And when you do, when you embrace it, you release the feeling of victimization to anticipation and enthusiasm. Much more beautiful and productive. <laughs> so I, I think of a fictional character, Spock, you know, you know, in the Star Trek series and, and when they go into his backstory, um, his father's explaining to him that humans don't understand that he's actually, that they are far more sensitive emotionally than human beings, which is why they have learned the art of using their logic to help put order and structure to their being so that they can survive the emotional soup. Right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. From so it's foretelling of the future, isn't it? Yes, it is. So though it was a story fictionalized, now we're speaking about it and you're witnessing these human beings with this same capacity of intelligence and emotional intelligence that will come from it. That can then drive their endeavors with compassion. Yes. Because if you can stop yourself from just literally frying your circuits with emotions, which everyone's doing right, the chaos right now and emotions are crazy here. Mm -hmm. If we can stop and take a breath and contemplate and apply a little intellect, why are we feeling that feeling? Is it true? Even ask a few questions to use the mind to help soothe the emotions. That's a little step forward toward where we're headed. So what you're speaking about is critical thinking. Yes, absolutely. And there isn't any right now. That's for, <laughs> for many. That's true. So there, no one is asking, is it true? <laughs> That's true. They're just accepting some of these things that are so untrue and not even asking the question. So to your point, to go within ask your higher power in you knows mm-hmm. you all know truth. Mm-hmm. So asking, is it true? You can gain clarity. But you have to then be willing to let go of that sweet and sour addiction to drama and heavy emotions. To the story. To the story. Of the victimization. Yes, exactly. And some like to be actors in that play. Some will choose. Shall it gets boring. Some, they never get bored. <laughs> True. <laughs> Let's talk about the notion of other planetary beings who are capable of and can incarnate in human vehicles during this time of transformation. We find this most amusing because <laughs> people call others aliens or our other places. Imagine that you're one of them. Yeah, we are one of them. So it's that... Souls have billions of choices of incarnating or not. The earth is only one. So it is not surprising in this time of change to have this regressive experience to find out, and it's an integrative experience as well, of who you are. So what is the lure then for beings who haven't been incarnating as human? To come and try on the human experience right now. To learn emotions. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Have fun. 
But they're coming also at a time when we're trying to transform the, when we're going to be demand, it's going to be demanded that we transform our emotions. Don't be a part of that transformation. Just mm-hmm. as all who have enjoyed many human lives are part of the transformation, it is quite exquisite to have an earthly experience and a human body. And that's the realization that you'll come to. Speak about that a little more for all the people who are saying, I don't want to come back. <laughs> you won the lottery. You got a body. There are billions of souls who would love to have a human experience. Is that because of salted caramel ice cream? Why is it? It's, it's all of those things that you enjoy because you have your earth suit. You have all those sensory perceptivities in the body that you can enjoy your ice cream. You can touch and be touched. You, you can have the thrill of feeling the magic of your intuitive gifts. So what is it like for the beings that are not incarnate, that are desiring these things? How does their learning and growth occur without the resistance of the earth suit? They choose something else. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Another kind of body. Yes. But earth, my understanding is earth is a desirable place because of the sheer variety of experience that's possible here. That's true. And look at the beauty of your planet. Oh, it's so beautiful. And know that there could be as many as 40,000 other planets like Earth in your universe. As beautiful. Beautiful and experiential and Mm -hmm. all the things. So if you look at the pictures of the universe that you can see now, you can see the vastness of what we speak. Yes, stunning. Yes. And so the mind has been this small myopic viewing point that the aperture is being broadened now. So let me ask you this. Within these, I think you said 40,000 other planets like Earth within our own universe and there are multiple universes. Yes. Are there other species like us? Are we kind of unique in the way in which we're growing? We would like to tell you you're unique and special. You are on Earth, unique and special. But this is happening elsewhere. This isn't the only kind of growing experiment, so to speak. And it's not even an experiment, (laughs) really. It's just a choice, isn't it? Yeah, a choice. So the species there have had to make the same choices we're making right now and have had to have step up into the same faith of their own potential to grow into what they've become. That's why you incarnated, because you know it. Mm-hmm. And when we say you, we're speaking of the papal you, the larger mass you as humans. Mm-hmm. Those of you who have incarnated now have come here purposefully for this transformation and transition to this higher consciousness. So don't chicken out now. Some, some of the younger people are having so much trouble. They're taking their own lives. So many young people. Mm-hmm. They're not able to handle these this density of the chaos and confusion. What they're not able to handle is the bullying and the lack of love. Yeah, that's so true. So what is necessary is support Mm -hmm. and the 
unconditional regulation of the usage of their technology. You spoke of AI. Regulation here is of utmost importance for the emotional balance and psychological balance of the species. What we're saying is parents do not let your kids live on their devices. Right? Yeah. This cannot continue like this. But it's not only up to the parents. It's up to the providers. It is up yes. to the inventors. Yes, it is. That are creating these new innovations. Because they're creating it to be addictive. Yes. For monetary. Mm-hmm. And don't let our children be a cog in that machine. Correct. But also demand something of them as well. Yes. Again, money, unplug, don't do, don't give them your subscription, don't click on the clickbait, just don't buy in. Yes. Yeah. And change will come. Yes. But even those that are bringing these innovations forward, you spoke of that being Musk and others are speaking to this as well. It's yes. not just Oh, yes. Us. They're saying, don't let this take over your children's lives. This is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yes. Regulate. Regulate. Yes. So that's going to be interesting. It's, that's a big one that we'll have to handle as a species over the next couple decades. Um, Theo, um, you've had, you've handed us so many pearls. Any final thoughts before we say goodbye today? We never have final thoughts. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are only more questions to be answered. Yes. However, we are appreciative of the opportunity to serve and in the asking it is given. Thank you so much on behalf of all of us. God's love on to you. Good day. Welcome back. Thank you. That was super inspiring. I don't know if you remember anything, but there was some real, real beauty, real nuggets in there of glimpses of what we're becoming. That's wonderful. And, you know, many people are asking about that now. Theo's been talking quite a bit about where we've been and where we're going, and and it's quite positive. Very positive. And just talking about what happens when our we incarnate with a more refined nervous system and emotional structure how it's blowing out some of the kids right now, the people right now that can't handle this because mm. they're coming in for the new, the new way, the new human, the beginning phases of the new human. But that what that is going to lead to in the end is just beautiful, just stupendous. And mm-hmm. I thought they explained it really nicely because I think in a time of chaos, the one thing we need is to, where's that brass ring? Why bother? You know, you need mm-hmm. to see a glimpse of what's possible. Yeah, and I think we have to get out of um, paying attention to what's happening out there. Yeah. And pay attention to what's happening in here. Yeah. And that can give us that stability mm-hmm. if we we do that. And and most are caught up in the, the reaction of being triggered by what's happening out here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the point. Keeps yeah. you glued to your phone for the next headline. Yeah. So more people should meditate. Yeah. And get an inner yeah. balance and it's all good. Do you okay. still start your days? I, I've known you for a lot of years now. Do you still start your days with a meditation and a soak? Not, well, sometimes a soak. 
You usually soak end a the, lot. Yeah, well, we still do. We're yeah. in the hot tub. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're hot tub lovers. <laughs> but meditation for sure and gratitude. Gratitude. You know, just before my feet hit the floor in the morning, I've been grateful for one thing and proud of myself for one thing that I've yes. done. Because we tend to always ruminate and Oh, I should have done it another way or this. But really being proud of yourself, large or small, yeah, of something that you've done. This is the transformation of that unconditional love of self, moving out of that old thinking pattern of not being worthy or good enough. Absolutely. And it's such a simple one. I think you shared that on one of the other shows recently Mm -hmm. with us. And it is profound. Just to start with gratitude alone before Mm -hmm. you even do self-appreciation takes you into a very refined field of love and connectedness. And to your point, too, is meditation. Yes. You know, most people go, I don't have enough time. That's when you need it the most. Right. And what does it give you? It gives you focus. So it seems like you have more time if you do it. Yes, absolutely. And there are all kinds of little apps and everything in the world of technology to assist us to go inside. (laughs) If you're, if you're, what do you call it? Twixt in between the worlds of technology and the organic meditation, Mm -hmm. combine the two. There are all kinds of ways to help mate. So otherwise you can just stop and Take a little breath or two somewhere. Take a walk in nature. Yeah. Exactly. That's a meditation. Simple. Yeah. Sheila, thank you. It was absolutely beautiful. A really, really lovely transmission today. Oh. So until next time, thank you so much for being oh, here. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> so good to be with you. To learn more about Theo's offerings, you can go to asktheo.com. You'll find the latest books and workshops and trips available there. You can also go into the Gaia archives and find my other interviews with Sheila and Theo. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Uh, uh, we will. Uh, I wasn't quite sure I comprehended what she was saying at some times, but. Um, Mm-hmm. Her teachings, the principles are really good. About uh, timeline traveling past life. Yes, that's what we're going to do next, Rama. Okay. All right, I'll read this real quick. This is called Timeline Traveling and Past Life Portals. What are past life portals, and how do how are they? Tra- tied to the blueprint of the soul. Medium and certified past life regression therapist Gaia Shania shares how her life was transformed at age 33 from an interdimensional businesswoman and television presenter in New Zealand to a gifted medium with the ability to tap into past life experiences. As her gift grew, Chania gave up her corporate career in favor of soul progression therapy. As her work continued to teach her about the blueprints of our souls and how sometimes we must evolve from what we think we are into who we, who we are meant to be. 
Discover what it means to be a timeline traveler. How to traverse portals between past lives. And how we can learn from our soul's blueprints. Okay, and this is George Nuri with Gaia Shinia. And this is 43 minutes. So let's do this. Let's do it. Welcome to Beyond Belief. We've got an amazing program for you. Gaia Chanaya is with us, a medium and certified past life regression therapist. After experiencing a very profound awakening at the age of 33, and she'll tell us about that, she established her own healing company called Soul 33. Through her unique soul progression therapy approach, Gaia communicates messages from spirit guides, applies energy medicine, and delves into past lives to gain insight into the soul's blueprint. Gaia, you do it all. Welcome to Beyond Belief. Thank you so much for having me, George. I've come here all the way from New Zealand. This is amazing. That's a long poke. It is. 33, what happened? I came from a corporate background, George. I have a master's degree. I uh a television presenter as well in Australasia, Australia, sure. and New Zealand. And at the age of 33, I had a product distribution company in Asia, and I was traveling up and down between New Zealand and Asia very, very frequently. And I would go back to New Zealand, and I would have these amazing traditional Maori healing massages with an indigenous healer in New Zealand. So I'd go there for my body work. And after the age of 33, I went to see her, and she was working on my body the way that she normally would. And she said to me, something's changed about you, Gaia. Mm. And I said, what do you what do you mean? And she said, next time you come over, I want you to work on me. So I I sort of looked at her a bit perplexed, George, and I didn't really know what she She meant. She wanted you to work on her. That's right. So basically we were swapping positions. And so I, I went to Asia and did my thing, and I came back to New Zealand completely forgetting what she'd said to me. And I went over to her clinic just to receive my normal massage that I'd go for. And she was lying on the massage table, fully clothed with her little puppy on top of her. And she said to me, do what you know how to do. So I I was sort of looking at her going, I don't understand what that means. You didn't know what to do. No, I didn't know what to do. But she seemed to innately trust in in my abilities, which I didn't know I had until, until then. And in that moment, I can literally say that something completely took over me. And I was able to see all the cells in her body, George. I could smell her disease. I could see future things coming up for her, which she completely validated because I had tears streaming down my face. It's never happened to you before. It never happened to me in this way. Mediums had told me in the past, you know, as a 20-something-year-old when I was attending uh, mediumship readings to find out more about myself, that I was intuitive. But I never knew it was going to be in such a profound way. So with this indigenous healer, she allowed me to look at her from a soul perspective. And I was able to tell her things that she didn't know about herself and confirm certain things just like that. And I remember leaving there incredibly 
overwhelmed and upset because I felt like I had no control over what was happening. And it was quite funny, George. I went home and I rang my partner and I said to him, you need to come home because I think think something's happening to me. Something's wrong. It literally was. And I remember him coming home and he said, what's happened? I said, I can see. And he said, what does that mean? I said, I seem to be able to see beyond the physical. And George, ever since then, this gift has become even more profound. It seems to grow every single year as I graduate um, different levels of my spiritual ascension. And from there, I chose to give up my corporate career and go full time into Soul 33. And soul progression therapy is what was what was birthed through this awakening. Was that a difficult decision for you to make? I, I have to be honest with you. It was at the time because who I thought I was and who I really am were completely two different things, George. Right. I grew up in a community where, you know, tertiary education was important and having a career was important. And I think my ego was tied up into who I was. And I had to disappoint my ego and go truly into my heart space and find my passion and fulfill my purpose. And my soul realized that I had this purpose to be able to help people find their path by understanding who they really are. And people of all walks of life all over the world seek me out for my services now, George. Good for you. Yeah. In, uh, initially, did your friends and colleagues think there's something wrong with Gaia? She's flipped out on us. To be honest, George, others didn't seem to be so as surprised as I was. I probably was more surprised than everybody else around me. I think when I look back, uh, people naturally always came to me with situations, seeking advice and guidance, asking me to use my intuition. I just didn't realize that it was anything connected to the spiritual realm. Right. And... You know, I grew up in a Hindu family and the Hindu faith and when this Which is very spiritual, very, very spiritual. So we, we did have a lot of rituals and ceremonies. But, you know, as a young person growing up in that community, I never questioned what they were for. And after the age of 33, I started to open my eyes up to all the different modalities and all the different faiths and what they mean. And everything started to integrate and I became a lot more aware of what I was doing and what I was doing it for. I love your name, by the way. It Thank reminds you. me of this company that we work for. <laughs> I know. It's a beautiful coincidence. What does it mean to you? So in my culture, um, Gaia is the ultimate mother, the mo- the goddess. Yeah. And so obviously in, in other cultures such as Greek, um, you know, it's the goddess of the earth. So my parents gave me a name that I truly embodied uh, in my 30s as I found this ability and became more of who I am. Gaia, what's the difference between soul progression versus past life regression therapy? Sure. So past life regression therapy, which I'm also, that's a trained ability to be able to induce a client to access past lives themselves. That process can take quite a lot of time for a person to be open and to be put in a state of relaxation, to be able to go back in time. Part of my ability, George, which happens when I see a client for the first time, is that I have two portals that open up for me. The first portal that opens up is 
a connection to the universe where I invite in spirit guides, ancestors, past life connections that my client has had since birth and previous births. And the second portal that opens up is my ability to travel to different timelines. So the difference between what I do and say past life regression is I am literally going through a portal and standing in a different realm at a different time and much like a set that we're in today. And I will be able to very, very vividly describe to a client who they are, what they're doing, what they're experiencing. And 99% of the time, George, because I don't know any background about my clients who attend my sessions, they will say to me, oh my goodness, the same thing is happening to me right now. Yes, I did get married and divorced at 20 years and I do have a son and a daughter or I do have that disease now. So when I travel to these different realms, it's a very, very real experience for me because I can smell, I can sense, I can taste, I can feel, I can fully embody who that person was. And I'm able in a very short period of time to give a client that blueprint in order for them to understand their story. And I think as individuals, George, we all are looking to understand who we are and why we are the way that we are. And so with my mediumship abilities, I am able to access that past life information and deliver it to you and my healer abilities able to transmute any energy that may be stuck in those realms that are preventing someone from progressing their soul in this particular lifetime. Is it easy for this to coexist together? Absolutely. You mean past life regression? Past life in the I, There's a place for both of those modalities to work together and hence why I will dip in and out of both depending on the client that I have. But I find with soul progression and my ability to look at the soul blueprint, it's a really great snapshot of what has happened to you to explain a lot of why experiences are happening for you in this particular lifetime. Because we just keep repeating things over and over again. And and does. And a lot of people just don't understand why. So when I'm able to go in and say, look, you've had, you know, without knowing what the client has experienced, this is what's happened to you in the past. How does this resonate with you in this lifetime? And they're almost in shock and also really validates why they've had certain experiences and what they're meant to learn from that. So my abilities cover the ability to rise above and have perspective on a whole situation, as well as in a very practical way, communicate that to the client so they actually can do something about it. And be aware, because when you have awareness, you can change everything. That's true. What do you see generally, Gaia, when you work on a client? I initially, when I work on a client, the first thing I'll see will be a blueprint of lifetimes before. So that gives both me and the client insight into who they are, why they are the way that they are. The second part of a session for me is I'll start to see future potentials. So the spirit guides, as well as the client's soul, will be communicating with me because the client's soul is like a database of infinite wisdom and knowledge. So I plug into that and I will start to see the potentials the clients will have for their future. So things like future relationships, future career, future diseases in the body they need to be wary of now. So the future potentials will depend on what the client needs to hear, not what they want to hear. 
Fascinating. Yeah. So after that part of it, I will do a body scan of the entire body. So because my abilities. By looking at them? By looking at them. So I have spirit surgeons mm-hmm. that work with me and I have one in particular that will stand beside me and I'm able to use my psychic scent to be able to smell any diseases in the body. Now, my job is not... Like a dog can smell cancer. Exactly. That kind of thing. It's exactly the same for me, George. I can smell cancer, and I can often smell cancer before I even know who my client is for the day. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes, so I can smell it, and I can also see the blockages in the body. So when I provide that sort of insight to a client, and especially if I've seen it in the soul blueprint, they can actually be proactive to speak to their medical professionals and do what they need to do to enable themselves to find that balance in this life and break the karmic cycle. Because with my abilities, I also can see why they may be repeating certain diseases. Because, you know, Louise Hay's famous work. God rest her soul. And, and, you know, such an amazing healer she was. There's always a reason why things manifest in the body. And so when I'm able to see them, plus have a look at why and where they've come from and what that could be for the future, it really gives the client a lot of information to work with. And um, I just find that this whole process of soul progression therapy is a very succinct way of a client to receive spiritual but practical information to be able to ensure that they're living a life that is full of love and fulfillment and purpose and not repeating things that are causing them sabotage or grief or pain or suffering, which all of us experience on some level. So I'm there to help people break those patterns as, as well as be aware of them. Well, let's listen to some of your clients and what they say about the work you've done with them. When I went to see Gaia, it was an experience that I had never had before. It was healing. Uh, it involved intuitive information, past life regression. Having the past lives show up was really interesting. It was really interesting because the, the lives that showed up for me were the ones that dealt with this reluctant path that I was on. I was at a real crossroads in life at the time. Um, and one of the, one of the things I was really looking to achieve was to become a mother. And at that stage, I had no idea how that was going to happen. I needed to make sure that I was spending as much time with my mom as possible because she was battling cancer at the time. At one point, Gaia turned to me while she was channeling and she said, you know, you're a healer, right? It was very matter of fact. And I'd never had anyone directly look at me and say something so profound and something that I knew so deeply, but couldn't say out loud. Right from the start, Gaia was able to see that there was a child in spirit waiting to come in. Just there was a little bit of work for me to do before that happened. She could smell illness when I walked in. And that's not my illness. It was my mom's illness. She just knew my first name. That's it. So there was no way to find out anything about me online or through other friends or people. What happened specifically for me was... The noise and the chaos and sort of how I see this sort of residual goo 
that I've brought into this life from all these past lives, we're now clearing away and we're cleaning. A year to the day after our first appointment for IVF, our beautiful son was born. The way that she sees who you are is something that you really cannot get in your day-to-day life. Amazing. Thank you, George. What does disease smell like? The first time I smelled it, George, I alluded it to the smell of death. And I know that it's a very hard thing to understand when I say something smells like death, but it is a smell of decay. It is a smell of, it is a bit of, it's a, it's a foul smell. Like eggs? Yes, there is a bit of a sulfury type of scent to it. But it's very, very distinctive. And like I said, sometimes before I even see a client or know who's coming, spirit starts to give me that information before a client attends so that I I can start to really feel that person and understand that person. The gift that I've been given, George, is to really see someone for who they are and reflect that back at them. You don't hold back, do you? I don't hold back. I, I I tell it the way it is, but this is what makes my service so popular is because people find it hard to hear the truth sometimes, but the truth sets you free, and that's how you break away from all the previous Absolutely. cycles that you had and can step into your power as I've stepped into mine. You've been able to communicate with unborn souls as well. How does that work? This is one of the most favorite parts of my job, George. communicating with the souls of babies is the most purest form of consciousness you can ever have. Uh, One of the biggest things I see and why people seek me out, especially women, is that they want to know whether there is a child there for them, if they're able to conceive, if they're going to experience any complications. When I meet someone and a child steps forward, There are many, many occasions where I can tell the parent, the child's name, the gender, when they're going to be born, perhaps even how many miscarriages the parent might, the mother might have. While it's in the womb, right? Sometimes even prior to the womb. Um, But in the womb. Before conception? Before conception. Wow. So sometimes it's before conception and sometimes mothers will book sessions with me who have got the baby in the womb. Because I always say to my clients, you know, women will go for scans to have a look at the baby and the health of the baby. But one of the biggest privileges you have is to nurture the soul that has chosen you to be the mother or the parent. And getting insight that I'm able to get about that child really enables you to support the soul progress of that child. Because for me, I think it's very, very important information to know why has this child chosen me? What is this child going to need for me to be the best version of themselves possible? So with my ability, the spirit of that child plus the client spirit guides will give me a lot of information. And especially if people have had complicated pregnancies, I've had several clients who have had several miscarriages, it can give them a lot of insight when I've looked at the blueprint to tell them why they're having these why miscarriages. Because it's it's horrible to have these kind of experiences and not understand what's this for. It's it's horribly emotional to lose a child during pregnancy or even after pregnancy or whenever. But because we're talking about unborn souls, it's one of the most beautiful parts of my job is when these children come in and tell me, I've chosen this mother, that they know their names and they know why they're coming to earth. And 
and the new beings that we're getting here on earth are very, very enlightened children that are coming in. And so our job as parents is to really nurture that being and um, to support the society that we live in now. Do you deal, Gaia, with people who are suicidal? I do. So part of my... It's not easy. It's not easy. So um, I'm very fortunate to be able to feel the, feel the emotions and feelings of another individual. So for me, I will know when someone is suffering from mental health or is having suicidal feelings because spirit guides will amplify that feeling inside me. And I know then that is not my feeling to hold on to. It's my feeling to transmute and clear for that client. So often if I'm feeling like that, my first or second client for the day, spirit will say to me, this is the client that is having these kind of thoughts. And then I'm able to see through the soul blueprint, you have had these thoughts before and it frees the soul of a person to feel seen and heard, George, that they're not alone, stuck in there, feeling these feelings. They start feeling better. No? They start feeling better because I can feel it and I know how they feel. And I just find that many people who have these suicidal thoughts, it's some form of, I want you to love me. I want you to know who I am. I want, I want to be noticed. And because I'm able to feel that, it can automatically transmute the energy of going, my life is worth living. And everybody's life is worth living. We're all here because we chose to be. And when we're connected to spirit, we will always feel that support and infinite love. So when I do handle clients with a sensitive issue like that, it just gives them profound healing and understanding to be able to release those feelings and find the true meaning of how their soul is meant to progress from feeling those feelings. How does it make you feel, Gaia, when you have saved somebody from committing this heinous act? I don't let my ego get involved with what I do, George. I just find that I'm here to be this medium and healer and soul progression therapist for my clients. I feel grateful that that person has trusted in me to be so open and vulnerable uh, to allow me to feel them and see them for who they really are. So it's an overwhelming feeling of gratitude and pure love that I feel. It can be challenging on me, but it's also a great, great privilege. How do you help people make that transition to learn more about the spirit world? So each and every time a client sees me, and I have many regular clients, there are always messages that come through from deceased loved ones. And with transitioning, I mean, we all experience death. None of us are going to skip that. We have people who pass away in our lives. We're all going to be there. No rush. No rush to get there. No rush at all. We're all going to get there. We're all going to get there. So when I'm helping someone transition into spirit, it's from two different perspectives. It's either a client has come to me because they've experienced death in their life. And I always like to clarify this, George. Death doesn't mean physical death. Death can be the ending of something like a relationship in your life or we, we die or a in career a career or something. Exactly. So we are reborn and die so many times in our lifetimes without the physical body, body perishing. So when I help people transition, it can be through the physical loss of the body where we have this understanding of what you are here to learn and free yourself. And also um, just recently supporting my partner and my mother-in-law who passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was a very, very... How old was she? 78. 
It was very young and it was a very, very quick decline because of cancer. But it was for me on the first time on this side of death where I was there for the last breath. Right. And as a healer, I could feel myself holding space for this transition of the soul. Did you see her die? I did. And I could see who was there waiting for her. And but as her body was releasing energy, I could see life, lifetimes before that she didn't want to hold on to that was going into my body. I could feel lessons that she didn't want to be burdened with anymore. And at the end of it, she was left with this lightness to be able to relinquish the body and liberate herself. And so the transition into spirit, when we have this consciousness that there's so much more after death, can really give us comfort because often when I see a client who has experienced death or partner or a parent or a child, they can often shut down, George. They can shut down and stop it's, believing. It's grief. It's not easy. It's not easy. And so to be able to process that grief and understand it from a medium, healer, someone who's – and how the grief is meant to progress your soul, it really can help people – Use that grief to find love rather than use that grief to hold back from love. And that's a big difference. It's a huge difference because people can live in that grief state. Grief plagues all of us and it will, but it's how we use that to empower empower ourselves rather than to hold us back. Can you reprogram yourself to make yourself a little more spontaneous with this? I really feel that you can. I I mean, even through my own journey, I mean, I learn every single client that I have. I learn from spirit. I learn from my client. I learn from my own wisdom. You're still learning. Absolutely. We all are. We all are. And I think the reprogramming comes when you are able to energetically let go from within your body the accumulation of karmic debt, for lack of a better word. Because when I do the body scan, sometimes when I'm working on a person's physical body, it causes me physical pain. Now, that's because there's so many blockages in the body that the client hasn't let go of yet. And so the reprogramming comes in when a person is surrendering and letting go and understanding that they don't need to hold on to that anymore. As as humans, we find it very hard to let go. Do you have the ability sometimes... To heal serious medical conditions? I do. So because of the nature of who I am as a healer, I work energetically to rebalance and reprogram an individual's energetic field. And it seems to have a positive impact on the health, overall health That's and holistic huge. wellness on, on my clients. So it's been uh, a wonderful privilege to help them with whatever medical issues that they're Well, having. we have an example at how you helped a client recover from a life-threatening disease. Hi, my name's Beth, and I'm from Christchurch, New Zealand. At the end of 2020, I was diagnosed with stage 3 colorectal cancer just three months after giving birth to my beautiful baby girl. It was such a shock. I had no signs, no symptoms, and had it not been that I'd just given birth to my daughter, they never would have found it. I was in absolute shock. I was devastated and I was in the flight of my life. I underwent a really intense regime of treatment, which included two major surgeries, 
um, radiation therapy and chemotherapy. And by the end of the treatment, I was broken. It was brutal. I was dealing with a lot of trauma, trauma from the diagnosis, trauma from the treatment and trauma from not being able to be a mum to my baby girl. There were times during the treatment that I wasn't even able to touch her with my skin. Um, so I was in a pretty bad place. Once I'd finished my treatment, a mutual friend of ours had told me what Gaia was doing now and about Soul 33 and that she was a healer. And I immediately knew I had to see her. I was in just guided to see her. Guy knew I was coming but had no idea about any of my cancer or what I'd been through. She had no information. She worked for hours on me energetically. She gave me the most mind-blowing insights, um, looked into past lives, soul progression, therapy. It was it was life-changing. It was mind-blowing. I walked away just in utter awe. It was one of the best days of my life. Um, I walked away pain-free, and that pain has never come back. I walked away feeling a deep sense of healing, both physically and mentally. Um, and I walked away with all these amazing insights and really practical information about how I could continue to help myself heal. Um I'm now cancer-free, and I plan to stay that way. And I have a lot of that reason is because of Gaia and the way that she's helped me to heal, both what she's done and how she's helped me to heal myself. I'm still on my healing journey, um, but I know that she's here with me the whole way, and I know that I'm going to stay cancer-free and be okay. That's wonderful. It is. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel emotional, to be honest. I don't blame you. Yeah, she's she's you a saved her life. Yeah, I mean, I I contributed to that. But it's really interesting with when I work with people with these life threatening diseases, I actually feel the disease in my body after I finish working with them. You take on their symptoms. I take it on. So sometimes it can take me a few days to release it all. But it's a it's a great privilege to be able to do that for for the client. So Did it makes ever, me feel emotional. Did you ever see the movie The Green Mile? You know, it's funny, George. I often tell people. That it's amazing that Stephen King knew that that's how it is exactly right. Because when I re- release an energy from my body from working with clients, it's exactly like John Coffey's off the green yeah, mile. Exactly. Exactly. It's when he the would same. open up his mouth and those things would fly out or come in. Th- that's exactly is that what happens to you. Exactly the same. It, it flies out of my body. I can literally feel it all coming out. How do you know that you won't contract the disease you've just taken away from somebody? With implicit trust of the spirit guides that work through me, I'm always protected, George. And so it, it also requires, I mean, I do a lot of routines and self-care practices to make sure that my body is pure and clean as a vessel for these clients. But it's pure implicit trust that I know that I'm not to hold on to somebody else's energetic garbage for the well, reason. Have you ever healed somebody and you didn't feel good? Oh, absolutely. That happens a lot. But it is part, it's the part and parcel of my and job. And you get rid of it. And right? then I get rid of it. And that can take, it depends, like after the client that we just saw, it did take me a few days, but it's given her a life and it's given her the ability to be a mother. And that's how you progress the soul. What do you think, Gaia, you're tapping into to do all these things that you've done? What is it? When I connect before I start working on a client, I am connecting with the ultimate source of information. 
And because the universe is infinite and keeps expanding, that knowledge keeps expanding too. So there are several spirit guides that I do work with, but I literally feel a cord connected up to the universe where all of this information is downloading into my body, into my feelings, into my thoughts to be able to convey the messages and facilitate the healing that a client needs for their soul progression in this lifetime. John of God has these abilities. He has done some stupid things in his life that he went overboard a little bit, but Mm. he's a human. He is a human. Human beings do stupid human being things, Mm. but he has a power to heal. He does. Is it God given? I really feel it is. I do feel there are many, many healers in the world, many amazing healers. And I think that sometimes the human nature, the ego can get in the way. And so it's very, very important for a healer to remain grounded and remind ourselves that we too are learning. We too have our lessons. You have to find the right person for you. But you're, when you're connected to your innate wisdom, you will always meet the right people. Absolutely. You'll always meet the right people. What is a soul blueprint? So a soul blueprint for me is the cloth that you are cut from. So like how a home will have a blueprint before it's built, you too have a blueprint within your soul. Because for me, your soul is a fragment of a larger database in the universe. So when I access this blueprint, it's showing me the experiences, the lessons and things that somebody has experienced. And I call that a blueprint because that blueprint, you're accumulating, we're both accumulating part more to our blueprint, just sitting here and having this experience with each other. And so we're always building on that blueprint. And so for me, for example, I'm always trying to add positive, enlightening things to my life to add to that blueprint, because I know very well that for my next incarnation, I want my blueprint to be as pure as possible to reduce the chances, chances of having to suffer and to just find the lightness in life and trust the flow in life. So that blueprint's a very important piece of information that I can look at for a client to be able to navigate the future. When people who don't know you realize what you do, Mm. what's their reaction? Everyone responds quite differently. 99% of the time, people are very, very receptive and inquisitive about what I do. Sometimes people can be a little bit skeptical, but I think why... My service has become very popular, George, is because I'm very, very practical with my information, and that's who I am as a person as well. I am. I'm a very practical person. I, you know, my previous corporate background, just being a normal, everyday person, but now with this other side of things, people find me relatable. People find me relatable. So when people find out what I do, most of the time they're very, very interested in what does that mean and how do you help people and where's your information coming from? How this start? Yeah. And I just think it gives people a different way of looking at things when they see me and just see a woman that has gone to university and has a partner and has family and has emotions like everybody else, but also has this ability to be able to really see what life is about. Is it a blessing or a curse? It's most definitely a blessing. Once you learn, once I had learned how to set boundaries around it and to protect myself, I, every day is just such a gift to be able to help people in the way that I do. Does it surprise you? 
every oh, every client surprises me, George. Sometimes I often laugh and say to my clients, I can't believe the things that come out of my mouth because they'll go, oh, Gaia, that happened yesterday or that's exactly what I'm planning to do or you told me three oh. years ago that you this was going to happen and it's happening now. So it really does blow me away. And I love having that naivety about my my job as well because it keeps me learning and it keeps me understanding. None of us know it all. And um, that's the blessing in this job is because it's constant information without needing to read or needing to watch anything. It's pure information that's coming through for me. Well, we saw your clients. How long does it take you to work with them to get them healed? It depends on the person, to be honest. About a week, a month? So I will see a client for an hour when I first meet them. Sure. And sometimes that can be enough. But my regular clients who are really interested in the soul progression, who want to move past their previous karma and understand what's coming up for them and what it's for. They want a total makeover. They want a total makeover. I'll see them every few months for maybe half an hour. But it really depends on what the goal is for the client. But when I meet a client for the first time, George, I don't get any information. In fact, I don't let them speak to me so that I can purely intuitively evaluate their blueprint. You don't want them to tip you off about it? Nothing at all. Interesting. So I don't get any information so that I can purely look at what, from my perspective, they need from me. And then as we work together, they will come to me with various things because they're more aware at that time. This came up with my partner. Why did this come up? And then I can go in and have a look at the blueprint and go, ah, right, you've had this issue 17 lifetimes ago. So let's go in and heal that and then that has a profound experience in their current mm. life because I, as a healer, I can go in and take that energy out and transmute it, transform it, and place it in the body where there's expansiveness. So it really depends. It depends on the individual, how open they are, what they're wanting, but we evaluate that as we go along. Well, Gaia, a cancer victim is on a different timetable than somebody else who has some colon issue or something. Yeah. How do you fix that and do you speed that up? I mean, I am there to help them understand and help them shift energy. And it can obviously make a difference, but it works hand in hand with Western medicine, George. It's not, I, I'm a firm believer that everything works together. It's not about one or the other. And so often I do have medical professionals who will send patients to me to say, can you just look at from your perspective what's going on? And then they'll go back and receive their treatment from wherever else. So I just think it's a a beautiful partnership between holistic practices like mine as well as the Western medicine that's offered. How much of the client needs to participate with you to get these things done? Sure, that's a really great question. I can always tell how receptive a client's going to be from the moment I see them. They walk in. Yeah, when they walk in or if I'm seeing them on Zoom I, I, and I will tell them, I'll be like, you need to let your guard down a little bit so I can uh-huh. get in there. Because some people, you know, naturally are skeptical or worried about what I will see. Sure. But I'll always remind clients, you will never get information that you cannot handle. But everyone's different. Like some people are very, very open and receptive where I'll be able to see future lives and the level of information I get is blow, mind blowing. And some people, that's why I call it soul progression, can only handle bits at a time, but they will get what they need and then they can come back when they're ready and I'll receive a new Do download. Do they try to hide things from you? 
they know that I'll be able to see through that. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll often pinpoint, I'll be like, is there something, you know, there's something in this area we need to talk about, but perhaps not this time. We can talk about it when you're ready to talk about open it. Open it up. We open, open it up a little bit and we let the client sort of integrate that we're going to discuss it another time. And then we look at it again. So I what, work with the client. What would you say, Gaia, is your biggest contribution to society? Oh, that's a really big question, George. And I'm putting it all on you. <laughs> you are. I think my biggest contribution to society is to authentically be myself. And I know that is about me, but I think because I have stepped into my power, it encourages all of the people's lives that I touch to be able to empower themselves and see the true beauty and gifts that they have and really, really explore and understand that. So I think my contribution is to see people for who they really are and to really bring them out of themselves, to trust themselves. Do they know who they are? A lot of the time they don't. I didn't think so. A lot of people were like me prior to 33. I need to do this. I need to get my university degree. I need to earn this amount of money. I need to be married with children by this age. And life had a completely different agenda for me, but it's been a crazy, amazing ride. And because I've embraced that and gone away from the conformity of the society I grew up in, it encourages people to find themselves. Are you happy? Yes, I am. I am so grateful that I found this gift and stepped into it early. I'm like every other human that has issues and things come up. But the difference with me is that I can see what they're for immediately. So I don't get stuck in the pattern of repeating things. My Because I'm able to lift my perspective and look down at it, I can see, oh, Gaia, you'll need to learn that. So once we've learned that, we can move on and let go. So my ability to let go has become much easier to stay in that space. I like to say that I'm joyful. I don't strive for happiness. I just strive for the middle way. If you could change one thing about what you do, change one thing, what would that be? If I could change one thing about what I do, I'd love to be able to physically see more people, George, because with the work that I do, you know, there's only one of me. That's probably one of the things I'd love to be able to just see more people so that I'm able to touch more people's lives and help them progress their soul on this journey. What's prohibiting you from doing that? Energy levels, because when I take on someone's energy and have to transmute that, everyone's differently, different. And it weakens you? Not weakens me. It's just because I have to release the energy, depending on how big the issues were. It can take me a bit of time to come back to myself and feel like myself again. And then I'm ready to go again and help somebody else. How do people get a hold of you? So I have a website, www.soul33.com. And I also have an amazing app, George, that I've created. And we've got Members all over the world. So I teach people how to connect with Source there. We have it's in, our, home. it's in our app store. Yes, in your app stores. You just have to search Soul 33. I create amazing healing meditations. There's lunar calendars. There's guidance, digital guidance cards. And we've got meditations in Spanish and Mandarin. Uh, so that's an, another amazing way to connect with me. And we create a beautiful community there. Often people are afraid to have spiritual conversations right. about what they experience. 
So I have a group chat that I facilitate myself so people can say, oh my goodness, I experienced this today and I did this meditation and I saw a spirit guide or my grandmother connected with me. It's a really safe place for you to say what you truly feel and not feel judged. Gaia, is our company named after you? I I hope so. (laughs) You never know. You never know. Thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you for having me, George. She's got this incredible ability to heal. And that's a gift from God. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Oh, my. That was wonderful, everybody. Um, okay, so I guess we'll do this now, Rama. Let's do the, uh, our brother Steve Nobel. The one we didn't do yesterday. <laughs> um, this is called Goddess Isis Horus Transmission. And uh, uh, this is clearing ancient Atlantean Egyptian dark alchemy and magic. Oh, my. (laughs) All right, I'll read a little bit here. Atlantis experienced a great golden age of spirituality and technology where there were temples of light dedicated to the law of one. Eventually, a darkness began, began to enter that civilization where those souls who were not aligned with the light, brought a great darkness, which ultimately led to the complete destruction of that civilization. Following this destruction, there arose another colony in Egypt, which was founded by survivors of those following the law of one. However, darkness found its way to that colony And the fight between light and darkness arose once more. Black magic and dark alchemy created the final destruction of Atlantis. And this caused a major shift on our planet. Both ecologically and vibrationally, the Earth experienced a lowering of vibration from 4D to 3D. And this has affected the whole planet until this time of ascension. Sounds very familiar, everybody. Many starseeds are still affected by the impact of this and of ancient black magic touching their fields. And in this transmission, we can, in this, we call up the goddess Isis her son Horus, and other helpful beings to clear all interference from black magic and other forms of dark interference, such as curses, spells, within a particular focus on clearing Atlantean and Egyptian black magic. There is also a clearing of parasitical energies 
the dark and corrupted Atlantean grid and other forms of disturbance that can accompany black magic. There is a retrieval of any soul parts, fragments you have lost due to death involving black magic. The transmission ends with a protective energetic sealing of your chakra system and all physical openings in your body. Music by Chris Collins and the track is called Meditative State. I'm sure this is going to be powerful. So this one is 55 minutes and we shall start now. Here we go. Isis and Horus transmission, clearing ancient Atlantean and Egyptian dark alchemy and magic. And open body, open mind. And focusing on the breath. in-breath is the invitation of light from the universe around you, 360 degrees from the great star nation, light into the body of bone and blood, absorbing light, And anywhere you are holding lower frequency energies in the physical body, on the out-breath, purge and release, sending it back to the light, back to the universe. Allowing more space, more space for your own soul's light in the physical body. following that cycle of breath on the in-breath light into the emotional body that surrounds and penetrates the physical body a fluid field of energy anywhere you are holding other people's emotional energy or lower stuck energy stagnant energy in your emotional body on the outbreath, purge and release, sending it back to the light. Allowing more space, more light, more fluidity in the emotional body.
following that cycle of breath, inviting light on the in-breath into the mental body, a fluid field of energy that surrounds and penetrates the emotional and physical bodies. Anywhere you are holding stagnant energy in the mental body, other people's thoughts, ideas, opinions, judgments, belief systems, that does not serve you, on the out-breath, sending it back to the light, back to the universe. Allowing more space for your own soul's light in the mental body. And following that cycle of breath, as I call your teams in spirit of the highest light and resonance, your higher selves from the sixth to the twelfth dimension, your monadic self, the oversoul, all 5D to 12D helpers, guides, angels, archangels, star beings, star races, star councils, specialist teams in spirit working with you. Come be with you now, come be with you now. And we invite especially all those teams such as psychic surgeons, angels and beings of light who work with releasing and neutralizing black magic. And let's call the archangels of the horizontal plane. Beginning in the east, the place of the rising sun, with Archangel Raphael, Archangel of Air of the Mind. The symbol of this angel is a crystal wand. And the energy is emerald green fire. As you focus on the wand, calling that fire into your space, to hold your space, your personal space. To the south is Michael, Archangel of the Element of Fire, Archangel of the Will, Protector Angel. The symbol of this angel is a sword of flaming blue light. And the energy is electric blue fire. As you focus on the symbol, 
inviting the energy of this angel into your field to hold the space. is Gabriel, Archangel of Water, of Emotions. The symbol is a silver chalice. And the energy, diamond white fire. As you focus on that symbol, inviting that fire into the space to hold your space. is Uriel, Archangel of Earth, of structure, of spiritual law. The symbol of this angel is a golden pentacle. And the energy is ruby red fire. As you focus on that symbol, inviting that fire into the space to hold your space. angels, four energies, and open. And let's call the archangels of the vertical plane, Metatron and Sandophon. calling to Metatron to bring that light down from the great central sun, the Christ grid, through the stargate of our sun. Down into this dimension of the earth plane. into the structure of the building you're in. Infusing the walls around you with gold light. Allowing that gold light to spread out to the ceiling above you and the floor beneath you. Sealing the space, 
closing it off from dark force interference. And let's call to Sandophon from the below space to bring the crystalline grid of the earth up into the structure of the building you're in. Up to the room you're in, grounding the whole building and the room into the earth. to the feet, grounding your energy into the crystalline grid. Six archangels, six energies and open. to the goddess Isis. And also to her son Horus, a bright warrior aspect from the great central sun to work together in this transmission. We also call to other helpers The sister of Isis, Nephthys. We call to violet fire angels, ultraviolet fire angels. Angels working with Michael. Davis working with Sandophon. Archangels from the sun, central sun and great central sun. Psychic surgeons, Atlantean ascended beings, beings from Sirius following the law of one, calling for all of this help. goddess to hold you with her golden wings to embrace you with those wings and as she does so she calls on the archangels from the three suns the sun of our solar system 
the Pleiadian central sun and the great central sun of Sirius to create a large protective sphere of gold solar light around you. And Horus, a being of brilliant golden white light, steps into this large sphere and faces you. Horus calls now violet and ultraviolet fire angels to project their energy into the sphere filling the sphere with a brilliant violet and ultraviolet fire. If you have any agreements with the Atlantean civilization and the Egyptian civilization that limits you in any way, Horus calls them forth from your energy field now. In front of you are scrolls. now takes these agreements and rips them up and burns them in fire, clearing them through all minds, all bodies, all timelines, all dimensions from your being in the Akashic Records. Releasing all karmic energies associated with these agreements into the fire Horus brings now. Seeing Horus holding in his hands a ball of brilliant fire. burning agreements and burning all karmic energies in your field associated with those agreements. Isis and Horus work together to close any openings in your field that make you vulnerable to psychic attack. The goddess Isis hands you a hooded cloak of golden solar light to wrap around you, protecting you during this transmission.
and Isis call upon Sandophon in the earth below to assist you in releasing you from any Atlantean corrupted grids in the earth. Detaching your energy fields from corrupt grids in the earth. Detaching your base chakra. Detaching your feet chakras. And anywhere else you feel connected to any corrupt grids. connected more fully to the crystalline grid of the earth. calls on the archangels of the three sons, also psychic surgeons, and angels working with Michael to focus their attention on your base chakra. Clearing and releasing from the base with golden light. Any other lifetime blood magic in the base chakra. Anywhere you have been involved in blood rituals, blood magic, blood spells. Releasing these from the base chakra. Clearing the base with gold light, all layers, levels, dimensions. on the archangels the three sons psychic surgeons and angels work with Michael to focus their attention on your sacral chakra to release anything in the sacral related to sexual magic sexual spells
burning through the chakra, releasing with gold light. calls on the angels of the three sons, psychic surgeons, and angels working with Michael to release any other lifetime black magic spells or curses sent or received that's still touching your energy fields. releasing any spells that were created with perhaps seemingly positive intentions but are now experienced as negative, such as ill-conceived love spells and ill-conceived manifestation spells. also anything touching you via the ancestral lines. calls on all of this assistance, Archangels of Three Sons, plus angels work with Michael and psychic surgeons to begin to clear and remove any dark entity attachment or any parasitical attachment to your fields, burning them with golden light and releasing them away from your field. anything burrowing into your energy field, clearing it out to the core of it and burning it.
must call upon Sandophon and all David beings working with Sandophon to assist you in releasing you from any elemental beings that have been bound and coerced by black magic force to do you harm. Releasing any of this from your energy fields, sending it back to the crystalline grid of the earth for clearing and healing. continue on the angels of the three sons, angels working with Michael and psychic surgeons to pull out any and all astral energies. Dark crystals, dark objects, symbols, sigils, hieroglyphs, any etheric darts or blades in your field. destroying any etheric restraints. this out from your field, burning it in gold fire, destroying all of it and any black magic associated with it. also assisted with violet and ultraviolet fire burning through your field, clearing any corruption, any blood or sexual magic, any spells or curses, any entity attachments, any dark elemental beings, and any astral energies out from your field.
pause now calls upon all of his assistants to begin to pull out from your field any negative imprints, negative thought forms, imprints and thought forms of fear and terror, including the fear of being attacked by black magic or hurt or harmed or killed by black magic. Any negative imprints of helplessness or powerlessness from any other lifetime where you have been targeted by black magic. Prince of guilt or remorse for being involved in black magic. Any negative imprints of failure by feeling unable to stop black magic groups overrunning Atlantis and Egypt. a deep purging, gold supported by violet and ultraviolet fire clearing your field. on the goddess Nephthys, sister of Isis, and all beings working with her to go now and find any trapped aspect of your soul light, to find and release any soul fragment locked in the lower astral dimensions due to trauma including black magic interference or death by black magic. And Nephthys has the ability to fly in all realms as a hawk, searching and finding parts of your soul. Releasing them, bringing them back to Isis.
releasing them to the goddess who holds all soul parts in her wings. process to continue. Allowing gold fire, violet and ultraviolet fire to burn brightly in the sphere. Absorbing this into the body of bone and blood. deep into the cellular memory of the body and deep into the DNA, releasing and burning what needs to be released and burnt. this process of deep cleansing is happening. Horus calls a great golden ankh in his hands of brilliant solar light. And begin to place a golden ankh in front of each chakra from third eye down to sacral.
and all the way down, throat, heart, solar plexus, sacral. Horus also places a brilliant solar light ank at the back of your field from third eye down to sacral. He then places one above your crown and one below the base. now calls in his hands a white crystalline radiant ank and begins to place this in all of the openings in the head sealing all openings in the head the eyes the ears the nose the mouth Also calling a white crystalline ank, sealing the belly button, the anus and genitals, closing all openings to lower force interference. Isis and Horus now call on all Atlantean and Assyrian ascended beings who are connected to the law of one to reconnect you to the truth and light of your nature and of this ancient spiritual path.
with a gentle bow steps out of the sphere bidding a decrease in the energy in the sphere of gold and violet fire Isis leaves to take all soul fragments to a temple of healing. beings who have held this transmission. The goddess Nethys, sister of Isis, with the bow leaves you now. All violet fire, ultraviolet fire angels leave you now. Archangels of the three suns leave you now. Thanking all angels of the vertical and horizontal planes for holding the space. 
allowing this transmission to continue inside of you in this protective golden sphere. Transmission is offered to you as always with love and blessings, love and blessings.
Om Shiva, everybody. Uh, our brother has really learned how to share deeper wisdom. Um, oh my goodness. We are so grateful for the work that comes through all these wonderful beings. <laughs> And we get to share it with you. Thank you, Steve Nobel. Okay, so I think I'll read from our sister Caroline. I have a 21-minute piece about the crystals. What do you want to do, Rama? Do you want to do that? Um, this one. Hmm? Mm. Okay, then I will read. I will be Caroline. And um, here we go. This is a message to light bringers. August 17th, that was last Thursday, just two days ago, 2023. This week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elements, Bay Elders, Angelic legions, archangels, and other divine beings known as the collective. Greetings, dear ones. This week, our writer has some questions she would like to ask about the fires in the town of Lahaina in Hawaii. And we are happy to assist. And Caroline says, my friends, today I need to ask you about Lahaina on the island of Maui and the events that led up to the incineration of that beautiful coastal town and the loss of so many homes and businesses, as well as human life and animal life and many sacred sites, including burial sites of indigenous chiefs and artifacts and histories of the local native people. Local officials are making excuses as to why the alarm sirens were not sounded immediately, why local energy emergency teams and law enforcement were not on the scene fast enough. I have to say this is really close to my heart. This was really hard here. There were also my high there were also highway exits blocked off so that local people could not exit the area. In other words, this was a premeditated genocide, everyone. There are photos of a perfect circle of fire inside the town and some trees that were seen as untouched while others nearby were incinerated. Boats in the harbor caught fire, though they were afloat and not near the shore. Uh-oh. Many are talking about photos and videos that captured images 
of the beings from directed energy weapons being used on Lahaina as they were used on the town of Paradise, California, among others. Many of us knew intuitively that this was the case as soon as we heard how fast the fires spread with extremely high winds spurring them on. Yeah, they said that hurricane was about a thousand miles south of Maui and they blamed the winds on that. I don't think so. All of this was intentionally created. So we ask for your input and higher view. It is a particularly potent event as Hawaii, as Hawaii is the last visible remnant of Lemuria and Lahaina at the center of the area, many consider to be the heart chakra of the earth, as well as being the birthplace of royal Hawaiian families. It has long had such a strong indigenous presence that's a very conscious, that it's a very conscious, very, it's very conscious and very proud of its roots. The sacred sites should be preserved and treated as such. Many feel the powers that were, are set on making that town an all AI controlled 15 minute city under totalitarian control. The trauma suffered by so many, both animal and human, as well as the earth, will be considered by the old powered crowd to just be energetic fuel for their fast-dissolving matrix. Could you assist us, please, in terms of how we view those tremendous losses? Thank you in advance for any assistance you can give. Greetings, dear ones. This is the collective. We are, as always, very pleased to assist. In this case, we would say that you are correct. That this was... Turn the page here. This was a planned attack. One intentionally aimed to harm not only the indigenous of that area, rather to debase all sacred sites, yet also the energies instilled into the earth in that place over centuries by very high spiritual ritual and ceremony. Spiritual ritual and ceremony. It also aimed to destroy the intentions of the native people 
to treat the earth as a beloved grandmother and to treat the earth as an expression of divinity as they know themselves to be also. And so, this is a very difficult and unwieldy moment. Because you see, the presence of all of that innocence and goodness in so many of the indigenous and their children who were forced out of their homes and barely survived. And as you say, some did not survive on the physical level. It is to the credit of the star nations that many, many more did not lose their lives to that conflagration. There was significant intervention there. Please know that. It is also a testament to the strength of Mother Earth, that she was able to at least partly subdue these falsely spurred on winds, spurred on winds, and able to maintain her integrity below the surface of where the fires were, so that new life still spring up as the old is released. You are aware that at times fire represents a kind of alchemy. And this is not to say that there was not great evil enacted in Lahaina or that it needed to burn up so that something better could come in its place. That is not so. Yet we would say that there has long been an installing and an anchoring of darker energies in that part of the world. Rama, didn't you say there was a dark underground base under there that they did put put there a while back? Mm -hmm. I heard you say that. Maybe, I don't know. You're not sure? That's something you were picking up a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So yet we would say that there has long been an installing and anchoring of darker energies in that part of the world which in part does explain the well-anchored crime syndicates in the islands of Hawaii and their goings-on. Despite the trauma, it caused the local population in the alchemy of that fire. Much was released energetically that those criminal organizations were depending upon These are energetic constructs that one can feel in places in many parts of the world. It may seem unbelievable, yet the soul groups of the Hawaiian indigenous have been meeting in the higher realms and deciding that something had to change there. Otherwise, the light they have been anchoring into those islands and all the earth would not fully take hold. Um, Rama, you need to ask Doug to get Caroline, get Rainbird. I mean, you might have to call. Can you hear me, Doug? Got to get Carol Rainbird. Time for Rainbird. Oh, good. 
Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, get Rainbird, please. Thank you. Otherwise, the light they have been anchoring into those islands and all the earth would not fully take hold in the context of ongoing energetic conflict with the darker energies. Now, regarding the crimes... Whoops. Got to kind of make sure that that... Okay, Rainbird's with us. Okay, I'm down. Continue reading here. Now, regarding the crime syndicates and the corporate cooperation with those gangs of suited, high-flying persons who are using Hawaii as a part, a port between East and West for their purposes, releasing the energies of these ones does not come as easily as one might think because they are backed by dark powers which are happy to support criminal enterprises. International drug trafficking being one of them, of course, yet there are others. And so, as you are looking at these terrible fires and realizing that there were historical sacred sites, artworks, symbols, and archives in that area, which are seemingly lost, as well as human life. Keep in mind that as someone leaves the earth, almost without exception, they have decided to take that particular exit point and to return home. In reality, there is no loss, because this earth life is not fully who you are. It is not the real you as they say. It is also only a part of who you are in terms of your etheric capabilities and your soul presence, which is the essence of your true love, true self, beyond all earth identities and all cultural identifications, except to say that some people are rather young souls and others have been around and traveled the good red road toward higher consciousness and ascension for quite a while and are a bit more evolved. Now, many hearing or reading this will be highly evolved beings who will look at this situation with their empathic sense of caring and compassion. And they will agree that this was a great injustice. And we would say, none of this destruction really needs to happen. And yet we choose to be patient with Earth's path of transmuting that which can no longer be borne by a planet. Now moving into the fifth dimension. Yes, Earth is ascending and into fifth dimensional life. No one would want to take any form of darkness with them into such a new and beautiful form of living. In this case, the soul groups of the indigenous of Lahaina, including those ancestors whose bodies returned to the Earth in sacred burial sites, 
decided to create a very great ceremony. They saw the timeline containing this horrible event and took proactive decision to take advantage of what was aimed at them. To burn off in that alchemically potent time much of the energies that have existed in Hawaii over the last few centuries. These were instilled by the colonizing forces that did not come into civilize, come in to civilize as they claimed, but to, to rob, destroy, program and control. That destructive path stated that all land is something that one can buy or steal and thereby own. Likewise, one could then own and enslave the native peoples or annihilate them or humiliate them, pushing them off their ancestral lands and in this, they violated the land for their own dark purposes. And while removing indigenous influence from that part of the world, which of course powerfully affects everything else on the planet, so-called colonizing efforts were also a clear agenda to rob humanity of its connections to star nations, as well as to bring people to a place where they very robotically do as they are told without question. What has been termed a, quote, New World Order, unquote, is actually the old one and is ending now, though appearances seem to indicate otherwise. All of you and your powerful, light-filled presences are seeing to the end of those false intentions. This desperate last attempt on the part of the old warlords and their overlords to destroy a powerful stronghold and a centuries-old indigenous presence will fail. What the Dark Machine has failed to realize is that very thing they despise still lives in people's hearts and minds and souls, whatever may be removed outwardly. And that whatever they do to the land or to any indigenous culture in, in the outer sense, these actions cannot be compared to the power of what the indigenous person holds in their own heart space. Turn your roofing they will anchor light into the land all the more now. We are seeing this daily. You see as well widespread concern for the 150-year-old banyan tree held in people's hearts as sacred for more than a century. Scientists have found in that being a beautiful symbol of rebirth and that the roots of this tree are still alive and hold living tissue. With dedicated care, if it 
chooses to remain the tree and its many trunks. Yes, it, 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 there's all these trunks along, yeah, the tree is, is connected by the roots and there's more of them all along the, the beach there may well be restored. We are assisting with that as we are assisting those who have lost loved ones and homes and businesses. Viewed on a soul level, those who lived in that area who have lost their homes and community will be redirected. And as they move to another area, they will be planting that same powerful light into the earth in that place. Do not doubt that star nations are intervening. Many of us are powerfully present there. We have not forsaken or forgotten anyone. For those who have lost loved ones, we would say this is a very difficult time. Yet the alchemy of that inner fire will be used to recreate much that is in the consciousness and hearts of those who are suffering now. We are aware that this will seem not at all a comfort for those who are in grief. We do not take grief lightly, as it is a profound and very transforming experience and can be difficult to move beyond. Yet, paradoxically, in loss there can be great renewal. There is the renewal of realizing that physical life is entirely ephemeral, except for that which belongs to the spirit. Be in energetic support of those in Lahaina, who are, turn the page here, who are still on the earth, as they will be actively working now to fulfill the soul contracts they created, in which they are healing not only the land and the community, rather also healing their other parts of those islands, as well as land elsewhere. Now the attention of the world will, will, world has been put on Hawaii and to the dark plan of how the area will be quote unquote redeveloped. This consciousness and the light it holds far outshines and outstretches any dark presence or intent. And this too is a higher reason for those needing one, needle, needing one for why, for those needing one for why such events have occurred. Oh. You will recall that after the dark events of September 11, that's another thing that dead person recalled the president ordered 9-11, uh, I'm just going to say the light has been helping us to transform this energies now so that this doesn't get repeated again. You'll recall that after the dark events of 9-11, that so much love, empathy, and compassion was expressed by the people of the world to those of the United States, that it lifted the vibration of the entire planet. 
None of these events are for naught, dear ones. Though it may appear that way at that way at times, in time all reverts to the light from which it came. The shock and the trauma experienced during and after such events are never the full story. We assure you that your star nations, families, are hard at work at every hour with many ships above the island of Maui mm-hmm. and many personnel of the Ashtar Command working to heal and assist to help restore courage, inner balance, and normalcy. Yet on a far higher level than it, exi- than it existed prior to this time, the waters reaching that coastal town are full of healing as well, despite the dark side's attempts to kill off all ocean life and to remove all the cetaceans. There is great light being sent from the whale and dolphin families now that will, that will only continue. They feel and see what is occurring and they know their role to anchor great light and higher vibrations as the angelic guardians of the seas. Recall as well that all of you came in to offer balance and renewal and to restore courage even in the midst of great discouragement and grief. All of you are holding light for those persons places, homes, and histories seemingly lost, holding light which assists greatly in the recovering of far more than what people feel is possible now. So, be reassured, dear ones, the historical archives, the beautiful wood carvings of the elders, the indigenous artifacts, all still exist in the etheric and can be drawn forth from such. All is not lost. Much is on the ships, on the starships, and all of the etheric blueprints remain for recreation of these. The Ashtar Command is more involved now in human life, not less. Their interventions are increasing, particularly due to the planned installation of the AI-controlled cities. You have decided, the light bearer, soul groups now on the earth, that these plans will not succeed. Know that even though in these times, when extreme events occur, this is due to the depths of your own soul commitments and soul requirements, that the profound darkness that took over the planet for thousands of years now be brought up to the surface and released and the heart chakra of your planet is still utterly in place friends there is no destruction there no loss how could there be with all of you holding so much light in your own hearts and souls you yourselves hold the capacity for so much joy we can only assist as you request your help and so, we can only assist, assist as you request our help. And so, in these moments, 
When you ask questions, we flow energies and insights to sustain your outlook and your spirit. And to reassure you that somehow, even in the midst of seemingly terrible events, in that place, turn the page, in that place in which your soul and its beautiful power resides, all still have full power and presence and astounding co-creative capabilities. As you are building a new earth, please allow these transformative and transmuting moments. For this you came. All is well. Namaste, friends, who are family. You are never forgotten, nor left behind. And we are with you always. And I guess I pass this talking stick to my best friend, Rainbird. And the Emerald Serpent Feathered One is on this talking stick with all the angels and fairies and feathers and rainbows and crystals and all the Menahuni and Sasquatch and all the beings from the 200-foot-tall angels to the teeny-weeniest little fairy. Here comes that talking stick, Rainbird. Okay, I got it. (laughs) What a a fun day. Really enjoyed it. Lots of gratitude. We just got, yeah, we just went everywhere and did it all, so... uh, I we know, get, we gotta do this again. Yeah. <laughs> and y'all put it all over again. We get it right this time. That's, I have gratitude for that. <laughs> and so here we go. And I pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. It's, it's crowded. Rama, you've got reminiscence of the past going on here. Yeah. Tell everybody what this is. Rumi, a community of the spirit. With Coleman Barks. Yes. The voice is Adam Sadiq. Here we go. There is a community of the spirit. Join it and feel the delight of walking in the noisy street and being the noise. Drink all your passion and be a disgrace. Close both eyes to see with the other eye. Open your hands if you want to be held. Sit down in this circle. Quit acting like a wolf. And feel the shepherd's love filling you. At night, your beloved wanders. Don't accept consolations. Close your mouth against food. Taste the lover's mouth in yours.
left me, he left me, twenty more will come. Be empty of worrying. Think of who created thought. Why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Move outside the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence. Everybody's going to know this one. Heart energy is coming together now, and may the uh, what is it called? That may the flash be with you all. <laughs> What's the flash and the force be with you all? <laughs> Satnam, everyone. Satnam, G. Thirteen thank yous, honey, me heart. No evil live long and prosper. Aloha. Mahalo nui loa. <laughs> 